Welcome to the Broken Token Classic Arcade and Pinball Podcast. Whitney, I am going to start episode 94 of the Broken Token Classic Gaming Podcast with what could be best described as a controversial statement. Seriously. Really? Yeah. You're springing this on me. I know. You, and you I know was that, actually right? about to say that because yeah. as I said that, I looked up uh-huh. across the room yeah. and met you eye to eye. Exactly. And but- I saw the <laughs> curiosity. Uh-huh. And the fear. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> exa- exactly. Because I'm sitting here looking at the show notes and then I'm listening to you say this. There's nothing in say, here about a con. I, well, yeah. I wouldn't put it in there. Yeah. It, it would be fun. It would, this much is true. Okay. So now, <clears throat> officially, the controversial- you, have me, you have me intrigued. Okay. Yes. So I will maintain that. Oh, it sounds like you've got something on your chest. Here. Yeah. Yeah. I okay, will maintain right. yeah. that. Awkward silence. Okay. We're, that. Dr. Pulaski was a far oh, better oh, doctor. Oh, no, 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 no. And character on Star Trek Next Generation the, than, than, Crusher Dr. than Crusher ever was. Ever was or could be. So it's interesting that you say that because okay. Pulaski, it, it, here, I'm sitting here going. Pulaski's my girl. Okay, I'm going no, 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 because it's like <laughs> this is a can of worms that opens up just I immediately. I don't care what Picard thinks about Crusher. Yeah. That I, I, doesn't come into play. I, I get that. Pulaski is a far better doctor. Yeah. She's far more grounded. Uh-huh. And she's a better character. Given that she does have some of the, some, some, uh, uh McCoy, they, they model her a oh, after they, McCoy. They definitely model her I'll after her, McCoy. I'll, because there, there is that. She, she's got, she's, a, she's just a wee bit crotchety. Yes. And, uh, which adds to her charm. Which versus, adds to the charm. Versus she's, just being lost. Okay. She's as crusher is. <laughs> she's extremely cynical. Yes. And, uh, I, I would say, I would say that she's, uh, she's the definition of pragmatic. Is, mm-hmm. is what she is. I, I totally get where you're coming from. The thing about it is, though, is that I think that Pulaski couldn't hang with the rest of the with the rest of the crew because the rest of the crew couldn't hang with Pulaski. Now that now that is a hot take right there. <laughs> the that's rest. a hot, that's a hot take. They could they were they were mutually exclusive. <laughs> yeah, the Venn diagram had no overlap. How about that? And it's kind of sad because they actually needed a character like Pulaski, yeah. it, it, and I think she didn't get a fair shake because you saw many times over many episodes where she just kind of. <laughs> she was only in for like a season. Yeah, I, I know. And, like and season two? I know. I think it was season two. Yeah. yeah. Season two or season three. But see, we'll, we'll say it's season two. But the, the bad part about it is, is that whether she was written that way or whether she, whether she brought that herself, it, it, she kind of rained on everybody's parade. Which they needed. Which, which that's exactly that's right. That's why I like yeah. But it. But to me, you got whatever's going on. Things are happening. It's the whatever century. Everybody wears jumpsuits. Pulaski comes in and says, you're not beaming me anywhere. Put me on a shuttle. Let me tell you what's going to happen. Yeah. Oh, by the way, Picard, your heart, it was failing mm-hmm. and you were into this emergency surgery that this, this person couldn't. Well, who are we going to call? We'll call him Pulaski. 
At no, the end of it, we got to get her here. Nobody yeah. ever called Crusher. <laughs> she just doesn't have the chops. Interesting. Interesting. And, and, that's, it, that's a hot take, you, man. You had Wesley wandering around crying because his mom was gone. Yeah. It's a, it just... I'll tell you what I did. Wesley was the loose end, and eventually they got rid of him. Well, that's a whole other... Sad but true. Um, I, I I actually like Wesley a lot. I did. I, I've... As, he as grew He grew on me. I've revisited, that way. yes. As, as he grew, he did grow on you. Yes. As, as his character become more key. There's yes. no doubt about it. And and I think the way that they serviced his character, especially at the end with the Traveler, I didn't like that. I, 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 I didn't I like that. I haven't re-seen that episode. I haven't seen that episode in a while. Didn't, but I've, I didn't I know, like it. I know the gist of it, but I haven't seen the specifics of it. Yeah. It, I, I mean... For all that we suspend belief, and trust me, I do it willingly because of how much I love Star Trek, but even th- that whole traveler thing was even just a stretch too far. I, I'm I'm sorry. It just it, it just was. It's yeah, like even, yeah, pick the smartest kid and make him a traveler and it's like uh it just it's kind of well, like a Q and it's like a Q in reverse and even like the early episode where they brought the traveler in, do you remember that? Mm-hmm. And they were doing the warp thing yeah, with Kaczynski, yeah. was it? Exactly. It, that's right. That yeah. was just a little bit it, it it was like that that is like what ruined pixels for me. Okay. Because I don't know if you remember my argument with Pixels. Uh, I really enjoyed the movie up until the end. All right. So I'm suspending reality and I'm accepting this alien race that for whatever reason has decided that humanity and Earth is based upon whatever centipede Galligan TV emissions they picked up or video gaming, whatever. And they come in and they replay these games in the real world. Okay. It is a fairly interesting uh, concept. So I I I was on board with all that. Yeah. It's it's actually stuff I enjoyed. Yeah. Yeah. I I was on board. Yeah. Where I, where they lost me was the very end when like Adam Sandler's character and all them, they're in, in Donkey Kong. And then all of a sudden they're, they're, they're exceeding what they are as a human. Like yeah. he's jumping like Mario yeah, and he's yeah, doing yeah. all that. Yeah. That's where it was because yeah. we hadn't established up to that point that in these games, when the humans entered as characters, that they then took on the, 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 tra- the traits, the traits of, of yeah, the, the game, the traits of the game. So yeah, yeah I was, yeah, at that point I was like, all right, I'm, <laughs> I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> Peter Dinklage. I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm <laughs> cashing out. And what, what was his name? Who, who was it that played the president? Um, oh. it was, he's always a sidekick to, uh, uh um, he was Paul Blart, the mall cop. Yeah, it's a uh, Kevin, uh, Kevin James, Kevin James. Yeah. Kevin yeah. James. Yeah. I can work with all that. Yeah. And, and, you know, sneaking around behind the secret service and getting out and, yeah. you know, yeah, he actually kind of, he actually, you know, did a pretty decent job when mm-hmm. it all came to pass. Yeah. But Paul, the, Paul, Blart, Paul Blart, Blart, the president, Paul Oh Blart. my goodness. Yes. So, yeah. So there's my hot take anyway. Fair enough. Back to, back to, <laughs> yeah. Back to classic arcade and pinball talk. How about that? Back to the topic at hand. I, I want to ask you if you started watching discovery yet, but it, no, but, but, but it, it, it would, it would pigeonhole this whole show. So I, I'm not going to do that. I haven't. Okay. Fair enough. Nope. Nope. Okay. Nope. I haven't. Um, I have, uh, um, I've just shot away from it and you'll just, I've just been doing so much stuff yeah. and that's, I guess that's, you know, like my updates for the month. I mean, this, this all does get around to the topic at hand, the, the, the gaming world, uh-huh. but like I've said this for several months, I've got this list of things that are still broken, that are broken and they're still broken. Yeah. And I, I get it. And, and what I keep updating, 
in, in our show notes, uh, just now I've updated it. First it was still, first it was broken. Then it was still broken. Then still, still broken. Now it's double, still, still broken. Keep it's, on going. I just haven't, <laughs> haven't touched my Ghostbusters. Haven't touched my Tempest, my battle zone. Um, haven't touched any of it because I've just been soaked into stuff at the house and Yes. 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 Yeah. And, and it just along with you, I, I have just uh, found out that I have now got two more projects to do at home. That oh, I, that's that, not that good. I, that I didn't. You know, like home, I, home projects or like, like home, home projects. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like stuff I need to address at home. And it's not that, you know, it's, I mean, it's just, it's all part of the privilege. It's all part of life. It's yeah. all part of life. Yeah. That's exactly right. Well, I've talked about the, the massive part sort that I've been working through. Yeah. If you're a new listener to the show, the High high level is as years ago I bought a, at an operator's tech room listener fa- listener long term listeners of the show have heard this and I had a bunch of uh, um, like hardware storage unit uh, little drawers. I don't know how you, when I was searching for those things, Whitney, and I'm going to talk about <laughs> it's like what do you call these? I know, yeah. and, and I had the hardest time, and I'm going to talk about like it, uh, in the tech segment. I want to talk about the trials and tribulations of storage for our hobby. And all the things that I have tried and and just discuss what has and hasn't worked for me and give people suggestions and ideas. That's, but when I was going to look for those, you know what I'm talking about. Oh They're yeah. like a little cabinet, oh various yeah. sizes. Yes. And they'll have a bunch of little drawers in them. And uh-huh. normally you put you normal just, people put nuts and bolts and screws e- e- in them. Exactly. Right. Exactly. I, I, I so feel for where you're coming from. There's not from a name though. for those. No, there's not. And the problem is, is that you only know them. You only know good ones when you see them. And mm-hmm. it tends to be when you're shopping for them, all you find are bad and cheap I'll ones. Talk about that. Yeah. Later. And, and the problem is, is that even when you buy them, you can never buy them again. Like yep. you can't, you can't come back six months later and buy the same thing oh, again. I'll bring up something later on that exact topic. Okay, good. Then I'm going to stop because my soapbox runneth over when it comes to that topic, because I suffer from that problem as well. It's, it's like I, I constantly it's a struggle. Hodgepodge. Yeah. Yeah. It, despite my best efforts, my best efforts, everything that I still have storage wise is, is a hodgepodge because I can't, if I, I can't repeat anything because you come back and it's like, Oh, that's been gone. You yeah. know, or, or yep. the company went out of business or, and it's like, I should have bought 18 of those had I known it, you know, it, well, you, anyway. if you'd have bought, bought 18, then you'd need 30. If that's, that's, exa- that's exactly yeah. right. So it, it's like, you cannot win on storage. So I'm looking forward to uh, having that discussion. Well, one of the things I went through and spent some time on this month too, speaking of that is I got all of this collection in, in those storage things. And somewhere along the line I've mentioned, and there's probably a picture on our Facebook page where taped to the side of one of them was a calendar and it was 1981. Uh, okay. You know? Yeah. So these are, instead of being like a plastic body, was it like Lonnie Anderson? No, no, it was just a calendar. It was, it was oh, like newsprint. Just, just a calendar. Just a calendar. calendar. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. All right. Um, no, it wasn't anything. It was just, fly, it was just, it was like newsprint with, uh, yeah. Like pay, newsprint paper. Yeah. It's with, almost like a tobacco warehouse calendar yeah, or something exactly. like that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, and for anybody who doesn't know what that is, just look it up. <laughs> <laughs> You'll see. Yeah. But th- these were actually it's metal. Nothing glamorous, trust no. me. <laughs> these were actually metal uh-huh. and sturdy. Yeah. And they were, I mean, this, this stuff was old enough that if you looked at them and found the maker's market, it was all American made. Yeah. Okay. All the drawers were nice, heavy plastic and oh. it was all, it was, you could tell there was markings in all of them where they, from, in the casting where it was all made in the U S. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, 
the the issue with them was is being so old and yeah. having been in this environment for so long, they were so grungy. Yeah, and probably brittle on top of that. Uh, actually, surprisingly, so. the plastic then was actually rather rigid. Okay, it, so it would. Uh, um, it wasn't like the, the bulk of the ones that I've gotten even in the last 10 or 15 years where the plastic is kind of flexible. Yeah. This was more the, if you've seen, if you've seen it, Whitney at our age, somebody around our age, over 30, oh, no, you no, know no, what no, I'm talking mean, about. Uh, the you, type mean 20, of you mean 28, 28. Right? Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, 28. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I've only watched Star Trek and reruns. So, uh, <laughs> you, you'd know what I mean. It was typical. Same. same. It was typical of the plastic of the time. Yes. yes. Okay. Yep, yep. Rather rigid. Uh huh. Um, but it it and it would cr- you it would crack. Yeah. But but you know it's been indoors in relatively climate controlled situations. Okay, so, so it okay, wasn't so brittle. It wasn't brittle. No. So so the, the the sun didn't get to it. No, and make no, it brittle no, no. or anything. Yeah. Okay. Cool. But the hard part is cleaning it because mm-hmm. I mean there I mean it sat with the majority of these drawers unopened for decades. Wow. So toward the front, it's just dust and grime pulled in. You know. And what I was doing was I was taking like a, um, like a 20 gallon storage tote and filling it with water. Uh, I even used hot water. I was pulling buckets of hot water out of the house and simple green and letting them soak outside. And I'd go, I'd cut grass or do whatever. And I'd go over and I'd shake the crap out of the tub yeah. to like agitate it. And I'd go, you know, I go do something else. I do that for a couple of hours, just trying to break the stuff loose. And then invariably I would sit there with a scrub brush cleaning them out. Yeah. And, and it's like, this isn't worth it. It's not worth, it's, it's not, not worth, worth it. the time. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but I did that for several and ended up salvaging some, but I paid for it in the, in the effort to do yeah, it. Yeah. I, so, I, get, I get it. So regardless, I had, I had a rough count about 400 of these drawers full <laughs> of all these parts <laughs> And I had a couple coin bu- buckets full of parts and boxes full of parts and a bunch of miscellaneous stuff full of parts. And I have been going over them for literal months. Yeah. Yeah. And it, an hour here, two hours there, a Saturday afternoon, a Sunday afternoon. You know, I, I have untold hours and all this. Well, I finally, finally put it all to bed. When we last, when we last spoke, I was down to basically resistors, yeah. maybe diodes. Yeah. So did you keep much of that? I honestly, mean, I didn't. Cause yeah, a lot of the, I was going to say, no, no, but you won't live long enough to count through a, a pile of resistors and nobody, nobody would, right. I'm not saying you, and nobody not, would. There's not a lot of value in it. And there's not, there's not much value in them. And honestly, diodes, they're kind of the same way. I hate, yeah. I hate to say it, but it's I gave true. the di- I kept more of the diodes yeah. than of, I, the, of the two. I would I would put more effort into them as well. Yeah, yeah. Resistor wise, there was a lot of the older, like half watt. I guess the only way to describe them, you know, the like an older resistor you'd see on an older piece of equipment, where the ends are like square cut. Mm-hmm. Yes. yes, the yes, older yes. carbon resistors uh-huh. and they're ginormous yes. because of the technology at the time. Yes. So I'd pull out a bunch of them and give them a quick one, like fan them out in my hands. Okay, well these are all the same value. Okay. Yeah. So I, I'm not I'm not sub sorting. If I, okay. if I had like there was a couple drawers that were just like randoms, and I'd give it a quick look once over and see if there was anything I wanted to onesies and twosies pick out. But honestly, at that point, wasn't worth it. Well, yeah, I get it. And a lot of that was because what I would discover is, is that I'd get out those old school carbon resistors 
and I'd look at them. Okay. These are all the same value. I throw them on a meter and they would be so far out of spec. I have no idea how carbon film resistor over time degrades like that and goes as far out of spec. I was doing the math on some of them just out of curiosity, you know, and they're like 10% and they're like 20, 25% out. I, I would, I've meant to go look it up. I just, it's not occurred to me in a while because actually I finished this up a few weeks ago. Yeah. I have to try to keep that in mind. I, I talked last show about like a shelf life of electrolytic capacitors. Yes. I had never heard. I mean, everyone, I'd always been under the impression resistors were safe. What? But I mean, these things were like, I, I'd test a couple and I'm like, circle, circle file, huh. you know, and I pull out the next group and of the bunches that I had, that's just, I'd say about 20% wow. were still in spec. And, oh, and then I, I even I, I, I even thought about do I even just worry about it? Do I just throw them away? Just, I mean, just, you know, I just done. I, you, you know how you solve that problem in the future, Mouser or DigiKey? That's how you solve that problem in the future. <laughs> well, you know, at this point, even before that, I had I have got a fairly good resistor collection. Yeah. So it just, but but anyway, so I made my way through those. I'd mentioned having a box of IC tubes that look like they were like the master copies of a lot of the proms and EPROMs for a bunch of games. <laughs> and I was, I was thinking I was just going to put them aside. Well, I ended up actually looking in the box and kind of realizing more what was there and decided just to kind of go on through them. There wasn't as many in there as I thought. Yeah. And I, I see I, by memory, I, I got, uh, there was a set for joust and I mean, th- and this is all stuff that's available. I can just, I've got copies of already. Yeah. But there was there was joust in there. There was a set of dragon la- dragon's layer, jungle king, a ton of pike. How about that? Okay. Uh, some asteroids deluxe, cent- uh, centipede pole position, and a handful of others. And for whatever reason, an inordinate number of NBA Jam EPROMs. How about that? And that not only the EPROMs but also the ASICs. <laughs> NBA Jam. And what I, what I think it was is that was the leftovers of converting NBA Jam to uh-huh. NBA Jam Tournament Edition. It probably the case. It yes. was an e- ASIC change and it was an EPROM change. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I still would love to have an, an NBA Jam. I, I really would. And and I'm, I'm still, hey man, uh, you know, hey, I, <laughs> I, 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 can, I can take the hate. The arcade 1-Up still appeals to me. It really does for the NBA, just for the NBA Jam. But uh, yeah, I get it. You know, there, well, it, for, 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 as a modern game, for being a modern game, it kind of surprises me. But then again, I mean, I really like Hydro Thunder, and it's yeah. considered that's why yeah. I have one. Yeah, and it's considered a modern game for our general genre. Yeah, so yeah. I, it's, I get it's, it. It's fun too, but yeah, I, and it's also not Donkey Kong. Was, oh man, that, 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 that just hurt. <laughs> I mean, I had you at Pulaski, I lost you at Donkey Kong. How about you that? Were, you at least had a, a foot on board the ship. Oh, Maybe yeah. one still on dock. Yeah, yeah but you yeah. had a foot in the boat. Yeah. You were almost on board yeah. with Pulaski, but. Yeah. Yeah. Every, everything it transported, but the last sneaker, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and then Donkey Kong gets, gets brought in. And it's like, boom, I'm done checking out. Sorry about it. So I'm, I am finally happy to have that behind me. And that ended up being basically all organized into the, my parts wall that's in my shop. So I've got one wall in my shop. I actually meant to drop a tape on it to give everybody an idea how big it was. I mean, it's not an inordinately large room. I mean, what do you think that is about 12 foot deep? If that, yeah. So, and it doesn't go end to end. I've got some room on the, in the corner because there's a closet door that I needed to open into that space. But I, it, but it's floor to ceiling. 
and it's full of the little bins that we don't know what to call. Yeah. And other various interesting storage solutions that I'll talk about later that, that comprise the majority of of these parts. But so, so at this point, here's where, here's where the month really started to to roll downhill. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So that, getting things into the shop basically led me to the point. And I mentioned on a, on a prior episode too, that I was struggling with the, with a new, moving myself to a new PC. Okay. All right. Yeah. So then that also brings moving over my arcade tool set and my EEPROM programmer and all the apps and everything that goes along with that. It's a lot of work. Yeah. So that led me to basically a complete clean out of my shop. Yeah. I mean, I went through everything don't feel bad because when i go through my updates i'm going to tell you why something led to something else oh, that's, and, that, and that's, that's my exactly how it yeah. goes yeah yeah and it, it gets deeper yeah so i will say that during the shop clean out uh-huh. this has brought this has brought me to the point of the show now has a prize closet which is basically my way of saying who wants some of the junk that i've got that i don't want okay so the prize closet i'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna open the prize <laughs> closet and then Shut the door to the prize closet so that everybody knows it's a it's a bona fide closet. I so love Foley work. It, it's the greatest <laughs> thing in the world, and it truly is. I could never make a living at it, but it doesn't mean I well, don't enjoy because it. No one does it anymore. That's exactly right. Oh my gosh. Yep. So what we're gonna do is is it stuff? It's it's arcade game related. It's a little um I never could. I always had trouble with the word. It's a little glitch. I was going to say tchotchke. Tchotchke. Yeah, that's a good word. Tchotchkes that are game related, like Pac-Man Band-Aids. I've got Pac-Man soap. I mean, but there's some mugs in here. Oh, there's some uh, coffee mugs. Yeah, coffee mugs, lots of stickers. You know, I'm looking at, and you know something? I have got a lot at my house that I'll contribute to the prize closet as well. I will. So what we're going to do, what you'll have in the second part of the show or our second, or our second segment. We're actually going to have should be three segments in this show, but in the, the later segment of Whitney and I will basically say, okay, well, here's this month's prize selection, and here's how you can win it. Okay. So yeah, that that's coming. So we've got now a prize closet. Um, I, I better start pulling some stuff out. So <laughs> yeah, there, that's a Marco mug. What what's the other mug? The name is escaping me of the defunct pinball company that it represents. That might be a hot topic. Oh, it's still wrapped actually in. Oh, uh, turn it around. It's oh, it's not Skip B, is it? No, no, no. I wish. <laughs> oh, I wish. Oh, wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah, to this, have a Skip B this, mug. This story is almost as good. Is but it, no, is it Highway Pinball? It's Highway. It's, is it Highway? It's what it is. Yeah, I was trying to remember the name. It's Highway. Oh yeah, it's it's a it's a full throttle mug. How about that? Yeah, we got that Ooh, at Expo, dude. Was that twenty fourteen? Yeah, twenty. That would be that. Uh, sorry, <laughs> that'd be excellent. I was about to say, as Whitney breaks it, I don't know if you heard that, but he hit the bike stand with it. I was like, it's been wrapped up in that bubble wrap. Since 24, crack. Yeah, then Whitney has it for seven seconds and tears it up. Um, I, I hate you. <laughs> I love you. I know. Uh, so, with all with all of that, uh, hey so, man, seriously, that full throttle mug that that's like yeah. I mean, that's like the. I mean, that's the gravy on that's that's the gravy well, on the biscuits right was, there, dude. Who was the help me here? The the guy that was behind full throttle, Andrew Highway. Andrew Hi- yes. Duh, Highway Pinball. Yeah, he handed. I mean, we did an interview with Andrew in this little triangular space tucked behind pinball machines. Yes, out on the uh, the show floor. 
And then uh, your Foley work is exceptional, Whitney. And I'm not doing that. Oh, maybe I am doing that on purpose. I'm sorry. Yes. And uh, uh, no one will ever know. <laughs> and he, he, so those were handed. We didn't just pick those up off of a table. They were handed to well, us by Andrew Highway himself. Th- this much is true. So there's Andrew Highway DNA on those <laughs> coffee cups. <laughs> for, for what it's worth. So, it, so anyway, so as I'm going through everything... And, and I'm working through my shop, and I'm I'm working through other parts. I really I really like bubble wrap. I, I, I don't know why, but I'm gonna go ahead and put it down. Yeah, now. put it down. Yeah, sorry. Then that worked into my adjoining laundry room, which in my laundry room I have storage, which will I'll talk about as part of my storage solution conversation later. I come to realize. Unlike normal people, I had a stash of arcade monitors in my laundry room. I had, in fact, six. Okay. What would you have? I had, there were three black and white vectors. Oh, okay. And, and I'm not as good on my vectors, my my black and white vectors as I am. I'm, I'm no good on them at all. I think it was a was a nineteen a V2000. I had a couple of V2000s. Maybe then, a Geo Five, and then whatever, and the Electra Home kind of. Yeah. So I think that was like a. G, I think you're right. I think it's a Geo Five. It's a Geo Five. Yeah. I had a really, really nice Geo Seven color raster. Ooh. That I had squirreled away in there, and a K Seven Thousand. Both of them were beautiful. Ooh. With the intention awesome. at some point in time to keep them close by, so that I could use them in a game. Mm-hmm. Never happened, and I had that I had bought new in the day a uh, um, a Hat Vision Pro still oh, in a box. Oh, oh, not a nineteen inch, a nineteen inch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I've still got a thirteen inch, whatever the thir- thirteen inch equivalent is of a forty six hundred. I think it's a forty seven hundred. Uh, good I've, question. I don't know. I decide. I sure. used to use that as my test monitor, mm-hmm. and I decided to leave that in there in case. I come across something that I have like sync issues with on my PVM mm-hmm. and it's just, th- it's a 13 inch monitor. Yeah. So now I'm like, all right, I, I, I'm, I, 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 these don't need to be in here. Yeah. I could be using this space for something that I'm, that's more useful, something yeah. that I'm in and out of more often that makes more sense to be in my laundry yeah. room. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So where does that take me? That takes me out into the garage, Whitney. Now I've got a compounded problem. Because when I, to circle back, when I transitioned out of the PC, I, I, I made another decision that was, I can't keep this PC because historically what I would do was I would take this folder of pictures and other stuff that was on my existing PC, copy it to the new PC with a good hearted intention of going through them and sorting them because I had a bunch that were sorted and a probably an equal amount that were unsorted. I'd get to them later. Mm -hmm. You know how that, well, that was three PCs ago Mm -hmm. and I keep PCs for a long time. The PC I replaced was like, I built it like seven or eight years ago. I think it was eight years ago. Okay. All right. So I keep PCs for a long time. Now I'm like, I got to quit doing this too. 
There's no reason to have two PCs sitting here, one covered in dust and taking up space because I'm using it as my air quote spare, my backup for these pictures. So then I had to go buy a NAS. Yeah, there you go. Well, welcome to my world. So now exactly. I've got a Synology NAS. Yeah. Well, you right. chose well. I will say that. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I mean, it, I didn't get a super high-end one because I, I got one that fit my needs. Yeah. It's just a, a two-disc NAS. And for, for people that don't know, NAS is Network Addressable Storage. Yeah. It sets out on your network. And it presents itself as a shared drive. And the way Synology does it, you can access it from your Android, your iPhone. I believe, you, I'm sure you can do your iPhone. You might yeah, know they, about they've, that. Yeah, they've got clients where you can access from it an from, I, from well, an iPhone. They, yeah. they do Android. I'm sure they yeah. get an iPhone. Yeah. Yep. And obviously from a Mac uh, from a Mac, and obviously from a Windows PC. Oh, yeah. Works, so, works like a champ. So now I've got this multi-disc storage device setting in a space I made in my laundry room on a shelf where all this stuff is backed up. I'm also now backing up the, sh the show uh, data. Yeah. So it's easier for me to move that stuff around. Well, what did that lead to? Well, I had to pull, pull out my shop apart again because I had to run new ethernet cables. So this is, this is this cascading yeah. thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. So now I've got all these monitors that are like, I don't, they don't need to be here. And now I've got this PC that I'm like, guess what? <laughs> I was happy about this. This isn't going to be here, Yeah. but I don't want to give it up. Because it's a Windows 7 PC. And I, one thing I've learned, hard lesson in life, as it, got, as it ha related to getting rid of old PCs, is, is that especially with the tools that we run across, the data I.O. programmers, uh, EEPROM programmers, yeah. some of the um, older uh, HP equipment, uh, they need these older PCs. They need a DOS PC. They need a PC with an ISA slot. Mm -hmm. They need something that's maybe not Windows 10 or maybe not even Windows 8. Yeah. You like know, Windows XP or, or Windows X. Yeah. yeah. Even, even the DOS that runs under, well, there's no, uh, you really got rid of that kind of that DOSy layer Do, with DOS, 98. Yeah, Windows 98. Do, Windows right? 98 was the last operating system that ran quote unquote DOS, DOS underneath. Yes. So, uh, so I'm like, all right, well, I don't want to get rid of this PC. I'll take it out and I'll put it with the rest of the PCs I'm sitting on to air quotes one day do something with. Yeah. Out in the garage. Yep. And so I'm looking at these monitors, I'm looking at this PC, I'm looking at these racks I've got out in my garage. And out in my garage, I've got probably the 1960s or 70s equivalent of like warehouse racks out there. I've got three of them. Cut think like an older school version of like the pallet racks at like a at a big box hardware store. That's what I've got out in the garage. And on the top rack, I had on one of them, I had a bunch of monitors already, some vector monitors. And on the other one, I had a bunch of stuff uh, and a bu the, this collection of PCs that I'm holding on to for some reason. I don't know. And I feel that I have to have, but eventually I'm sure I'll be like, what am I going to do with all this junk? And yeah. it'll have to go. It'll so, have to go. Yeah. so what did I do? Don't judge me, Whitney. But I stack shelves on top of shelves. Yeah. All that had to come down. Yeah. And I sent you a picture. I've got on top of one of the big racks, I've got a kind of a medium to light duty metal racking solution. And I'll talk about that later that I've used quite a bit of. Actually, it's the same type of stuff that's in my laundry room that I've got. Now I've stacked all these monitors on and I've reclaimed all this space and basically kind of cleaned it up. And I'm trying not to reclaim it in such a way that I add more junk, but at least I've kind of got everything home together. And I had 
those three black and white vector monitors I mentioned, I had two or three more that were already up there. I had two amplifone tubes in my laundry room of the six that I pulled. No, let me let me correct that. Three, four, five. It was, it, was, it was eight. It was eight monitors in my laundry room, including the new in-box one. I had a GO8, which mm-hmm. is the color black Se- and white Sega Se- vector monitor. Sega vector, yeah. I had a 6100 tube and frame. Um, all that went out, and I clustered them all together, rocked out in my garage now, up high, nice and safe, taking advantage of, you know, I went vertical with it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I've got everything all in one space and actually out from underfoot. Yeah. 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 Frankly. Where you don't have to walk around. Don't it. have to walk around it. Don't have yeah. to worry about dropping something on it. Don't yeah. have to worry about moving something on a shelf because it's up there in its own spot. I know where it's at. It's not around anything else I'm regularly interacting with. Yeah. And it's out of my way. Yeah. Yeah. It, it does the body good. It does the mind good as well. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, I'm going to, um, probably continue to organize. I, I've already got kind of my mind's eye on what the next thing is. And, uh, since I'm on this, this tear, if you will, to, to organize and open up boxes and to reevaluate what I've got, the next thing that I'm looking at is, and I've talked about this on the show before is my console and Commodore collection. Okay. Yeah. So my plan now is, is I've got some like eight foot folding tables Uh and I'm going to drag them down here into the game room slash studio. Yeah. Now that I've got a a span before we have to get together again in this space. Yeah. And I'm going to set, I'm going to line the tables up through this room in front of the pins and I'm going to go in there and start getting boxes, start opening boxes going through because I've got stuff I've already organized kind of like the, that that picture folder yeah, yeah. I got stuff I've already organized and I've got stuff of to be organized yeah and yeah. I'm gonna see what I got yeah oh, and yeah. figure it all out I can't wait you've got to send me pictures oh please, I will please please yeah I'm, I'm gonna it, th- that's got to happen yeah so yeah I'm looking forward to that and, so. and then also in the middle of all that yeah I tore up and replaced my kitchen floor because I was bored so that happened too so that that's got to be a Wednesday Thursday project, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, just two days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I, honestly, to be not to get too far. Well, I know we do this, but what it is, what it is. Not to get too far off topic. It was only. I've still got to do the quarter round, mm-hmm. but it was a. It was about a three day project. Yeah. It had, it was two layers of linoleum and a layer of tile. We tore that out. A friend of mine and I we tore that out um, on a Saturday. And then basically it was what it was on, on Sunday. Oh, Sunday, my good friend that does flooring come over and evaluated it for any issues. There was a Luon floor, subfloor down kind of lock that was underneath that tile. And that's that I just took it down to that layer. And, uh, um, he came back Monday morning with a sander to knock down the remaining product that was left from the, whatever. I don't know what it's called. It's not, it's gr- you put grout between tile, uh-huh. but whatever product they use was also the same thing. They, the underlayment, I don't think that's grout. I don't know much about tile. Regardless, there was some of that left. None of it was done right because it literally, 
uh, popped up. I could take a, pr- a flat pry bar and go, these were like 12 by 12 tiles. Yeah. And I could bring them up like full tiles and sheets of three. Oh, I mean, oh, wow. Yeah. It was, it was way wrong. Yeah. Okay. You know, I gotcha. so there was a few places that fought me, but for the most part, it was just tap under and just push and yeah. pop. Yeah. Anyway, that, so he wanted to sand down that. So we did that Saturday or Monday morning. And then one of his guys came in right behind him late morning and they were done by three. Yeah. That's awesome. Put the new floor down. Yeah. Good. So it was about that. It was three days ish. Yeah. And then a clean, then I cleaned, cleaned through the night. Cause there was, I sealed off the the rest of the house, the uh, points of egress from the, the kitchen. Yeah. So there was a little dust that got through, but the kitchen was wiped out. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I get that. And we've, we've got, I mean, we've got, uh, you've been through this. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. 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 I've yeah. been through this and getting ready to do more of it. So it's, what can you say? You know, uh, it, I don't know. it's when, the privilege. It's the privilege. Yeah. You know, going through some of the game stuff, you and I've talked about this and I've mentioned it on the show pre COVID. We, I, I've re- and I still want to do this. A, um, like a, uh, an arcade flea market. You know, I've got, I've got a, a place where it could be done. I've got already got several people here in town that have stuff that they would be willing want want to sell. And it's an attractive idea to, to advertise it and have people kind of come knowing what's going to be there. It's going to be arcade. It's going to be pinball. It's going to be video game. It's going to be full games. It's going to be parts. And and doing that is a lot easier to, to deal with the small parts and even some of the bigger things that depending on the game, you know, or if you got empty cabs and people want empty cabs, it's easier to deal with that if you can get everybody to kind of come together. Mm-hmm. I mean, that I've done stuff like that in the past pre Facebook and the, the flea market thing that SFGE had a couple years ago, mm-hmm. that really hit home for me. I mean, it was, that was a ball. It, oh, was, it was, it was nice and it was fun. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was a, I admit it was a pain cause I took a lot of stuff and I put a lot of time, which was okay. This was on me. I took a lot of boards and I, it made me, it made me go through and clean out and test and verify. And, but I, it was easier for me as an individual trying to lighten my load to have, let's just be honest, have people come to me and talk to them and interact with them individually and hand them this and away it goes versus someone that I'm, I don't know what's going to happen if I ship it to Berea and yeah. that's in the state versus yeah. if I ship it to California. Yep. yep. Yeah. We're there. Yeah. So I still want to do that, but I wanted to do it the end of 19. And then we, we ended up looking at the front of 20 of 20 because of just the way things worked out with the facility I was looking at using. And then we all know what happened in, in, in March, in yeah. March. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, I'd like to do it again. Cause th- I, I, that's a, that's another thing uh, just going through part a lot well not part all of my my parts collections because I'll I'll never use all this stuff and I'm just it's just sitting here yeah 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 you know well I'm I'm part I'm I mean I'm not in the exact same situation but I'm not <clears throat> far from the same situation mm-hmm. quite honestly so I th- there's things that I could easily get rid of and there's a few things that I probably need to pick up but I I would definitely aim on 
divesting uh, 70%. Oh, I get it. <laughs> when it when it comes to all that. Yes. Well, I'm looking at stuff like I have an an unbelievable array. And this is from buying out operators. Yeah. I mean, 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. You know, that I, I was lucky enough to get in a position where I could do this a few times. I have, you've seen it. I've got an array, for example. I mean, I don't know how many of new old stock leaf switch buttons, mm-hmm. oh, the yeah. Wicko buttons. Yeah. I mean, the good stuff. Yeah. That, you know, various lengths, various colors. I've got tons of them. Yeah. People would love to have those because I remember before I had access to these, Bob Roberts had a big selection and I bought, I've still got a bunch of them. I bought tons of them. Because I just wanted, I liked the feel of the the original stuff better than the, what was being produced at the time. Yeah, you know the night the but the really nice wickle buttons that were held together with an e clip. Yep, and I, so I bought a bunch of them, various lengths and, and colors, just so I had them. Yeah, and I've still got some of those. Yeah, yeah. I know people would love to have them for restorations, but how do how do you as an individual with a bunch of those deal with? All right, you need six buttons. Yes. I, I want to get you six buttons, but I don't want to sell you and 18 other people three to six buttons and ship them across the country. I know. I, I can't do pain. that. It's a pain. Yeah. Oh, it's such a pain. So yes. do, do I have, do, do I participate in a flea markety type situation? Like come to me, here's yeah. my stuff. Yeah. Or do I sell it all out to like an arcade shop or something? Yeah. What do I do? Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think the flea market's the best way to go because you, because the, the people who want it will be there and you can get, you can get a lot of quality merchandise to people who realize what it is and yeah. will pay and will pay fair price for it. Uh, not to say that maybe you couldn't make more if you were to sell it on eBay or sell it on Clove or but something like that. Your time's figured in there, but your time, on the your time yeah. is just whatever whatever premium you get on the money, you lose it on your time. Yeah. So I, I still think that a local flea market would be a good way to go. I mean, even if I did a rough count or not, well, not a rough. Even if I did an exact count and and did one of the the fl- the eBay listings where okay, pick your color and pick your number. How yeah, many do you want? But still. You you got to put that stuff in boxes. You got to print the labels. You got to seal I, you'll it. You'll invariably gotta, get somebody restoring a game uh-huh. and they'll want, or say it's uh well, scramble's got four. That's not even something like an asteroids, uh, just something that's just got maybe two buttons. Like just like the, the player one and player two buttons for a Pac-Man. Yeah. They want maybe two white short leaf switch buttons. Yeah. Uh, okay. You know, Okay, I, that's cool. I'd love to sell them to you, but you're right. Now I got to go find a package for yeah. Yes, yeah, so I got to find a bag. I got to find a box. Yeah, and and I'm I'm not complaining about it. It's just that a lot of people don't factor that that sunk time into it. And then for whatever you sell those two buttons for, and then after eBay takes their seven percent, and then uh, you know PayPal takes their three percent, mm-hmm. then you're, <laughs> and then you pay for postage, and or yeah, you know, or everybody expects things to be shipped free nowadays. It's just, I, I mean, you're you're just working yourself down. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So so I'm setting I'm setting on it, knowing that they're that that it's stuff that will it will be usable. It's just a matter of how do I get it eventually yeah. back out into yeah. the world. Yep, 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 for sure. So anyway, all right. 
Well, yay. Well, <laughs> I'll tell you, again, you know the the the, ar- <laughs> the problems of the arcade collector, but uh, my my updates are different, but not that dissimilar. How, how about that? So let, let me let me get into this. So number one. Uh, my pin shop 2020 it, it it continues on so how did you how did you um say that double still still broken <laughs> yeah so i am double, still still double broken. I, I, I am double <laughs> still still shopping i guess is the best way to say it uh you would you'd think uh, or w- would you think that shopping pins could ever drag on or stretch oh, out yes. this long and it's like oh, uh-huh. yeah, oh yeah, yeah yeah it most certainly does and at my house it has um, the good thing about- I, I'm worn out on doing, I, I didn't, this was last year because yeah. I took them to expo in March Yeah, when I did, and it's chronicled on the show. When I did those two high speeds back to back, yeah, I, I, I had held on to them for the longest time because I knew I needed and wanted, it'd be best to do them at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. No, those were getaways. Oh, get, those were two, no, getaways. two getaways. Thank yeah, you. Yep. But I also didn't get to them because I knew I'd have to do both of them at the same. I wanted to do both of them at the same time. Mm-hmm. And it, it's like, I don't, I, I, I don't want to do, I don't want to turn another screw on another pin. Yeah. Still. For, for a while. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So I can only imagine. I, trust me. Trust me, dude. I totally get it. And, and then to add in the whole debacle with my Tron in the glass. And after I'd finished Tron and, you know, I, I went into that in uh, you know, ad nauseum last month. The great thing is I got it all cleaned up. Uh, people will say, oh, you'll be finding glass in the bottom of that game for the next three years. I, I am here to tell you today, Brent. <laughs> no, no, I will not. not. Okay. <laughs> I can I can systematically guarantee the answer to that question is no, because I cannot tell you how many times I vacuumed it out and I stopped vacuum. I stopped the vacuum treatment when the last three to five times of vacuuming, I was not pulling anything out of the cabinet. Okay, mm-hmm. so I, I was I was I was running it dry. How about you that? You over vacuumed. I, I over vacuumed. Yeah, yes, I did, and. I did not take the play field out and shake it like I had to do my Ghostbusters <laughs> way back when, but, but, you, <laughs> but, but I effectively did that. Okay. When it comes to play field up, play field down, take stuff off the top of the play field, take stuff off the bottom. Again, I, I don't want to do a repeat of last, you know, last month's, uh, update, but ultimately I did get that, uh, finished. And I've, uh, the only thing that I have left to do on Tron is I just need to, uh, I just need to do a good a good novice treatment on it after mm-hmm. after it has been vacuumed and wiped and poked and prodded and, and everything like that. But that's that, that's something that doesn't really take all that long to do. Uh, so so Tron, quote unquote, good to go, and I'm so thankful. Uh, and the great thing about it is it, it fired up and it blew no fuses. Nothing, no coals melted. I didn't have anything. Uh, I didn't have anything <laughs> touching because glass was wedging something together. You know, I, I didn't. Nothing melted down. Everything worked. I will say this though, it, and I don't know if I've mentioned this on the last episode or not, uh, but I did have to take the recognizer assembly completely apart because it had glass mm-hmm. all down in it. I think. I think I. Said I think you that, said you I, were I, looking at it, thinking there's no way, and then you did. And then there I was. did. Then I thank you, and yeah. I did, and it was yes, and I so. I got the recognizer all back and you know what, Brent, I was so happy with myself because you know what the recognizer did? 
it worked. So, <laughs> it worked. I, so I was so happy. You know, it went up, it went down, the motor turned, everything did, everything worked exactly like it should. And I was like, oh, is this, a part, is this a part where you say you played your first game, had an air ball and broke the glass? <laughs> well, I, I mean, then, I, then, I, then it, I systematically chucked it out of the house. But no, I, I mean, I did all the switch tests, all the, all the switch tests, everything was good. And I've done this numerous times just to make sure the game is 100% solid. So I, I think once I get the glass, glass back in once i novice it and then put the glass back in it i'm i'm good and speaking of the glass uh my invisiglass from jersey jack uh did show up so i was very happy about that and i do want to give a just a small shout out to uh, barry angler in their customer service department barry was uh just absolutely fantastic in how he worked with me and uh and how he took care of me on the replacement glass and what he charged me for it and everything like that. I know I said something about that last episode, but just to kind of put a bow on it. Um, one thing I did do though, Brent, is I ordered some more silicone rings, uh, rubbers, I guess, if you want to call them that. They're, they're, for, it's addicting, Titan. isn't it? Oh, it is addicting. And here's the pro here's the problem that I've got is I shopped I, when I shopped Tron, I did it in clear. Okay. When I shopped Ghostbusters, I did it in glow. And then I'm looking at doing my Star Trek, and uh, in so I've got Star Trek and Iron Man left to go. And I'm sitting there looking at Star Trek, and it's and I'd ordered blue for Star Trek, and I thought, you know what, that blue will look really good. But then I look at Tron, and it, because it's clear, it's so. I mean, everything's just like lit up, and everything's just beautiful. And I'm sitting there thinking, it's like. I want Star Trek to be that beautiful. So it's like, I need to... So I ordered clear for I both Star Trek. Yeah, it, it, trust me, it's it's going to look really good. So, and and I'm going to do Iron Man and clear as well. So I the am. games that I've done yeah. is uh, Back to the Future. Yeah. What did I do before Back to the Future? Was that the first... That might have been the first one I did. Okay. Definitely Back to the Future. I've done... Episode one, and then okay. there's two getaways. Okay, and I, I basically kind of I chose individual rings of colors to match that area in the playfield. Oh, that's how you did that. Okay, but gotcha. I can see where, like, with a with a Tron and a Star Trek, where you could go all that clear. Oh yeah, yeah. It's I going, can it's, see that. It's going all clear. And trust me, on I, the on Tron, it's. Beautiful. Yeah. And I could see going either way on, on Ghostbusters. You, yeah. you match to the area or you go with a glow across I, the I whole did, thing. I did all glow and, it, and it, it came out really well. So are those black light reactive or are they just, do they charge with like... They, 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 char they charge with regular light is, okay. is what they do. Uh, so... so is if if you got some light on, then they'll glow. Otherwise, they they've got they're kind of like a I don't know, kind of like a malty kind of green color. Well, I mean, you, you know what glow in the dark color yeah. is, yeah. And that's what color they are. Do you it, have a black light? Can you throw one under a black light just to see if it reacts? Uh, yes, yes, I have, and it does. Oh, because uh, yeah. like if you look where mine is versus I've got all there's one, two, three, four. It just in the main part of the game room, yeah, four four foot blacklight fixtures, and then there's another one in the back here, yeah. So, but there's one right over my Ghostbusters. It would, it would, it would look good on it would look good on Glow. I, mm. I will say that, and I'll add it to my list of things I'm not doing. Fair, fair <laughs> enough, fair enough. It, the list of make, things you want to do, but you're not going to do. Yeah, mm, yeah, yeah. Now the thing is, is. Uh, 
it really makes me wish now that I had gone clear on my Batman 66. Uh, I went black with it because it came with black rubber. See, that looks so like I a just, game to me. That looks like a game. I definitely color match. Yeah. And, and, and I'm sitting there looking at it and I, I flip flopped so bad on it so hard on it and ultimately i just went back with a color because it just seemed because black just seemed to suit that because there's a lot of black outlines in the play field the armor's black it just black just seems to look right for that game on which game batman, batman 66, 66. yes okay. yeah and when i shopped acdc it came with black rubbers and against my better judgment now i went back with black <laughs> see what i did <laughs> oh, I see what you did there see what i did there I went uh, I went black on it and I I almost went red but I went ahead and went black with it and I, I, I honestly it, I think it if looks you, it looks as good as it did I think if you did red on that it's almost too it's much too, I was it's gonna say, too much that would be to color match that it would almost be all red it, yeah and I think see, that would be too much yeah it, that, that yeah. game that game's got three colors it's got red black and yellow mm-hmm. and yellow's not going to work because it'll it'll look so grungy yep. fairly quickly red is just it's just too much too red much. and it's like well then black's the only I think option a, I I've think, got I think a, I think a black all the way around is the way to go on y- that yeah there, there's no doubt and Iron Man is very Iron Man is very uh, bright and it only has really two primary colors, red and yellow. Um, the playfield's got a lot of blue in it. I, maybe I could go blue, but there's nothing about Iron Man that, that think, makes me think blue. So it, it's really either red or yellow, and yellow doesn't work. So it's red or black or clear. And I, I think actually just because there's so much blue on the playfield, like there is a Star Trek, I'm going to do clear on it as well. And I think it'll work out. But anyway, I say all of that because what did I do? I just spent. I just ordered more from Titan. It, I, I, I order so much from Titan, it, it almost kind of depresses me, but I really love their products. So <laughs> it's one of oh, those I'm things. telling you. Yeah, I yeah. know it's, uh, I've, I've looked at them, even like with the getaways. Yeah. I, I knew that I was going to sell them. Yeah. I, had, I had just decided at yeah. that point. But you still want to put the Titan and, stuff on it. And so. I, I looked at what, what uh, so before I went in and spent all the time walking through all the rubbers and all the locations and in deciding what colors I want and spending that time, I went to Titan's website and looked in their database where people had already put together kits. Yeah, oh yeah. Just to get a quick idea of what the cost would be versus just a straight out kit from like a Marco. A Marco, or just a straight rubber kit and, from and Marco. It's it's not it's not significant, but it's not insignificant. It costs more. It does cost more. And And, and I still did it because I looked at it as I'm doing this. I like to do things right. Uh And to me, that's a that's that's a that's That's a doing it right for the game. That's exactly right. Longevity you'll get out of that. That is exactly right. So it's one of those scenarios you get what you pay for. uh, And in Titan, I know there's others that people may they may like super super bands brand. They may like uh, pinball life's rings, which I've not used, so I can't really comment one way or the other. I've just settled on Titan, and I just 
I just Isn't like, I just like what they have. Life, don't they sell Superman? They do, but they also have a, a new line of silicone don't do rubbers. Yeah, yeah, they they do. And you've so, got me. Th- you've you get you've got me to think about that because I did this on I did this on a show long ago because I'd say silicone. Yeah, yes, but it's silicone. It's silicone. Oh, no, it's you're silicone. correct. Yeah, you're yeah. It's, yeah, I, I yeah, yep. So I, the only reason I know about Pinball Life though is because I've got TNA and TNA is everything that. Every part you need for TNA, well, not, most, most, if not almost all parts that you need for TNA, it may be all, um, mechanical parts anyway, you can get through Pinball Life, and the bands that are on TNA are Pinball Life's house brand bands, silicone brand, uh, silicone bands. I was just looking to see if yeah, I could I find... Forget, I forget the name of them, um, but, but it, it doesn't matter, uh, but... It, I mean, I went with Titan, and, and that's that's kind of just where that's at. So, uh, again, no, nothing nothing against Pinball Life at all in their products. I mean, perfect or, play, perfect play. That's Thank you, perfect play, play. perfect yep. play. I thought it started with a P. Silicone, silicon, whatever. Silicone, yeah. Silicone rubber rings. That's it. Perfect play. Thank you. So I so I ordered a spare set of those for my TNA just to have them, uh, just in case something snapped or whatever. I have it on hand, but I I've standardized on Titan for everything else, and yeah. it's like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna mix so so anyway so uh, trying hopefully out of the way it's like get back to finishing up the other I, i've for me i've standardized on titan uh-huh. and coin taker yeah yeah that, that's that's yeah. me it's I, i'm titan for for rings and i'm coin taker for lights and that's that's just how it is and I, and falling out we've, we've talked about that it, on, on the show like the leds i keep a sample box oh, yeah. of the leds that oh, i like I've got, I've got a lot so i could do my color matching well i've got spares too but i also have a particular box that is the 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 lamps that i like in the in the bay in a in a forty seven in a wedge and a bayonet base yeah, forty seven yeah, exactly. and a five 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 yep uh, of all the colors yeah okay so gotcha. that's that's how I color match and then I, I've had an occasion where uh, they've introduced something or whatever and I'll I'll buy I'll add that in an order I'll I'll buy I'll augment my box mm-hmm. I'll buy one of yeah all of them yeah no that so. that's that's a good way to do it I I, I mean. Honestly, LEDs now are a little passe simply because all new games are coming LED'd. So you're, you're in a mm-hmm. position where you really only need LEDs for older games now at this point. So, um, I, I mean, I've got a fair inventory of them as well, but I don't, I mean, I don't really have uh, the oldest game that I've ever had is a high speed and I've sold it. So, I mean, my ACDC, I've, uh, I have LED'd my Tron, I have LED'd and, yeah, I've got more than I need, but I'm with you, Coin Taker all the way. Mm-hmm. So there, there's there's no doubt about it. Uh, the only other, I guess, really big update that I've got here, Brent, is I, I want to revisit the 3D printing topic because I just go rub it in. Uh, that's not okay. It may it may come across <laughs> that way. It's not intended I that way. Severe, okay, I have I have seriously considered so that I could get past some of the technology hump. Yeah. That, that, gaps when i bought a printer and you bought a printer yeah i have seriously considered buying a new printer like yours you should and then like keeping the old one to maybe one day backfill Uh or just i I could even sell it well because there's nothing wrong with it there's nothing wrong i get that there's nothing wrong with it but what you could do which is what i'm thinking about doing is get you your you've got a cr10s correct yes that has got a that has got a bigger build volume than the Ender Three Pro, mm-hmm. and 
I would take that CR-10S and I'm even going to see if I can find one somewhere where one might still be in stock and pick one up and mod the living daylights out of it and turn it into a really, really good larger frame, larger format 3D printer. Now, that being said, it would take a little bit of work to get it quote unquote modern and current, so to speak, but it would be worth it because we're in a lot of these mods. They don't cost that much money. I mean, you're talking like a a, a new gear driven extruder, 22 bucks. Yep. You know, a filament run out, a good, a good filament run out sensor, $20. You're talking about for this, for mine or for for yours? No, no. Well, they work for either one, but but I'm talking for specifically for the CR 10 S. So if you were going to hold on to that and then kind of back day, kind of put it, on the back burner and then build it up yep. over time. Uh, well, dude, I've already, I've, already cha- I've already changed over the extruder gear. I've already, I've, I've put a lot of that stuff on there. Okay. I just need to, it, it, to be honest with you, if I did anything, I'd probably keep the stock, the stock nozzle and hot end and stuff on it. Yeah. But I, I would, where I had my most, the most of my issues was, um, the, uh, the filament feed. Okay. Because, and to get into the weeds a little bit, your, your two main different, platforms uh-huh. is you've got what's called a Bowden tube. Bowden is, yours, tube. is yours Bowden tube? Mine is Bowden, but I have upgraded to the PTFE tube. So okay. yeah, yeah. So that, that's a, that's a much stouter, much, um, much improved Bowden tube material is so, what it is. Yeah. B- but basically what ends up happening is, is the stepper motor that forces your filament into the, into the nozzle where it gets hot and it gets <laughs> extruded out into your build plate, into your piece. Uh-huh. It is a distance away from that the uh-huh. hot end yes. where that where that melting and that extrusion occurs, uh-huh. and it is fed over through, through, this, through tube. this tube. Yeah, you looking at it, you would never think it would work. Yeah, it's yeah, <laughs> and so you you can if you just you know like there's quick upgrades to that, which is the 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 connectors that end the tube uh-huh. that connect into the hot end and connect into the, where the stepper is for the extruder yeah. that have more teeth yeah. that hold that tube in yeah. so that it's less likely to all push apart to, to pop out. Yeah. yeah. It, then the, the alter, the alternative is direct drive where the stepper motor that pushes that filament. That's where you go. Is mounted on the hot end itself. Uh, then you've then you've only got like a, a two inch section. Of yeah, tube. and it, it jams it straight it's in. Straight there. in. There's no way it, for it, it to get. It's much up. more precise, mm-hmm. and there's there's less slop in the system. And yeah. So yeah, if I'd probably jump to a direct drive. Yeah. And then continue continue to just work with it from there yeah, anyway yeah yeah well i think it's i think it's a good printer i think it's a great printer platform it's it was probably produced at a time where it needed a little more tlc to get quote unquote what i'd say kind of air quotes finished mm-hmm. and i think the ender 3 pro um is is one of those printers that it just came along at the right time where it had enough improvements to where it was out of the box, just easier to live with. Okay. But I mean, Brent, if you look at the Ender 3 Pro and the CR-10S, I mean, they're, they're 90% the same printer. It's, it's just, there's some changes around, you know, there's some changes around the frame. There's some updates and and this and that. But anyway, if you look at the line of Creality printers over time, it's an evolution. It it is an an evolution. And the thing is, is that there's a few of them that are numbered and a few of them that are named. But at the end of the day, if you you kind of squint, they all, they all, they all kind of look the same. 
You're a cousin. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So you're right. Yeah, it's exactly. Yeah, it, it's one of those things. It's like, it's like looking at a row of Corollas. That's what, <laughs> it's, what it's like looking at. A so, row of Corollas. Yeah, so, you know, a 1984 Corolla or a 1987 Corolla or a 1992 Corolla. Where did you Corolla? buy your printer from? And maybe you don't want to say because it would. I have no problems. I bought it on Amazon. So okay, straight up on Amazon? Just straight up on Amazon is where, is where I bought it. And, uh, you know, I probably shopped it and Amazon was, was the. The, the way that I went, two hundred and thirty six dollars. There you go. So the the thing is, is that with my Ender three Pro, I, it, it's it, I've got it to the point where it's a workhorse. I mean, I've got it dialed in really well. I can crank stuff out pretty much twenty four by seven, just back to back to back, and so it works really well. But what I will say is a hashtag or pro tip for anybody who is three D printing or thinking about getting into three D printing, you have. You have got to get what's called a PEI build surface or PEI build plate. And this is a flexible metal build plate, and it is a upgrade over the mag over what, what's called the, the mag plate or the magnetic build surface, which those degrade over time. Trust me. The the hot nozzle in the in the um So the magnetic build surface that the intention there was it, it's flexible, right? And it's magnetic. It it's sticks, magnetic. It, it sticks to a platen. Yeah. It prints to it and then you can just peel it off, peel it off. And then as, as it, since it's flexible, you can pe- peel it away from your, you, you can, you can peel it away from, from that magnetic sheet. Okay. But I mean, you, but since it's flexible itself, once you can peel it off the piece that you printed, that right? is correct. Yes. So that, you, that is correct. But, but the problem with the magnetic, uh, with those magnetic build plates is that or, or the surface that goes over the build plate think of it as almost like a sheet that goes over the build plate mm-hmm. so it's a sheet that sits in between the magnet and what you're printing okay and the problem is is that that degrades over time because you, it, it it's easy to crease it's easy to bend it's easy to poke a hole into mm-hmm. it's almost like a it's almost like a high-grade magnetic fabric or almost like a plastic fabric a sheet and so if it gets if if it gets too hot and let's say you you poke a, a it, you know you peel it off the, the printer and it's still hot and you accidentally poke on it too hard well it will like permanently deform okay and, and so you, they're they're expendable those build plates are expendable and you have to maintain an inventory of them because you cannot put a deformed plate back down and get a good print the next time around yep um so uh, learning that lesson, I have then shifted over to what's called a PEI build plate, and that is a metal a metal surface plate, but it's mag- it's magnetic on one side. So when the print is done, you lift the plate up off the printer mm-hmm. with with your printed item still on the plate, and then it's flexible. And all you have to do is just give it the slightest little twist, and, it and pops then, off. then whatever you printed just pops off. Done. I it, mean, it's like it's like done. When I started, looking- oh, I'm sorry, it's like this. <laughs> done okay you like that it's here i'm gonna do that again done all right whitney is the the foley artist extraordinaire <laughs> well it, it has made that big of a difference in my satisfaction with working with the printer now i'm not going to say that, that they're not that they're not consumable as well because they will eventually wear out because you'll, you'll gouge it. You'll hit it with something. Mm -hmm. Um, it gets stained over time and you can clean it with isopropyl alcohol and things like that and kind of restore it. But after, you know, after a 
I don't know, 200 prints, you're going to wear down a spot, especially if like you, you home all your prints in the center of the bed. So that center of that PEI plate is going to wear just a little faster. But how much than money are you talking else. about here? $12, thirteen $13. Yeah. yeah. So it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. It, I bring all this up. It's to consumable. Say it's consumable. It's, it's way cheaper than the filament. You're not having to replace it this often. Bingo, bingo. Yes. And it and it is the type of consumable that produces a superior product. So when you do get back into this, Brent, get yourself a PEI build plate because it's going to make it's going to make a lot of the, a lot of difference. And you'll you'll thank me later. Um, I still need to install my auto bed leveling sensor. I haven't done that yet. I went with uh, the Easy ABL from TH3D, and I did not get a BL Touch. Um, and, and I'll be quite honest with you. I have been looking into what I want to get as my next printer because I want something <laughs> with a bigger <laughs> build surface than the Ender 3 Pro. So the it, Ender 3 is 220, 220 by 250 millimeter. Yeah. What's yeah. the CR10? Yeah. Look at the CR10. I thought the CR10 was 300 by 300 by, uh, I, I don't know. Let me look. I can't remember. Yeah, I, I can't. I can't remember either. But I thought it was. I thought it was three hundred. Creality Store has it for three ninety five. Okay. Um, and and so there's there's this whole scenario where I have started to kind of run into the build surface limitations of the Ender three on on doing some prints or if you're filling up you the print build, a Millennium Falcon. What are you doing? Well, here's the thing. If you want to print like five or six of the same thing, then you have to get everything spaced out. You yeah. have to, you have to account for how much build area do I have in the, the Ender three is not a problem for printing one thing. It's really not a problem for printing two things, but if you want to maximize your time and print seven things, then it becomes a problem. Okay? So you're, you're 220 by 220 by 250 millimeter. Okay. So, um, so let's see, 220 for, for us here, millimeter, 220 millimeter to inches is eight, six. Okay. So you're about, uh, eight, six, eight, six by roughly nine, yeah, okay. nine inches, nine yeah. inches. So nine mm. inches vertical, vertical. Yeah. And so that sounds about right. The, well, CR10S right. is 300, 300, 400. That's it. 300, 300, 400. That, I mean, that's significant. That's a significant um, step up. There, there's no doubt about it. Mm -hmm. So, so with that, you know, I, I'm trying to figure out what I want my next printer to be. I, I mean, Brent, I will tell you um, the, the YouTube video or the YouTube channels that I mentioned, uh, the one that I have found to be my favorite out of all of them now is Teaching Tech. And it, gentlemen's his name's Michael. I, I know we've talked about this on prior episodes, but I'm kind of revisiting this topic because out of everything that I watch, it's him and Lars Christensen. Lars works for uh, Autodesk and does Fusion 360 tutorials. And Michael in Australia He's he's like the best 3D print channel that I've seen, and he reviews a lot of printers, and uh, and even some custom printers. And he has reviewed a a style of printer called a Core XY printer. Go look it up, and it is it is really what I would like to have as my next as my next printer. And you're talking like you could you could print like Vision's arm, you know, like in <laughs> Avengers: Age of Ultron, where they're 3D printing Vision, and it's like, oh, they're printing his arm. Is that and just it's that's like, just Core X Y? Core X Y. It's yes. actually like no space. It's not like Core Space X Space Y. It's Core X Y printer. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and and it it operates on a completely different set of principles than than our than your 
your quote unquote it your standard printers. Magic. <laughs> well, it may look like that, but um, but the nice thing about it is, and not to not to delve into all of that, you can go look at Core XY, and then you'll you'll see exactly the the differences. But ultimately, it 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 affords a much larger build volume, and it would be the printer that you would want if you were going to print like costume parts or if you're going to print uh you know, large like large high volume uh high volume prints so anyway, i see very, kit. Very, very interesting does it come as like an unassembled kit yes yeah most core xy's are at this point are unassembled kits that you have to that you have to do yourself and and they're they're getting up into money you're talking six seven eight hundred nine hundred dollars yeah for i was a core trying XY to find printer. a price on a kit yeah yeah they're uh, they're sub one thousand dollars for for a core xy i don't think i'm there yet but i can see as I continue on with this, that I can I can see the merits of going of going that route eventually. You should just get a resin printer. Just get, with, be done with just it. Just be done with it. Th- trust me, there's there's merit to that thought as well. There <laughs> seriously is. Well, and here's the thing, Brent. The reason that I say that, and the only reason that I say that, is because the more you work in Fusion 360 and the more confidence you get with that and the more that you start to realize that if you can draw it, you can print it, and if you can print it, you'll have it, then it becomes empowering is what it does. So over the last month, okay... I'm looking at some of your drawings. I, ha- I have been drawing in Fusion 360, and let me tell you, it is so satisfying. I have fallen in love with working in Fusion 360. Now, here's the thing. Uh, there's a there's a struggle with Fusion 360 because it's it's complex and it's a bit hard to learn because you have to think in layers and you have to think in order of operations and you have to think in how you're going to plan out your drawing and what you're going to do and you have to be very considerate of how how you're going to make your drawing and most everything is really just a collection of geometric shapes lines and circles <laughs> it really is yeah. that, that's that's all it is and, tr- and you're, you're applying one to another that's like in, in some cases where you're um oh my gosh um what what you're subtracting one from another to get when you extrude and yeah t- is that no, what you're talking like you're like if you um if you want a concave shape you might take a, a sphere and impose oh, you, it into your it, object. That, that's exactly right. You're you doing may, a Boolean you, operation on the two. That's, yeah, that's it. Yeah, so you may take a circle to create an arc and then pull mm-hmm. something out. So uh, what I have done over the past month, two months, whatever it may be, is I've gone through and I have created, uh, I, I've done. I've kind of taught myself fusion by creating three different, three different parts, all pinball parts. Okay. And I'm studying them now. Oh, fair enough. Fair enough. And I will have these in the show notes. I I think it's, I think it's actually pretty neat to see. The first one is I've created my own back box speaker rings and I've done it for both my Sam games and my spike games. Okay. Um, the second one is, uh, so what do you do? Why, why, why did I do this? Yes. Is that, is that coming with the second one and the third one? Well, the second and the third one actually solves a problem. The first one, I just I, I just wanted to do because I wanted the color. You know, I wanted color in the back oh, box. Oh, okay. okay. So that's, that's okay. You yeah. weren't making those so that you could then put cut out something and put something in it. You just wanted a different color. I just wanted color. Yeah, I just wanted color for my speakers, okay? Because when... because you, know you can get spray paint at Walmart, right? Yeah, but, that, just, yeah, but, but, but this was way more fun, okay? Now, it was it was a time suck. I'll, I'll, I'll give it that. It was a time suck. And, and, and I'll get in... 99 yeah. cents at Walmart. Yeah, done and done. But, uh, but no, I mean, I ordered all my filament. I printed these in red and yellow and blue and purple. Like, I put purple in Ghostbusters. You know, I put red in, I put red in my EC 
ACDC. I put uh, yellow, or orange in my Tron. And let me tell you, it's just those little accents that just give it that that just little finished. It gives it that just that much more finished look. And trust me, I'm all about the visual acuity and, mm-hmm. and the visual appeal. So this kind of stuff I really like. Um, and, and Brent, if you look down in the show notes, you'll see a picture of like one of the speaker rings, like kind of installed. But I, oh, but, is it further down? Yeah, it's further okay, down. I'm but going. I'll get into that. So speaker, so back box four inch speaker rings. I, I drew those up and, and printed those. The second thing is uh, something that I was running into when I was shopping my Ghostbusters, and I did not realize that this was happening on my machines until I really, really got down and look at it. But uh, when I would take the metal apron, you don't see this on a plastic apron machine, but you see it on a metal apron machine. You pull the metal apron off in the edge of the apron where it meets with the play field. If you look, if you just can't yourself down at about a solid 30 degree angle and shine a light on it, you can see where that metal apron is eating into the clear coat. Oh, yeah. On, bo- oh, yeah. on both sides of the play field. OK, mm-hmm. and it and, and I, I mean, n- not that for anybody that would ever buy my Ghostbusters in the future. But it, it was eating on my Ghostbusters pretty bad. Oh, okay. was it? Oh, yeah, 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 pretty bad. So as I, so this is the reason why, Brent, it takes me months to shop my machines. Because I run into a problem, <laughs> and it's like, I need to solve this problem before I put this machine back together. So what I did is I got my ruler out and got my got my calipers out and I designed something called an apron, an apron edger. I almost said that backwards, an apron edger. (laughs) And what this does is uh, I've got, it's a distinct part for a left, for the left-hand side of the apron and the right-hand side of the apron. But essentially what it is, and Brent, you can see it on my Batman 66 right there, is it installs under the lip of the apron, accounts for the, uh, accounts for the pegs that hold the apron down. And then you just sent your apron right back down, just like, just like nothing was there. And Brent, I I went through and I I measured for ball, I counted for ball travel, like where the ball hits the apron, these sit right underneath that. So they don't interfere with the ball or anything, but it gives it, it, number one, it does give a color accent, which is, Hey, that, that, (laughs) That is high on Whitney's list, you know, because I put red on my Batman 66. I put purple on my Ghostbusters. It looks real good. Brent, I'm going to print you out a set for your Ghostbusters and bring them with me next month because you really need a set of these. And I'm going to be so jealous of the the print quality. Yeah. Oh, trust me, Brent. If I'm printing them. Oh, I know. It's going to look good. I know. That's how I was looking at some of these other parts. Yeah. It's going to look good. I mean, it's like... Jeez! Oh, oh, you like oh, you like the detail on oh, those? Oh yeah! Oh, I've worked hard on my printer. So, so anyway, so where this goes is that these apron edgers, I've now installed them on my machines because, like, when I I shot my Batman, I looked at it and I'm like, I can't believe the apron is heating into the clear coat. This is horrible, and uh, the the intent is. These provide these apron edgers make a buffer that go underneath the apron and so, hopefully save some of the clear coat. So I want to ask. I, yeah. I don't see it in the notes. Are you going to put these on Thingiver, Thingiverse? Thingiverse? Or are you selling them? Or are you? So here's the. Are thing. you going to print a couple and put them in the prize closet? Yeah, <laughs> what well, are we doing here? Well, here's the thing. Because um, people are going to ask. So people are definitely going to ask. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put these on Thingiverse. But then I'm also I'm going to also put them for sale on on Pinside. And if anybody wants me to print them a set, I'll print them and sell them. You know, the reason why I want to do that, Brent, the reason why I want to sell some is number one, uh, you know, daddy's got to eat. Number two, uh, it'd be a great way to pay for the 3D printer. And number three, it'll give my daughter something to do with oh, the 3D printer. Okay. okay, so it's I'm not being 100 percent greedy. I'm trying to pass a little bit of it along to Grace and she would she would get a kick out of quote unquote processing orders and making a little money with the 3D printer. 
Okay. Mm -hmm. So, so, but, but I still want to share and I I have intent on putting them up on, on Thingiverse when, when I'm, when I feel like I'm quote unquote done. Now, the third thing that I printed is what I think is probably the most unique out of, out of the three things here is I'm going to call it the DMD stay put. Okay. And, or maybe it's the speaker panel stay put, whatever you want to call it. But Brent, I'm looking at your CSI, which has a wood speaker panel. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at your Jurassic Park, which has as a wood speaker panel. The problem that I had while I was shopping my Tron is in my ECDC both, and, I, and I, man, I was cussing it. I was I was cussing both of no, them. No, the Jurassic Park's plastic. Oh, is it plastic? Yeah, it's actually okay, plastic. I'm sorry. That, you're right. CSI is definitely CSI wood. CSI is definitely wood. Okay, yeah, it, I, okay. I'm sorry. Jurassic Park. And Back to the Future might be plastic. Okay, fair, fair enough. But it's not DMD. Uh, okay. Well, let, let's go with let, let's go with the CSI, CSI. because it's okay. wood. Okay. You lay it down on. You pull your glass off and you lay the speaker panel down on the on the on the machine and it sits there on the rails whether i mean i put a towel underneath mine so that it yep. so that you know the the machine doesn't mark the panel and the panel doesn't mark the mm-hmm. machine but ultimately brent what happens is over time that panel it slides it slides it down crazy and it drives me absolutely crazy and what happens the the um the tauntest wire winds up holding that speaker panel at an angle all off kilter and and everything like that and it and you're you're essentially using a, a wire that is sp- that is uh load you're you're creating a load on a wire yeah, that was never meant yeah. to carry a load okay right. so what i did is and Brent, I actually worked pretty hard on this, okay? Is I got out a set of calipers and I measured the speaker <laughs> panel. I measured the lip. And when I measured, Whitney gets out a set of calipers, it, stand it, it's, back. It, it's on, okay? It's on. And I, I, I drew up a, a mounting bracket and then a, and then essentially a, 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 a mounting, or a, a mounting bracket and then a retaining bracket, and and. You, in the kit, you would get two, and there's a specific one for the right-hand side of the machine and a specific one for the left-hand side of the machine on the mounting brackets, and then the retaining brackets are the same, but ultimately what this does is you you screw the, the mounting bracket into your speaker panel, and then I will supply a short amount of chain, and then you hang the retaining bracket over that 45-degree ledge, and then you do this on both sides, and then what it does is it gives you a chain and, and, and essentially a retainer and it holds your speaker panel in place so that it doesn't slide around your machine and, and it also doesn't pull on all of your wires. And I see the way you designed this, the the hook, if you will, that that clips over the ledge that's in the head uh-huh. that it it mates back to the piece that's on the speaker panel, that's I exactly. guess, just for, for stor- storage. For storage. So and you just stick it back on there and put it back in. And when you're done, you drop it, you pop it off and hook it and hook it and it stays there. That's it. That's and it, cool. And it is a perfect press fit because you know why? I use calipers, Brent, and I measured. <laughs> and it's a perfect press fit. Because I use calipers. Yeah. And, and, and when it comes time to put the speaker panel back up, then you take the, you take the retaining bracket and it, it, it's got like a little ledge and it just slides right over that ledge. And it's long enough to where when the speaker panel is sitting horizontal then the uh, i'm sorry when it's sitting vertical then all of then all of this the retaining bracket and everything sits vertical and then it it just sits on its little mounting peg and it's completely out of the way 
a picture does is worth a thousand words here. And uh, so when I get to the point where I'm ready, then I'll throw up a couple pictures, but you see where I'm going with mm -hmm. this. And it completely solved my problem on my Tron and my ECDC. And I was so happy after I installed these because, because we're in on like a, you know, I'm working on a spike machine. What's the greatest thing about a spike machine? You lower the speaker panel, and Stern gave you the the little the little stranded wire yep. that holds the speaker panel in place when it's down. Well, you, you don't have that on the older machines at all. So this is a way to get that. Well, so, the speaker panel too on a Spike is generally much larger because of the mm -hmm. LCD. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Could you imagine that thing skating around free? <laughs> oh my God! <laughs> Zoom! Zoom! And it would be gone. So, so this, so when I was working on Tron, I, I suffered through it with ACDC and I got real mad when I was working on Tron. Okay. And I thought I, I, I'm going to solve, I'm going to solve this problem. And so I have solved the problem. And the great thing is Brent is like the mounting brackets on the speaker panel. You can move those around wherever you want. I, I've, I've tried to account for, for wherever you may want to put them based upon wherever your uh, your speakers are or if you're using like an aftermarket speaker mounting ring or something. I did make them to the point to where they mounted horizontally instead of mounting vertically because uh, I tried I tried a set of verticals and the problem is is that for, for the way the chain works out and I wanted to make sure I wanted to use a specific chain so that you could lengthen or shorten this based yeah, upon I your see, own Yeah, it looks needs. like... Uh, um it, well, it's, it's, it's a series of quick clips. It's a basically. series of quick clips. And they're real tiny. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're tiny. But you can you can uh, shorten or lengthen it based upon your own needs. And, and the quick clip, though, created uh, a bit of a mounting scenario where I wanted to retain the, clip, the quick clips because I loved the utility of them, but they necessitated a bracket that was mounted horizontally. So um, anyway... It all worked out. And now the great thing, Brent, is I pop my speaker panel down on my Tron or my ACDC, and then I take my little clips and I just toss them over the ledge, and then I walk away, and that speaker panel is balanced perfectly on the machine, never to move. Well, you know, never there's no reason. Sag. You mentioned this for wood, and I guess that's so that you can you can put the, uh, the retainer, if you will, on the just basically anywhere you like, like you said, on the panel. Yeah. But it wouldn't take too much just to redesign that piece for other families of games like and i'm almost done with spike one mm -hmm. i i've all because like your ghost but or like your ghostbusters my ghostbusters they they that speaker panel behaves like the sam stern yep. that like the sam wood speaker panel it, it has it has it doesn't have any stranded wire that holds it in place it flops down and then it flops everywhere or it, it turns down then it flops everywhere i've almost got one i've almost got my my design done for that as well and come so, over and measure on the Jurassic Park because there's a lot. If I recall correctly, there's quite a few Data East games around that genre that have that same yeah. kind of slightly curved panel in mm -hmm, it. Mm -hmm. You know that that one's kind of a double kicker because it's not even flat. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and that would be even worse. So I so I am I, you know I'm going to have Grace print these out. I'm going to sell them as a set with the quick clips and everything like that, ready to go, color match to your machine, everything like that. But Brent, the great thing about this is is you know I dreamed it up, I drew it in Fusion, and then I've been printing it on my printer, and it's it is awesome i love it fusion 360 i i just i absolutely love it and love mean, it love it love meanwhile it. my printer sitting upstairs need to take an air compressor to it and blow the dust <laughs> off of it i'll bring it i'll bring an orange hey, hammer with me but next i put time. a floor down whitney hey, hey, what you, do you want you did good you did good <laughs> and then my last update for the month no progress on my zookeeper man and it's it, it's it's hurting me 
No, no progress. I almost on, trolled you today. No, no progress on my zookeeper. I almost no. trolled you. It's okay. I've got wide shoulders. I can take the troll. I, I was, I, and I'll fess up because I have not had the opportunity again because the opportunity's passed. Uh, I got busy and, and forgot, but you, you you had put out a request for any follow up from the mailbag <laughs> show, and I was gonna I was going to post as me. I was waiting. I was waiting for somebody to mention the zookeeper. I was. What about that zookeeper, yeah. Whitney? Well, That's what I was gonna I was oh, gonna troll you. Oh, it, oh, it was great. I forgot. I was so into it that I got distracted, yeah. and then I forgot about it till just oh, now. Well, you want to know what somebody posted, and I laughed out loud when they posted it, and and I have to hang on. I have to go back and. Find this because it was so funny well so so, we, so while you're looking let me give people I, kind of a quick rundown for what's coming up through the rest of the show okay yeah so do, do that i found it i'm ready oh, go ahead, so go, go okay, ahead then. okay. okay. so real quick and then we can seal the, we can seal this segment off and be done so when i put that out john singletary gave us uh he, he gave us something completely and totally legit and it's like okay john we'll we'll answer that and then peter gibbs and i peter i laughed so hard when you when you posted this he said any updates on the type of ratchet straps you guys recommend? <laughs> <laughs> and that, I'm sitting there going, that, hold that on. is so, oh yeah. <laughs> exactly. And I laughed out. I mean, I belly laughed when I read that. I did. And I'm I like, Peter, shed a tear. Yeah, I'm like, Peter, touche, touche. And uh, I haven't responded best to him yet. And I'm going ever. to, oh yeah. Best show ever episode two best show ever you run into the same problem with ratchet straps as you do storage containers you find something you like and it's gone it's gone it's gone i mean because you cannot go to okay okay sidebar it's like how many ways can you design this yeah yeah and design it wrong or bad yeah because 98 percent of the time they're both okay so okay whitney's uh, second pro tip you don't buy ratchet straps at walmart you don't buy ratchet straps at Lowe's. You don't buy ratchet straps at Home Depot. You don't buy ratchet straps uh, that you care about at Harbor Freight. No. You, you've got to go to like a trailer store or yes. a moving store, U-Haul or something like that. And you, if you want good ratchet straps, you've got to buy good ratchet straps because otherwise you're just throwing your money away. Yeah, the, the, eventually you'll wear out the the ratchet oh yeah i mean it doesn't yeah. take a yeah. lot no it doesn't no, I've, it I've does been, not i've been buying mine from etrailer.com oh i've bought a lot oh. from them over the years solid yeah I, solid mainly hitches and, mm-hmm. and wiring kits and yeah. uh hitch accessories and draw bars and, and yes um yeah. Oh crud! A brake controller. Oh, brake con- yeah. When I got my F two fifty, I got a brake control. I, that's where I bought my brake controller. Yep. There's no doubt. So Peter, uh, touche. Uh, you win the internet, and we answered your question all at the same time. So hey, ever every, everybody wins. <laughs> All right, so let, let me go back to, and I'll give everybody a quick breakdown of how the rest of the show is going to go so you know what's coming up. So it looks like we're going to take a little break, then we're going to come back in. We've got some follow-up on some mailbag items, and then I want to get into my storage solution conversation. Whitney's already laughing about something. Oh, it's, it's just the mailbag follow-up. Oh, is it? Yeah. Um, then um, after that, Whitney has for us another segment from uh, Portra, Portra, bleh. Portland. It's what happens when you can, when you combine Portland and retro. Yeah. Portland Retro Gaming Expo. My gosh, say that fast five times. So it's a uh, seminar. Atari Arcade Games, the real Atari with uh, Ed Log, 
Let's see, catching all the names here. John John Solwitz. Solwitz. Yeah, looks like he did Paperboy. Yeah, Rich Adams of Gravatar. Uh, Ed Rothberg, Battlezone, uh, and and several other games. So yeah. that's going to be coming up. And then we're going to finish out. We got a little news and some uh, uh, a little bit of f- uh, additional feedback, unless that all gets caught above. Yeah, the feedback will all get caught okay. in, the, in the mailbag. Then we'll just do just. A but in bit the of news, news section, discussion. we will uh, we'll we'll rummage around in the prize closet. Oh yeah, sounds good. And we'll uh, we'll tell everybody you know what we've got this month and then what it's going to take to get it okay all right sounds like a plan so whitney let's take a quick break let's and do back that. in a sec all right whitney we started the show with star trek talk you think we should start the next segment or section of the show with Star Wars talk? No, I mean, no, no, I, okay. no. If you leave it to me, I just want to talk more Star Trek. How about that? Well, I was trying. I, I'm in total agreement with you. Yeah, as often happens. But I figured we would just give the you know the other camp its due. But nonetheless, this, this is true. This is true. We do need to be equal opportunity because I mean I, I respect that. I do. I do. Nonetheless, maybe we should just jump right into the follow up from our first ever mailbag show. Yes, and let me say this and, and Brent, I, I'm going to ask you to read the first one because it's, and pre- it's pretty much it's pretty much to you is and I'm yeah, actually it is. because the way I look at our show notes I'm trying to arrange the zoom on my browser okay <laughs> and I'm considering going to my shop getting my cheaters okay but okay whatever no no worries um one thing I want to say is that uh the response to the mailbag show was pretty it was pretty tremendous actually I, I mean I had Lots of people contact me on WhatsApp, on Facebook Messenger. Uh, and my my brother Alex over in the UK, he was like, he was like, mate, that was probably one of my favorite shows that I've heard you guys do. <laughs> Uh, he said, I was, I was so surprised that, that you all have so many listeners over in the UK and so many people wrote in with so many different questions or comments. It, it, it almost didn't feel like a quote unquote arcade podcast or pinball podcast. It was more just like a conversation amongst friends. And I, I really, I really took that to heart and I really appreciated that. And yeah, I think it resonated and I, I yeah, Brent, I, after like show number 100 or something, I'd, I'd love to do this again. I really, really really would. But but the immediate feedback uh, I pulled I pulled a few and there there are some questions here so a couple things we need to discuss okay. All right. but I, I pulled what was uh, I guess immediate and top of mind okay that came through and uh, let's let, let's give everybody who wrote in their due and uh, and answer their questions okay. so the first one is from uh, friend Mister. of the, friend of the show the esteemed. Joe Zinkus. Yes. Joe, Joe actually sent this in to me. It was in the bed of a Tamiya Clodbuster monster truck. Oh. It was so cool. Oh, I but, have I have no idea what that is or what it but, looks like. Oh, they're the bomb. Oh, okay. That's exactly why once I took it, he drove it away. Oh, okay, okay. I so, was going to keep it. So let me ask you, did they make a stomper out of it? No. Oh, okay. Well, the, right. so the well, Clodbuster. I, I, did, I didn't see it. The Clodbuster basically is like a Ford-bodied truck. Okay. So Got I mean, it. I guess maybe if you squinted, you know, the Stompers kind of had a yeah, but but not but not yeah. really. Now they remake them now and they remove the Ford branding, but yeah. it's still the same body. They just yeah, didn't put, yeah. because yeah. they didn't pay the licensing. That's a, that's a shame because back in the day, the license was paid. Well, yeah. even if the 
Or maybe it wasn't, and they just already, did it anyway. We've already tangented, Whitney. Yeah, yeah. I talked about doing the re-releases that Tamia did. Yeah. Back in yeah. the day, they didn't. I, I, they, the consensus is they didn't care. So when they do a decal sheet, like for a buggy, and it, it would have uh, like KC, like the KC light covers for like the off-road racing lights, and it would have like Edelbrock and Fram and all these other names that you would recognize. They would just pepper all that stuff through their sticker sheets. Today for the reproductions, it's close, but it's not. You know, it's <laughs> nothing that's branded at all. <laughs> Paid for or air quotes, wink, wink, otherwise. Okay. Okay. So yeah, there's a whole cottage industry in making reproduction sheets for restoration that is all of that stuff. But yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so, so, so back then they probably didn't pay forward. That's my point. Well, here's the thing. So I, I'm, I'm opened up a browser to take to, to find, to find this vehicle that you're talking about. The Claude Buster. The Claude Buster. The, I fir- want the one. first, the first thing that, that assaults my eye when the browser <laughs> pops open is a story from Costco. And I'm just going to mention this. Okay, okay. Just real quick. Costco drops coconut milk brand over forced monkey labor allegations. <laughs> <laughs> How did you spell Tamia and Claude Buster to get that? Well, I can't. I don't know. Is that the Babylon Bee or is it or the Onion? Maybe no. This is this is off of CNBC right here. It's crazy, and I'm sorry. Sorry, went off. Yeah, exactly. I just 2020 just needs to just chuck it and go. So Joe writes. Yeah. (laughs) Love hearing all the RC talk. After listening to it, I realized not uh, anyone not in the hobby back then probably thinks that's another language. Well, if you think about it, the same thing for people that might listen to us. It's true. I mean, there's a vernacular to this hobby. There's no doubt. I've said things like when when I've had friends and family over here, I've said things to pinball people and arcade people. That my sister says randomly to this day because it's just funny to her, you know, things (laughs) that 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 she remembers. Yeah. Things that make perfect sense to you or I or most all of our listeners, but to a non arcade fan make no sense. And she'll just randomly and she'll giggle and she'll walk off. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So anyway. So George writes, Frog, one more thing I remember about this car. I think it's got the name because it was famous for being able to run through puddles without frying the electronics because they included balloons to wrap the electronics inside to waterproof them. Hmm. So that that's funny that Joe brings that up. In the cars that I had and the friends of mine that had other Tamiya cars, he's spot on. That's how they waterproof things. They put them in balloons. Yeah. They had actual balloons. That's neat. With the Tamiya name on them. And what you could do is like the speed controllers were manual. It was like a wiper and a servo had a horn on it, like a uh, an arm, if you will. And as you hit the throttle, the servo would turn, the arm would move, it would move a rod that would move the wiper well there it's just hanging out in the body so they would ship you a balloon and you cut the the whatever the the tech i'm sure there's a technical name for the part that you blow into to blow up a balloon you cut that off stretch it out over that whole mess and let it go and go 
and it would stick itself around, yeah. <laughs> wrap itself around. Oh, right on. And you were, air quotes, waterproof. How about that? You yeah. could also... The, sim- the simplest of solutions. Yeah, and they did the same thing for the motor. And, and even as a youngster, I was like, how does this not get overheated? Because you, you stick it over the end of the motor to keep the water out of it and get... What else does it also keep out? <laughs> the air. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Oh, yeah. It was it was an elegant solution for a much simpler time. <laughs> Uh, while you could go to the hobby shop and buy replacement parts, especially gears, I remember f- being frustrated that you couldn't buy a single gear for any Tamiya car. And this is, yes, truth. If you needed something, a one thing, if it came from Tamiya or if it come from a third party like Gr- Grauper, Gromper, I can't remember how it's pronounced, or I think it's uh, MCR was another company or MRC, Model Rectifier Corporation, it was always in a kit with 47 other things. That you didn't need. That you didn't need. And it it was like silly stuff that would never wear out, like the plastic antenna tube and, you know, a screw that's buried four foot inside the model that never sees air, you know, or never sees the light of day. Exactly, exactly. But yeah, he's, he's spot on. You had to buy a giant parts tree from the original kit. That was like if you bought a uh, Tamiya part, which means you were paying like 20 bucks every time you stripped a single gear. Well, (laughs) Joe, it sounds like you were hot rodded there, buddy. Uh, what made, I want to wire two of these batteries together. Man, did it go. <laughs> Man, did it go. And if, if I told you I never did stuff like that, I'd be lying to yeah. you. Oh, yeah. What? I uh, did I did it with stompers, no doubt. Oh, did I, you? Oh, oh did I, you? I burned stompers out that way. <laughs> oh, yeah. I never did. St- I did some creative stuff with RC cars and like Christmas lights and 9-volt yeah. batteries. Oh, and, st- stompers. Oh, yeah. Stompers was, that That was my thing. There's no doubt about it. I, I had, had stompers, RC cars, but, but stompers, yes. That's what made cars like the RC10 so much more attractive. Much simpler gearbox with fewer gears and the only gear that might strip out was uh strip out the spur gear that meshed to the pinion on the motor so the motor the gear right off the motor is called the pinion and then the gear it drives in in any gearbox is called the spur and then depending on the model and the company and what you're doing you split out into different gear sets at that point you know you might have various gears that hand off to get down to your actual your differential or whatever gear gear set to distribute your power out to your wheels but so yeah you've always got a pinion and a spur much simpler gearbox with fewer gears uh, strip out the the pin uh, the spur uh, was a single gear replaceable for only a few bucks and many bought a few just to create different gear ratios yeah and that's that's part of like that class of buggy it was in tune to the racer so that was a whole third party industry of producing spur gears and you had different gear pitches and you could you know, I might like this company and I want to run this gear pitch because for whatever reason that you feel that that's your optimum gear, your tooth spacing, and then you get your pinions and your spurs to match. And then you can change your ratios with just literally a turn of a screw. You pop, pop it off, put one on and you don't have to break the gearbox open. That's all external under a little thin cover. So there was a lot to be said for uh, the tunability of the, of the more upper end race class type vehicles but man the Tamiya stuff is just fun 
There's, there's, I mean, it sounds like it. The, the you're not going to win a race with a frog unless it's a fr- race of only frogs. It's like a beginner, <laughs> which which would be cool to me. A stuff especially has a has a place in the heart of a lot of RC car people, kind of like maybe Williams games do, or Bally Midway video games, or they or or Williams video games. How they have that very similar style and graphic look and sound and. The same thing can be said for Tamiya. There's just something yeah, that is yeah. just, it's just fun to drive a given car. Yeah. yeah. They have their own quirks that just, that make them lousy, lousy race cars, but yeah. awesome but, but RC fu- cars. But fun to have. Just fun to have. Yeah. 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 I, I get that. I get that. All right. So Whitney wanted to say, I got to scroll around here. One. Do you want to take the next one? Yeah, yeah. From, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That definitely that that falls right in your camp. No, no problem. So this is from uh, Brad Hunter, uh, and as you probably remember, Brad is the owner of Lit Frames, and so he sponsored you know, our prior two contests. So Brad, we certainly appreciate that. And he was he was listening, and uh, he writes in. He said, uh, "Hey, Whitney Brent, thanks for answering my question on episode ninety three. He said, "Was it you or Brent that currently have both an ultrasonic cleaner and a tumbler apart?" tumbler just curious what determines what metal parts go in which i've used and like both currently don't own either i had a cheap harbor freight one and mainly threw in plastic post and small metal parts but more curious on pinball metal parts which one to use and why for example a shooter rod housing he says i've got to justify that purchase and if it was only one to start which one now I've got my opinion. You, you go first, okay? Because you do own both of them I at do, this point. Yes. Yeah. To me, metal pinball parts, I would put in a tumbler. Mm-hmm. And it, if for nothing else, you get the cleaning action, but they they can, you get the polishing action. Yeah, the abrasive action. Yeah. Yes. So there there's some there's some pieces like when when I take apart a game and you know you're you're getting into the stainless steel parts that that form some of the the paths and I, I think like on Adam's family you know you've got the little thing ramp that's right there in the middle you've got a piece of stainless that's got a lot of ball traffic on it it's not a long arching piece like something that might be along the back of the play field for the the main your your main loop Okay, something that's just too big to get in a tumbler. Well, a piece like in a lot of times in a lot of games, you'll have little pieces of that wall type, if you will, stainless steel, flat stainless steel that form, like I said, various little blocks and paths for the ball to travel, generally in the upper part of the play field. A tumbler, for the most part, if those are really worn, it's not going to get that ball trail out. I mean, you're talking you you're, you really need to get like a buffing wheel and you can buff them out. And what I've even done, too, is I bead blasted them and given them all. I think it's a nice kind of almost a matte finish, mm-hmm. and, and, but yeah. it's a consistent finish. And I really like doing that personally. But at the end of the day, when you're talking your nuts and your bolts and, and all the other metal parts that go into the game, all your posts, man, th- they shine up like a new penny. Yeah. And that's where the tumbler in, shines. In a tumbler, correct. Yes. yes, yes, So now when you're talking about like what, what the shooter rod, what was he asking specifically about? Well, for example, shooter rod pin, housing. Pin, pinball metal parts, for example, a shooter rod housing, which you just answered. Yeah. yeah. So those are kind of big though, like for that Harbor Freight tumbler. Yeah. 
And honestly, if, if I had one, because especially like the Williams ones, and I guess even some of the Stern, are, are they... I guess at the end of the day, most of them—they're most all the same size. Yeah, other looks than like it. The Williams tend to have a, a Williams branding on them. Okay, but they've kind of got a inside the rectangle. They've kind of got a texture, and that tends to uh, accumulate a lot of like just hand grime and stuff. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So that would probably come out no no problem right in a in a uh, um, in a ultrasonic cleaner. But if you really want to put the the whammy to it, you, honestly, at its size, unless you have a big tumbler mm-hmm. and a lot of time, I'd just I'd get a, a bench grinder and put a buffing wheel on it and go to town on it and really shine it up. You get it like chrome if yeah. you wanted. Yep. So that's that's my take. No, and and that's very fair. I mean, I've I've got a tumbler right now as well, and I'll wholeheartedly agree on the on the metal parts comment. I think that's where it shines. I mean, I have like. Uh, I mean, I've used my tumbler to shine up um, like Nintendo button holders. Uh, I mean, joystick parts. I mean, uh, you, you name it. It it has wor- it has worked an absolute treat yep. on on like a lot of small. If you got a little parts. surface rust, it'll oh, take yeah, it right off ta- and clean it right takes off. Takes it right off. Does and a great shine, job. Yep. Now, where I can see the ultrasonic cleaner being really good for is if you have parts that are solution friendly, and mm-hmm. like something you would mix with Simple Green or. Um, or the uh oh gosh the um no. the what is the what is the mean green, green. Mean green thank yep. you from dollar general i mean that does a fantastic job as well and then so if you were to take like a button apart or if you were to use like plastic pieces that can survive being in in that solution then that that to me that is superior because a parts tumbler is going to beat those up and wear them down over time. There's no way I would put plastic buttons in a part tumbler, regardless of how fine the, the media is, because it achieves its goal with abrasion, and that's not what you want to have happen on like some Nintendo buttons or so something if, like that. If you're doing plastic parts in a ultrasonic cleaner, and I may have mentioned this on the episode where I was talking about it having finally cracked I, it out I, and used I, it, I think you did. Don't go overboard on the heat. Yeah. Maybe just maybe just turn the heater on and just let it go. It I think mine defaults to 50 centigrade, which I'd have to get to Fahrenheit because that's what I understand. I still know? over 100. I mean, that's, is that's that, well, is it that well hot? over 100 degrees. Yeah. I'd have to turn mine on real quick yeah, and see. Here, that, it might not, do, here, let me do the calculation. It might not fast. go that hot. It might not be that hot by default. Regardless, you're going to generate more heat as it's running. So whatever you set it to, even oh, it's 122. Oh, Fahrenheit. it's got to be lower than. Yeah. It's yeah. got to be lower. I mean, like common, by default on mine. Yeah, I would say maybe 30 might be. That 30, might be 30, more. 35. Something I could like walk that. in there and turn it on, but it's regardless. Just you, you could also end up warping plastic parts. Oh yeah, there's no doubt. So t- yeah. to date, uh, I've used it mainly for like RC car stuff, and where it's really shined for me kind of hearkening back to Joe's comments is, is gearboxes. If I take apart an old car and the gear gearboxes, the, the grease is really dried out and it's gotten crusty ultrasonic cleaner, will clean that right up. <laughs> and, but I had one instance where I put a gear case down in it off of a Kishiro car, Kyosho car, however you want to say it. And, uh, it, the imagine kind of like a, it was almost like a box, you know, a lot of, a lot of the Tamiya's, they're they're in halves and you put put the right half and the left half together well this particular kyosho it was it was almost like a box and the lid come off of it and the gear set down in it and there was cross pins that went through it and it didn't like the heat and it actually ever so slightly bowed the sides on me 
Now, fortunately, it bowed them ever so gently inward, and the top has a had a little frame around it, so I could I could reshape the box with the top on it. Yeah, okay, got and it. Regain got it. it. But that was a lesson learned. Fortunately, I didn't have to pull like Joe was saying and go out and buy forty-seven dollars worth of parts for those that one little thing. Yeah. But yeah, definitely watch the heat on plastic. So I've yeah. been experimenting more on plastic with less or no heat. Yeah. Yes. And then the metal, I just I let a rip. Exactly. So yeah. so I think I think the best way to sum this up, Brad, is your metal parts are going to work real well in a parts tumbler, well suited for that. Your plastic parts, your small, your fine parts, probably better suited for an ultrasonic cleaner. And then you just have to be conscientious of the heat that you're running that cleaner at. So ultimately, Brad, you're going to want both if, if you want to be 100% self-sufficient. But for pinball, especially for metal parts, uh, you probably would start out with a tumbler, it sounds like, based, based upon what you have, what it sounds like you have to do. So real quick on, on the ultrasonic cleaner, and, and I may have mentioned this too. And this, oddly enough, this is RC related, but it, it it's a lesson learned that, it, that it's worth mentioning. When I bought my Tumblr, I know we've talked about it on the show. You go out on eBay, you, or not my Tumblr, pardon me, but my ultrasonic cleaner. There's only, unless you get into high-end, specifically branded specialty stuff, it, for stuff, hobby stuff, like is just great for what we're trying to do for the most part. Yeah. There's maybe three different models and they're basically broken down by um, maybe two different, and, and I say different just because the front panel is arranged slightly differently, two different that are digital. They have a digital timer and a digital thermometer. And then there's one that's analog. You turn a physical dial to set your temperature and you turn a physical dial and it counts down to, for runtime. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And then, okay. I, I can picture that. And then yeah. those basic models are available through a bajillion sellers who all have <laughs> all these auctions and you go into the auction and you pick your size and you, and some of them you pick your size and you pick your model and, and then you click put in cart and off you go. So what I noticed really quick was I, I, I was, I wasn't conceptualizing what they were calling their volume like they might call it a two liter well think then i look at the size of the tub and i'm like well i know a two liter of soda is physically much larger than these dimensions uh, yes. i don't understand yeah. that yeah you know even the quick math realizing i'm talking about basically something that's round and then the tub shape which is re more or less rectangular and one of the rc channels that i that I subscribed to, he ran into this. He bought based on the liter size, thinking it held that much liquid. And it was like a half or third the size of what he was expecting when it showed up. So I don't know where this, all this area is. Maybe it's like if you took the tub out and you took out the, all the, the whatchamacallits that make it vibrate and all the electronics <laughs> and you just had the body yeah. and you filled it with liquid, it was that many liter. I don't know. Yeah. Point being, if you go to buy one of these things, make sure you look at the details in the auction or whatever and pay attention to the physical dimensions of the tub so you have an idea. You know, you might say, I want something large enough to put a bunch of shooter rods in because I've got some shooter rods that are worth saving versus buying. Well, you, you don't want to get something that, well, two liter crud, I could take a two liter soda bottle and put 
14 shooter rods in it. That's perfect. Yeah. Well, it shows up and you can't put a wedding ring in it, you know? So pay attention to the physical dimensions. No, that's that's very, very good advice. Anyway. Okay. All right. So the next one is from uh, listener, John Singletary and, uh, Brent, if you want to read this one, then I'll, I'll do the last one. How about that? Okay. Is that cool? Yeah. Yep. So John writes, I'm working my way through an episode looking, uh, for the drops. Uh, hold on. Wait a minute. Whitney, now, hold on. I got, I got to re we, we, Whitney and I talked about my inability to, to deal with the show notes and the way that I view them. <laughs> and basically what it comes down to is I just never have installed the app and I keep doing this through a browser and it's terrible. Okay. It's my fault. <laughs> All right. So. Uh, behind the curtains, let's put the curtains back in place. <laughs> and now here we are back on the show. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, I'm, so John, we did the, the we did the fire power. Yeah, fire drops. power. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm working what my way through the episode looking for the drops. I show you, uh, I'll show you how I put them into action with a little video when I'm done. So that's great. I can't, I, I want to see that. I, I do too. Oh, that's, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. I really appreciate what you and Brent do. Please keep up the great work, except for Brent's inability to read and use a browser. Uh, the podcast is a drink of cold water in a desert, especially during the COVID times. Well, I, that, I'll take that. Oh, I will too. I mean, yeah. I, I take that as, I guess, refreshing and, and cool and, and fun. And I, I don't think it's for lack of shows. I mean, I think there's still a handful of shows out there. It seems like some pinball shows have spun up, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's a few left in, in a, and some have popped up, but I mean, for, from a mixed gaming standpoint, I mean, it's really just us and uh, RGR? Di- RGR and the Eclectic Gamers oh, podcast, yeah. yep, Dennis, yep. Dennis and Tony. We're, that's like the only three mixed gaming podcasts that I know of. I, I mean, we're just one of one of that three. And then, yeah, I mean, there, there's a few. We'll, we'll outlive them all. <laughs> yeah. Well, there, and there's a few. I mean, there's a few pinball podcasts, but they're you know they're they're just pinball and that is a certain type of content yeah you know? so anyway regarding the show you know that feeling of excitement you had as a kid when you realized your favorite show was on tv that night oh yeah oh, i remember yeah. like night rider and the oh I, w- Hazard, I was just about to say i was like it was it was always like come on grandpa come on come on because i go to the bowling alley with uh-huh. him for league night with the family going like come on we got to come on night riders coming on come on yeah. grandpa. Oh, yeah. oh yeah night rider and dukes hazard and somebody may ask whitney what about star trek and it's like ah 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 I watched Star Trek on Sundays. Uh, that, that, yep. that was Sunday morning. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. Uh, TOS. That's right. That's right. Uh, I remember when we got our first little portable TV that ran on uh, 87D cell batteries <laughs> and weighed as yeah. much as the station wagon yeah. that we would drive in. Yes. And uh, grandma would set me up so I could watch Knight Rider, the start of it. Oh, the, yeah. oh my God. Those oh, were the yeah. days. Those were the days. Oh, I'm glad John wrote in. This yes, is great. It is. Oh, anyway, okay. Uh, that's what it's like when your show drops uh, in the podcatcher. Oh, man, that's cool. Yeah, I, pre- yeah. I appreciate that. I don't know about Whitney, but oh, I, I do. Oh, yeah, I do. <laughs> it's like sitting around with great friends you've never met. It, you know, I, and I've, I've said that many. I can't get through anything without 100 side stories. I've said that many a times about Whitney and I. We go to shows and well, I, I say that we said that we've had people come up to us and talk to us just like. We have known them all their life. Oh, yeah, yeah. I love it. And, I love it. And we don't know this person from Adam. I, I know. I know. Because but we've never... Never met. We've never met. Yeah. But we have. But we have. Yeah. It's, In it's, so many ways, we it's have. It's so surreal, and yeah. it's so much fun. Anyway. And it's so appreciated, too. Every single bit of it. I had the chance to hang out with our mutual friend, Vic, in London. 
I'm, I, I don't know if I would be happy about that. I mean, I've met <laughs> no. <laughs> Vic's a great guy. Vic is, Vic is he's he's a he's a top guy. And hit up some arcades uh, one time. And I hope that opportunity might present itself in the future uh, with you and Brent also. Obviously, he was writing this to you, Whitney. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, but it's all good. Post COVID twenty one free play Florida trip. Just saying, I would uh, love. I would love to get to do that show. I would. It it it, it doesn't take a lot to get me to go to Florida. Yeah. I, I I have. Um, I am slowly becoming my grandfather. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And my my uncle. Yeah. Uh, there, there was two generations of the family on my mom's side that retired and went to Florida. And when I was younger, I mean, Kentucky is my home. I love Kentucky. Uh, I'm a Kentucky boy. Yeah. And I will all I will always be a Kentucky boy. Yeah. I that's I, I'm I carry the flag for my state. Oh yeah, yeah. But as I'm getting older. I can see, I can see flying a Kentucky flag in Florida, physically flying. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. In Florida. Yeah. I I would, I would probably go Arizona myself, but, uh, because you know, it's a dry heat and I like that, but I I totally get where you're going. I spent so many summers down there Yeah, and it was like, I mean, this was for years because my, my grandfather, my grandmother moved down there and I'd spend, I'd, we'd visit, uh, several times through those years, through a year, in a year, through those years, mm-hmm. and then there was many summers. I just go to Florida. Yeah. Oh no, so, I get it. I get it. Anyway, so what? And John here, he what is this? Is this a tweet? Is well, it? no. This is uh this is what he posted on on oh, uh, on my oh, post today, okay. and he said I would I would love to hear your take on multi game kit add ons to original PCBs and multi PCBs and one cab like uh, switcher setups. You know, good, bad, or indifferent. So I. I mean, I've got a little segment on that, and Brent, if if you're okay, let's go ahead and talk that now, real quick, okay, just because yeah. we're talking about, uh, just because John asked the question, and uh, then that way, when when you do your storage, the talk on your storage stuff, then uh, the storage topic, then that will we we can just do that all as all as one. Oh, so you want you want to answer John's question now, if, if you don't mind? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. If you don't mind. So so John, here's the, here's the thing. Um, Fundamentally, and uh, and as they as they are, I have zero problems with these in any way, shape, or form. Because to me, unless you're going for a high score, uh, the these tend to offer so much more value than I than I feel like they take away. And we did a uh, and I, Brent, I had to go back and look through the show notes here. We did a segment on high score safe kits way back in episodes four and episodes five. So, so John, so John, if you haven't listened to those, um, or if you haven't listened to them in a while, we covered, we covered the current state of hard, uh, of high score save kits back in episode four and five. Now that granted that was six years ago. Okay. When that's done. And the reason I bring that up is because so much has changed because today, uh, the the status, I guess, the current technology on high score save kits, and I'm going to loop this all together just here in a second, is at the time many high score save kits depended upon you swapping a ROM for a patched ROM, and then you installing a NVRAM on the board in order to take the place of a battery or to enable high score saving on that particular board. Well. Companies like HighScoreSaves.com and um, and BitKit and things and, and companies like that have invested so much in their 
their improved solutions or technology in their technology and everything over the past five to six years that it it has really kind of changed the game. And so now most all high score save kits and uh, for what John was asking about, uh, you know, multi-game kit add-ons. And the reason I'm looping all this together, John, is because they're, they're all, they're all delivered the same way now. And a lot of times, times, they're all the same. Yeah. One one is the other. One is the other. Yeah. So, so John, the reason I'm, I'm kind of looping this together Finkel is, is Einhorn. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> Today, a high score save kit is a multi game kit and, and is an online version of the game or an offline version of the Are game. Are you ignoring me? Did you skate right over that or do you even get that? Uh, say that again. I'm Finkel sorry. Finkel is Einhorn. No, I did not get that. I'm sorry. Ace Ventura Pet Detective. Finkel oh. is Einhorn. Oh, I'm, Einhorn I'm sorry. Is Finkel. I'm sorry. I, I, I have only seen that movie. One time. Get out. Sorry. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> well, it's one more time than I've seen uh, The Last Starfighter. How about that? Oh, you've never seen that? I've never seen The Last Starfighter, no. Not not all the way through. Have you ever seen The Black Hole? Uh, yes, I have seen The Black okay, Hole. Okay, all right, yeah, you yeah, can yeah, stay. Yeah, yeah, I've seen The Black Hole. Okay, you yeah. can stay. Okay. Yeah, The Black Hole was actually really good. I yes. enjoyed that. Oh, yeah. We Actually, we watched, Jackie Grace and I watched The Black Hole. I found it on Blu-ray, and we watched it downstairs in the home theater, mm-hmm. and we... I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I, oh, it was it was a tour de force of technology. Uh, it, it was Disney at its epitome at the time that movie was made. I've and been you a, can tell that. I've started. I, I've made a little time, and I've got. I've been. Or, I'm re- sorry. At their pinnacle, yeah. not their not their epitome. I'm sorry. Wrong word. It was Disney at their pinnacle when they made well, they when they made that movie. They didn't release it with their name. It was like Buena Vista, mm-hmm, exactly. Because yep. I mean, it's got. It's not dark, but. It's dark compared it's to dark compared to normal Disney. Yeah, other, yeah. I mean, other than Bambi's mom dying and or yeah. ne- Nemo's mom dying, yeah. and, and then uh, sl- slave labor with Snow White and stuff like uh, that. Uh, yeah, and the the uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, this was a little bit more in your face because yes. it was a, there was a couple places in it that was, but regardless, yeah. I mean, I, I've had an opportunity to start to rewatch it. Uh-huh. it because I, I I just hadn't seen it in years. Yeah, and just the way they executed the sets uh-huh. and then made the technology of the day look like the technology of the future. I mean, you're right. It's it, just it, it actually aged really it did. well. I think it did. Yes, I, I think it did. So anyway, I'm sorry. The reference so, Finkel is Einhorn. Einhorn is Finkel. They are one is begets the other. Begets fair, the other. Yes. Fair, fair yeah. enough. And I I need to watch Ace Ventura again. I suppose. But but ultimately, John, the reason why why we bring that up is because. Your what you're going to buy from HighScoreSaves.com or from Braze, for that matter, I mean it's it's going to be all one in the same. So the the re I think the value here is that today you get so much more money for these kits than you got even five years ago or six years ago. And because they're all CPU drop-in kits mm-hmm. where you pop your CPU out, you pop this board in, then you pop your C- you pop the CPU on top of that kind of riding, uh, riding sidecar, I guess, or, or riding side saddle with, with the board. Um, it, it appears that, that, Everything is original. I mean, I can't. I mean, I've got high score saves on almost all of my Nintendo games, and I can't tell the difference at all, at all, for for what those games uh, or well, for how those games actually original play. Hardware with exactly. The original code. That's it. That's exactly and, and right. Ba- basically, and I'm not downplaying this in yeah. any any way, shape, or form. You're not doing anything that that is changing that that original timing. Yeah. It is standing between uh, where it's writing 
where it's it's intercepting the, the, those the, the scores. Yeah, exactly. And it, then it's just storing them in a place that it can feed the scores feed back. back. That's exactly it, it, right. To, to, yeah. to, and I'm not downplaying what they're doing because could I do it? No, 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 no. no. I, I don't have the time but or the bandwidth to get you're, into You're not that. getting in a situation where you're taking a Pac-Man and you're putting a, uh, the, the board broke. And so you put a 16-1 board in it yes. and you disable everything but Pac-Man. Yes, You're yes. totally different situation. Yeah. 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 It, so, John, I, I mean, these multi-kits and the, the high score save kits and, and everything that are the CPU drop-ins, I have, I mean, me personally, I love them. I have a lot of them. And by you asking this question, I actually went back to highscoresaves.com today and did a quick brush up on all the new games that they have got kits for. And it's absolutely amazing how many games they have high score save kits for today. And I, I mean, I've got to do an order. They've got one for gyrus now. And I, I didn't know that. And it's like, Oh, I've got to have one for gyrus. They've got one for Frogger. They've got one for wizard of war. So, I mean, but it's, it's just back and forth. Those, those all not in every case. So they're adding games. Cause I think what John, the, I think the, the spirit of John's question here is, is I'm thinking of something like, Mark Spaeth's six pack to add yeah. pack games to a Pac-Man. Okay. Fair or, enough. Or uh, like who, the multipede or something yeah, like who, that. Who does the, gosh, I've got Mike Doyle. Yes. The, yeah. the, the, the 96 in one pack yeah. for, for a Pac-Man board. And it is exactly what you're saying here. It, you, you have the original hardware uh-huh. and it's a darter card that basically says, gives you a menu and it says, all right, this is what we're going to feed the game, yeah. this set of ROMs or that set of ROMs. Exactly. And it, then it and then it executes original code. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah and so, so... Go ahead, I'm sorry. So, so I, the short of it for me is, is I'm on board with them... Oh, yeah, totally. ...that are reversible. Yeah, reversible and... and ex- exactly, reversible and execute the actual game code because then the game, quote-unquote, doesn't change from a playability standpoint. Mm-hmm. Now, you've also got solutions that are FPG GA based, okay, uh, field programmable gate array, where it is essentially you're using software to program a essentially a chip to behave a certain way to where you can recreate the hardware of the original machine in software. Now, FPGA, like a JROC board or like a BitKit board, as long as they're done well, and I have to believe that most anybody doing FPGA is qualified to do it well, as long as it's it's done well, that's virtually indistinguishable from, quote unquote, a, a real PCB because to the code that's running on it, the original code that runs on it, it doesn't know that it's not running on an original well, you know, board like J rocks. Will multi Williams, multi, board, the multi Williams. Yeah. He, he uses an FPGA to, to, um, stand in for all of the, the TTL, all the glue logic, uh-huh. everything. Yep. But it still uses a what is it? What are those most of those Williams games? Sixty five oh nine. Yeah. The, yes. It, correct. But you still have to put an actual sixty five oh nine on it. It it'll execute on a real processor, and then the FPGA does the work. Does all, is, all the support work that would normally be done on the board the size of a of a ski. Yeah. Is, yeah, is what's going on with it, this it's, board. It's crazy. So, 
So I, I looped I've it. got Mark Spates, if he can still get him, his ZZPU that goes in Berserk and plays Berserk Frenzy. And that's uh, how it works. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. Oh, cool. cool. It uses a, an original CPU. I can't remember this. I've had that thing in there so long. I, yeah. 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 But okay. So I think that's a good example of multi-game kits that also are, they're true to the original game, true to the quote unquote original hardware from a logic standpoint and execution standpoint, completely viable. Now, other solutions that are emulation, John, like Arcade SD, um, I mean, I, I kind of loop those into the 60 and ones and the multi kits yeah. and things like that. They may play the game, but they, they do it via emulation, not via FPGA or not as executing on original hardware that, that may be fine for a, a multi cocktail, you know, multi sit down cocktail machine or something like that. But it's not going to be, the, it's not going to be the quote unquote indistinguishable from the real game. And then you get into the, the multi kits for running multiple boards in a single game. Highscoresaves.com sells, uh, you and I were talking about the, the Nintendo versus switcher that would go in a red tent or go in a Unisystem game that would allow you to run like multiple, you know, multiple Nintendo versus games on the same oh, so on, yeah. on the same board. And you're you're not talking about like the Mark Spaths kit because I've got a couple of those. Okay. Where if well, you, it'd be in the same category. Well, it's necessary. how Mark's work is. So so if you consider a versus board, yeah. it's got two sides. Two sides. And so if you had a red tent. Or if you had the dedicated double cabinet, you know, which was actually two cabinets that joined together. Yeah, they were just kind of at an, at an angle. angle. At an angle. Those yeah. actually run off of a single physical board. And then you put ROMs on the right or ROMs on the left. Uh-huh. And that one drives one monitor and one drives the other. They could run independent games or in the case of like a tennis, they could, they'll talk across to each other and you could play four player. Yeah. So for a converted versus cabinet. So you, you've got like, I've got back here, it's a Donkey Kong cabinet that's been converted to a versus cabinet uses the same board, but you've only got one monitor and one control panel. So you only use one side of the board. Okay. Now what's Mark's kit does, if they're even still available, I don't know if they are or not a key combination with either, either set of the AB buttons allows you to flip. Correct. It flips your, uh, controls in your video output to the other fingers on the edge connector that represent the other side of the board. Yeah, gotcha. So you could run two games in it and switch between the two with a little keystroke combination. Oh, okay, fair enough. That's the... Then you talking about that kind of switcher, or are you stacking multiple versus boards? Well, because I'm thinking about like those JAMA switchers. Yeah, well, effectively, I think what John's asking about is both. Because if you run like the Nintendo switchers, which like in your like in your versus cabinet or in a Donkey Kong cabinet, you can get those from like Riddled TV. We'll sell those like a multi JAMA switcher, or you can get uh, like from Mike's Arcade a multi Nintendo switcher, which will allow you to put Donkey Kong a Donkey Kong PCB, a Donkey Kong Jr. PCB, a Donkey Kong 3 PCB in the same cabinet. And then with a keystroke combination, you switch the active input from one board, from the board in slot one to the board in slot two to the board in slot Does three. Does he have an associated power supply that's beefy enough to run the three boards? Uh, he has to. He's yeah, offering the... Yeah, exactly. I mean, so you can get it as a full kit, okay? But... Uh, 
but I have no problem with those either because you're still executing the original board. It's just you're you're improving the you're improving your choice with those types of kits. So, John, I, I guess probably the best way to sum this up is as long as the the multi kit, the switcher kit, or the high score save kit, or the FPGA, what, whatever multi multi-capability you're employing as long as it runs the original game as intended original code or on original hardware then you're getting the original experience with with convenience uh, kind of built in so Mm -hmm. yeah so anyway, I hope that's I hope that's a good answer, John. I, I, one thing this did is uh, you you spent my money on this <laughs> because I went to High Score Saves, looked up and put together a cart, and it's like I need these four High Score Save kits that I had no idea were out. One of them's a multi, like a multi. I need to get the multi peed kit that was in my cart. You know, I've thought about. And I don't have it, but I know, will soon. So th- this has crossed my mind randomly as I've been out in the building walk doing things i've got a i've got a nice millipede oh yeah i've got a nice centipede in the game room yeah and i was i thought <laughs> i bring that i bring that millipede down well that see that's where i think i've landed is i is to have both versus either find a millipede board and do a multipede well i guess i could do a multipede with the millipede because you have to have that, a millipede board that's what i was getting at yeah yes and wh- wh- what i've seen people do because they tend I like the smaller trackball on the centipede better. So I've seen people take a millipede board, put a multipede on it, and then you have to do a, a you have to have a conversion harness of some type, and I then think, run it in a centipede, right? Because I think yes. the pinout is slightly different between it, it the is. two, yeah. and run it in a centipede cabinet. Yes, that that would. That would probably be the best of everything, yes. right there. The one thing that I will say about a millipede cabinet, though is the sound is better on a millipede cabinet. Oh, yeah, yeah, I can see because, that. Because, because of the speaker setup. Because yeah. of the speaker setup, and it, it just, it's more guttural, and it just, it thumps more than a centipede does. But a centipede's not bad, either way. I, I think at the end of the day, I'm not going to do anything other than continue with my home improvement <laughs> projects and uh, go through my laundry room. Fair enough, yeah, fair enough. Or, or Brent, we could do that. See, see, yeah. Well, I'll let you know. You're not going to be out of the loop. Okay, trust me. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. And our last one is from a friend of the show, John Turner over in the UK. And John writes in and said, Hey, Whitney, I do have an update on the moon alien. He said, in some ways, the project is nearly done. I got loads of help from UK back with art and technical knowledge. It's all documented in, in that forum. Uh, even found a possible link to the original artist from back in the seventies. Thanks for putting a link in the show notes. I'll have to check in more often and, other ways it hasn't progressed as all at all though as the cabinet looks the same i have about 75 percent of the parts the art etc to finish it to finish it off but life gets in the way and it has taken a back seat unfortunately uh it, it has taken a back seat unfortunately it is a and he put this in in parentheses zoo keeper though (laughs) i'll get it done at some point hope you and the family are well cheers john so john thank you for writing in and we certainly hope the same all right that's uh that's some feedback uh, some feedback from the mailbag i was trying to remember um it was another movie reference, and I'm going. To, I'm just going to let it go. I'm just going to let it go. I'm going to move on. Yeah, we, yeah. We've, still, we've still got a fair amount to get through yeah, here. Yeah. yeah, so I'm just going to let it. Oh, okay, I'm fair that. enough. I let it go. It's not worth bringing up. <laughs> okay, so let's uh, let's roll over into a little bit of that. And I, and I I called this a tech talk, and um, and I also noticed I 
totally misspelled some stuff in our show notes, but I'll deal with that later. So I'm going to call this a tech talk because it kind of falls in the technical category. And, and like a lot of the tech talks, I'm just going to share like lessons learned and try to impart maybe a little knowledge that I've gained and honestly, maybe hopefully save some people a huge hassle. And this is all around my going back for years, years, my years long exploit into how to store stuff for this hobby. Okay. So first of all, if, if everyone's already not realized it and I gleaned this from prior conversations, I've got a lot of, I've got a lot of stuff and I, I'm fortunate in that I've, I've Whitney, we've been in this for a while. We we both were in the hobby before we met each other. Mm-hmm. The show we've just finally decided to set like seven years old. Yeah, exactly. And, and we've been in the hobby a lot longer than that. And I, I remember when I first started reading articles on old news groups, not even like forums, you know, about how people were talking about finding operators and how to approach an operator and do these things even exist anymore. And I mean, they, they still did when I started and I was fortunate to get to know some and to be able to purchase large groups of parts. And and I've also people that are still friends of mine in the, in the industry if you will, or the hobby, they would do the same in their area and then we would trade stuff. So I, I've got some experience here. And if you're in the hobby anytime, even if you don't end up in a position like that, trust me, you'll you, have stuff. You're going to acquire stuff. Stuff turns up. There's always a deal to be found. There's always an extra game that you have sitting out in the garage. There's always a box of parts with it. If you're ordering things and and you think ahead, you're going to order, especially really consumable parts, pinball rubbers, common electronics parts. Uh, If you need batteries for a flashlight, even if you didn't have a pinball pinball machine or video game, you're not generally going to buy two batteries. You're going to buy a pack of 10 because, I mean, at the end of the day, it's a little cheaper and you're going to need them anyway. You know, so you're going to start acquiring things, large and small. That's that's kind of where we're at with this. Now, the thing, let's just jump right into the, the, the first thing that comes to mind, which is the little hardware cabinet deals that we were discussing earlier in the show. And, and again, I don't know what to call these. When I was looking for these to get some new ones, I, I, I had the hardest time trying to find a consistent name. Uh, is it hardware storage bins? Is it a hardware storage cabinet? Is it storage cabinet with drawers? It's unfortunately, I don't have any advice to give you other than if you're really looking for something and you're, this might be us specific. I've got some links for you. Okay. But right out of the gate, I'll tell you, and this even calls back to earlier in the show, Whitney, avoid the Harbor Freight ones. I'm not even going to put a link in the show notes because I don't want someone to think that's something we liked and they just happen to catch it without hearing the show and they buy it. I actually went to a local Harbor Freight uh, and this was right at the beginning of the, of, uh, of the pandemic era here and everything was disappearing out of stores because stores, this, this area, unfortunately, we had issues and we're still having issues with flat out riots and looting. So a lot of the stores, even outside of the center of town, they were letting their stocks dwindle. 
uh, to, to reduce their li- their liability if something happened. So I had a hard time getting these. And when I got them, I was wholly disappointed. None of the drawers would set. I mean, they, they wouldn't even pretend to set like kind of straight and that you couldn't pull the drawer out and it would kind of hang there. It would come out and droop it like a 45 degree angle, come right out. I mean, they were, they were a disappointment. You know, there's all, there's everything in Harbor Freight isn't the best, but there's a lot of winners. There's also a lot of losers. There's also a lot of losers. This is a loser. So don't go to Harbor Freight and get their little, their little cabinet organizer drawer thingies. Let's, let's just go with that term. That's a technical term. Uh, Whitney, you were talking about here today, gone tomorrow. So stack on S T A C K dash on, they make or have made over time a lot of storage, just different things for different types of storage, everything from lockers to cabinets to, uh, the, the drawer things and, and, and organizers that we're talking about. I have quite a few of those here in the States. You used to be able to walk into a Lowe's, a big box store, probably even a Home Depot and definitely a Walmart. And they had a good selection of them, especially if you went into a Lowe's. It wasn't uncommon to have a huge display of them at all kinds of sizes and different drawer combos. And I was shocked that I couldn't find any. They did. I mean, it's not that they were out of stock. They didn't have them on their site. They were gone. You could find a few online, and I thought the prices were exorbitant. I mean, they're nice. They the ones I have, have 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 served me very well. They're made they're made out of nice materials. The drawers fit very well. They're durable. But I was like, man, we're we're this 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 is this is high stepping, and I'm like mm, this. I, I, so I kept looking to kind of follow up on that. Just today, when I was kind of looking back and getting ready for the show, I took a look at their site and I can't even find this stuff on their site anymore. I know it's so frustrating, but it was on there like three months ago, four months ago when I started this. So it's phased out of their site that fast. There's some that are still like in the secondary market. I saw someone like Amazon and eBay. Like if I, I want to say that the, the part number series was like stack on DS dash and then some number. And that number was the number of drawers. And then they had variants where they were, um, the different, the same cabinet size, but you would have like these quad size drawers, like one drawer would be the size of four and they might have those. I've got a couple of those. They'd have like the bottom half would be the bigger drawers and the upper half would be the smaller drawers. And they all locked together. Like the cabinets would stack on top of each other. The, the they're, I, as of today, that it's not even on their site anymore. So that it's going away, I guess. Now, what I ended up actually with was here, here in the U S we've got ACE hardwares and they actually have a really nice selection of these. And I, I put a couple in our show notes and it's the same deal where you've got a given cabinet size that is your typical kind of like smaller drawer that you would associate with like, oh, well, I'm going to put nuts in this one and washers in this one and maybe connectors in that one. But they also have the same cabinet size with lar- a, a mix of large and small drawers. They have smaller cabinet sizes. They, ha- they have several. Now, they are a little pricey on their website, but I found but at that point I usually usually stuff that's branded Ace Hardware is very nice quality and I couldn't find anything. 
So I, I was willing to go with it. And I went to my local a store and they were far cheaper in the store. So if you've got that option, it's something to take a look at. Um, I'm looking at these now. Are you? Yeah. And I only put a couple cause I mean, I could have put four or five or six in the show notes, but I put a couple and I'm sure that if you go to their site, you could look in that category or they'll, they'll suggest others to you that'll give you an idea of, of, of the other, the other shapes and combos that you could get. And, and if you, that, th- these are what make up my main wall in my, my parts room. And, and I, I kind of say this in the EEs out there, you know, I know we've had some EEs right in and thank you to those that have, they've been very complimentary. And if anything, I'm embarrassed when I'm, or uh, Whitney, when we're kind of ham fisting our way through some kind of discussion and yeah, they're like, very true. no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, well, but EEs we're not. Yes, so. we're not. We're not. So w- one thing I've always caught, uh, found is interesting is, is that anytime I've read any kind of technical journals or or there's always this, maybe it's a cover your kind of backside type situation. Everyone's so overly concerned with static discharge and especially ICs. But whenever I see pictures, especially like in the electronics forums I'm in that are EEs and you, they're like, well, show me your bench. And they, they, they show their benches invariably it is a wall full of these little hardware storage bins. It's not some kind of high-end specialty grounded <laughs> special non-static because so pl- I've even seen special storage things that are plastic like like tackle box container type deals, opening lids with all the little compartments. And you, I've even seen those at like Mauser and all that that are made of special plastics that are resistant to static and all. Nope. Every EE I've ever seen or every electronics technician I've ever seen for years, even before Facebook, when you, when you have the obligatory, show me your workbench thread, hardware store storage bins. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It just makes sense. Everyone I get it. walls I get it. of them. Yep. I get it. So I, I just go with it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Right, wrong, or indifferent. So anyway, from that point, you kind of step up to what if you got larger things? And I'm talking about stuff like think about the pinball world coils, pop bumper parts, you know, like your, your ring and stem from your pop bumper, your pop bumper bodies, uh, flipper bats, you know, just things like that that are a little bigger than like your average resistor or your Z80 processor. Okay. That's when you start to get into, uh, rail mount and stackable storage bins. So imagine, uh, a box if you will, but with two sides missing, uh, a rectangular box and you're missing the front and you're missing the top. And you typically would have these hanging on a wall and you might have, you could reach your hand into it. Okay. And they hang there. Does that, I'm trying to describe these. I'm sure hopefully everybody understands what I'm talking about. And I know everybody has seen them, whether in a hardware store or even in a movie or something like that, larger containers, various sizes. And what, what, I've got some links to in the show notes is in this case, I would call Harbor freight. I would call them a win here. All right. And they've got things from 20 bucks all the way up to $130. Okay. And even one of the, the most basic, which I've got a couple boxes of these, they're 12 bucks and it's 20 of these bins 
and they interlock so you could stack them. Uh, dude, that hurts. What? I, I just have a fundamental issue paying $134, $135 for plastic at Harbor Freight. Well, here's the deal. Okay, I'll get to that. So the 12 buck one, they're, they're the individual bins. You can stack them. You can stand them on a, on a bench and stack them and do whatever. But they also have a rail that comes in the box. So you mount the rail and then they hook into the rail. So you can put them up on a wall. I, I use a few of them on my bench, actually. Now, where, where my fail here is, is I thought, man, this is a great storage solution. And I bought two boxes of these. And of the two boxes, I've only ever used two of the bins. Mm, okay. And I Got just, it. I just haven't honed in on finding a place where I want to tack these to a wall, knowing that, okay, well now I can't slide something in front of that place. Well, Cause I might need access to <laughs> I, I it. I know. Yeah. So it, it's it, like you lose all of that area. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I, I've, and when I, when I bought them, they, I, honestly, they were probably under 10 bucks for the box of 20. I've had them that long. I probably have I probably have twelve dollars in both boxes at this point. I bet they were six fifty or six ninety nine at the time. I've had them that long. But if this is something that works for you, it's it's not a bad idea. If you've got a space, whether it's over your bench and you do a lot of pinball, and you've got thirteen or fourteen or twenty or forty types of coils that you're constantly using, or you're wanting to store eight different types of flipper bats and you need easy access because you're these are perfect for you where you're getting into that $130 range, Whitney, is you're ramping up this concept. So as you're getting into um, the next level up, the bins are a little nicer and they come with a rack system. So the rack, you can get them all the way from like freestanding that are on your desktop. So instead of just locking these little bins together, which I always kind of hate because especially the footprint they have, if you get more than about three high, I could see it being very easy to knock over then you're, then you're in it. Okay. And stuff goes everywhere. Whereas if, as you're starting to get into the upper end versions of these at Harbor Freight, they come with, like I said, with a rack system that, that can be freestanding. You can clip each of these bins in it, set it on a shelf, set it on your workbench. If you need to, you just pick a bin up, take rummage through it, take your part out, put it back in it. When you're getting into that $130 one, that is a freestanding frame on wheels with access to both sides, three different size of bins, 74 bins, and then the bottom of it's also a storage tray. So you can put a bunch of stuff in the bottom. You could wheel that around and then if when you want it out of the way, you slide it in, you slide it between two workbenches or something, and it's it's out of your way. And honestly. I still got a bunch of uh, pinball parts that I do need to go through. I've got a good selection of coils that I've got piled into like uh, the large flat rate uh, uh, USPS boxes. I've thought about just going and dropping the 130, breaking that stuff all out, sorting it all out. Because whenever I need one, I've got to root through these boxes. Yeah, just to get it out to where you can see it. Right. Yeah. And then since I, I get that, since it's narrow. And it's on wheels. I can take it over and I can, the, the rack system that I mentioned that I have in my garage, I can just slide it right under Uh, and it's out of the way. I I get, I totally get that. It's just 135 bucks for something that's 95% plastic. That's, that's the thing that just kind of burns me, I guess. And you know, you speak about that and and 
I think you, in in some of the storage solutions you've come up with, you've referenced this, or I've referenced this when you've talked about the some of the storage solutions you've used. We had a link. I think we put a link into a prior show notes to uh, tested yes. with Adam Savage. Oh yes, yes, yes. And he went with this. I mean, that's this is what he does for a living, so it makes more sense for him. But this company he went with was ultra customizable storage rack solution. And it was like, it was like the the price of a nice new car. It was, it was all German. Yeah. And in that being said though, the engineering, oh, ma- yeah, the yeah. engineering matched the price. So, so I mean, the, it, it had these, these containers that opened up like a book mm-hmm. and then you were, totally customizable as to all the little tubs that went in at large to small. And they all fit in like, not like Lego, but more like Tetris. And then the way the lid closed and they interfaced with the containers, you could put anything you wanted to in them and flip the thing 360 degrees and nothing would cross contaminate. I mean, it was, it was beautiful. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It It was, it was the Cadillac. Yeah. It was nice. And we, we discussed that on episode 87 and episode 88. I was just looking through the show notes. So this, this, uh, the, the thing that we're talking about though, that's 135 bucks. I've seen them in person. Cause when you go into the stores, this is one of the things that they actually have up assembled for you to look at. Oh, okay. And, and they're pretty nice. Okay. Okay. Right. They are a far cry beyond the quality of like the 20 bin $12 deal. Okay. They're, they're pretty nice, but at the end of the day, you're right. It's still Harbor Freight. If it's something you're looking for, get one of the, easily obtainable 20% off coupons and then just, you know, go to town. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But you know, if this, uh, I'm trying to find a reason to use one of these (laughs) as odd as it sounds. I know. I mean, I'm a sucker for storage solutions as well. I I truly am. And I freely admit it and I'm always looking for a better one. So I I mean, I'm, I'm not railing on, I'm not railing on the, the, the concept or the execution or even, or even the product, I guess it's just Harbor Freight. Yeah. It just kind of bums me a little well, bit. What gets me about these open face storage bins, whether you mount or either they come with a rail and you put the rail on the wall and you hook them in, or they, they come with a, like a storage solution type frame. The thing that gets me about the, them is they're, they're designed for, I need, I need access to, I need fast, uh, uh, access to whatever's in them very, very often. So like if you see any, any videos of like assembly lines, if you look up in each individual stations, this is the type of thing that is going to be at your station. You might only have four or five of these bins cause you might only be doing two or three processes that need four or five parts. But these types of tubs are there because they're made for you to, the faces are open and the top's open. So you can reach your hand in there, and pull out what you need. Okay. Yeah. You know, yeah, true. Yep. It, so it, the flip side of that too is, is, is they're not stored away. So if you've got a dusty environment or even if it's not a dusty environment, you're just not in it very often. It's all open top. So that that's to me, it just seems like I could put a lot in a little space, especially when it's vertical on a, on a moving rack and I could get it out of my way or I can put it behind something else, but I haven't yet. It's almost like I've got a, 
a solution looking for a problem. That's yeah. that's my deal. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, get I that. haven't personally. I like the concept of them. If it's something that you're doing, if you're doing a lot of work, a lot. If you're if you restore machines for a living, it might be great for you. But I, I have yet to find find it work for me. Most of my stuff is smaller, and I need it put away. Yeah, exactly. And one thing I do want to say is when we were talking about Adam Savage on Sorted. Tested. Uh, it, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Tested. Thank you. Uh, this, the storage system that he uses from Germany, it's called Sortimo. That, Sortimo. That, that's what it is. So, and I, I'm sorry. I was looking at looking that up while you were talking because it was going to bug me until, it's I, amazing. until I found that. It yeah. is. A, if, it, did you find his video, his tested video? Oh, oh yeah. Maybe yeah. throw that in the show notes again. Yep. It is amazing looking at it. And if you have the need and the means... It's the way to go. Oh, Sortimo is the oh, way yeah. to go. There's no doubt. Yep. It's crazy. Crazy good. So one, I'm going to call this next section the out-of-the-norm storage solutions. And this harkens back to uh, my, my comments from a, a show or so ago when I had that pile of pencil boxes here from Sterilite. So Sterilite, they, we talked a little bit about this on that last, on a, that, that show, Whitney. Sterilite makes a lot of storage containers. And if you walk into, at least stateside, uh, a big box store, a uh, especially like a general big box store, like a Walmart, and you go over to their, their home area, and this is why I'm saying the out of the norm, because you're not going to find these typically in a hardware store or in the hardware section of, a, of, uh, of your big box stores, like a Walmart, or maybe even a Lowe's or a Home Depot. You're going to find these in the home section. Of, of a department store, you're going to find this stuff in craft stores. And a lot of, a lot of these things are made by this company, Sterilite. They are now the, this company has been around for a while that the stuff they make is generally accessible. It's generally locatable. It's generally available in multiple locations. They generally have multiple sizes of a given product and those sizes generally stack. So one of the things I'm a big fan of from Sterilite is their, their craft storage drawer uh, uh, assemblies or, or, or products. I don't even know what name you would, you would apply to it. So generally these come in like a three drawer unit and you can get them really teeny tiny down to maybe five or six inches wide up to about a foot wide. And then, of course, as they scale in width, they scale in depth and scale in height. And I, I use these quite often and I've, I've integrated them into my parts wall in there because I just I honestly I've got. OK, well, I have this random assortment of of small boards that I don't know exactly what to do with. They're sort of loosely related. I don't want to dedicate an individual drawer because it's wasted space. Okay, bingo. That's I'll go get a couple of these Sterilite drawer units and put them right there on my shelving unit and just away I go. And if I've got room to go vertical, I can stack several. To the right side of my workbench, I've got a taller unit it's probably four foot tall, four and a half foot tall. Okay. And toward the bottom, there's a couple larger drawers. And as it gets up, the drawers get, gets higher. The drawers get narrower. I have got all kinds of stuff in those drawers. The bottom is, is full of wire, spools of wire. As I come up, I've got 
uh, a soldering and desoldering spare parts and, and, and tools. Then as, as I go higher, I've got a drawer that's dedicated to like, um, all my monitor adjustment tools. And I've got a drawer that's got uh, all my shrink wrap or my heat shrink tube in it. It all sterilite stuff. And you can customize this. It's all, like I said, it's all stackable. It's all interchangeable and it's all available. Yeah. I'm going to have to look into that because I I have got some sterilite pieces, but I have not, I've not stuck with them because I'll see something while I'm at a a Harbor Freight (laughs) or or I'll see something while I'm at a Lowe's and it catches my eye and it's like, oh, that would be very good for a specific use case. And then what I've done is I have use cased myself out of out of a standardized setup is what I've done. And I've got this hodgepodge of stuff, none of it bad, but it doesn't work together. And that's the issue. Well, like the Sterilite drawers, I've been drawer sets I've been buying here recently. I want to say they're probably 10 inches by 10 inches by three and a half or so deep. And it's three drawers and it, it comes in a little unit again, that's stackable with more of the same size and there's six dollars and some change at Walmart. So, in the same, I mean, not bad. And you can get them in a multitude of colors. If you want to get fancy at a craft store, you can get the very same thing with different textures uh, on the face of the drawer, and you can get them everywhere. But like I said, if you're kind of looking in the normal places that that we would typically shop, you know, the guy that uh, this is a very male statement here. If you go to the hardware store, you're not going to find that stuff, you know, <laughs> yeah. you're not going to find that. So that's why I'm calling that like an out of the box solution. Walk into a, 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 a craft store and go to the back. Where, like, a, like a Michael's or something like or, that. Or uh, we have Hobby Lobby here Hobby as Lobby, well. Yeah, I'm not yep. sure what you've got in your, in your country or your city, but yeah, look, look, go and look in their storage areas. If you need, um, if you need to store some small parts and you, you want to keep a handful of, say, drivers for your pinball machines, but you don't want a full wall of electronics parts, look at what people store, like jewelry makers store their supplies in. That I mean, I've actually got a couple of those little kits and I use those to store ICs. You know, I've got a lot of uh, TTL that I wanted to keep separated, but I might have four of these and three of those and two of those, not enough where I can, I drawer myself to death trying to put them in the little drawer storage units. I've got a, uh, now this was a, this was a miss because it was a one-off. Yeah. Okay. And I may convert away from it, but I've got a jewelry makers storage solution. So it opens up and then inside of it are a bunch of little rectangular boxes that would have held beads in those I have. And I've just got put little labels on them and and labeled them all. And I've, it's all full of TTL. Hmm. So Uh, that's a a good idea. I've never really considered that, but yeah. Another good thing is uh, take a look in the sporting goods section of stores and I, I'm not a fan of tackle boxes. I've tried to use tackle <laughs> no, boxes a couple I, times. I, I toss them. I, I just yeah. I can't stand them. Uh, well, I find them one. They're pricey because they're they're made to be used outdoors. They're made to be in and out of a lot. They're made to be super durable. So you're you're paying for that. You, you're you're paying for something that you don't necessarily need for some, that's going to store maybe small components, electronics, or springs, or or whatever. And you're going to be into it potentially once or twice a month or even if you're into it a couple times a week or even a couple times a day, you're not going to abuse it like a fisherman would. I I just, and I've also never been able to, 
I've never been comfortable. I've never made good use of the form factor of, of the average tackle box. Yeah. Trying to store stuff that I need to store. It's just not worked out for me. Me either. It, they seem clumsy and like, like you trip over them and they open and they're multi-layer and it's like you move stuff around and I've never been successful at organizing with a tackle. Neither box. have I. I just never have. Now where I had been successful in the sporting goods section though, is Plano P L A N O is another company similar to Sterilite that makes a lot of these plastic organization boxes. And you'll see those a lot in the fishing section of a hardware store. Oh, it's not a hardware store in the fishing section of a sporting goods area or sporting goods store. And they'll make, basically they're tackle organizers and, and I don't know how to describe these, but it, it, we've all seen these things. Imagine something about the form factor of a large book, like a coffee table book with a snap open cover. And then when you snap it open and you, you, you look inside and there's individual little storage compartments and a lot of them that Plano makes, they have little dividers. So they'll come, <coughs> pardon me, They'll come with a selection of dividers and you so you can customize how long or how wide each of your storage areas are. I use those a lot for um, for hardware, for fuses. And, and again, that company's been around. You can get them in a lot of locations and the way that they make the bottoms of them and the tops, they're stackable. All of my EPROMs, they're organized in these Plano storage organizers okay i'm gonna have to to look at those then because i've been doing tube tube organizers and let me tell you the the tubes are not scalable they're good for transport but they absolutely fall on their face for organization i have um i have some ic's that i still keep in tubes because i have an abundance of them and it just makes sense just to go ahead and leave them in there and I'm it's like, I'm always fighting with them. It's, it's like, try, always, yeah, always. It's like trying to straighten out a plate of spaghetti. Yes. It is always a battle. Yeah. The tubes are so frustrating and, and I keep the, I've got a lot. You of, have to have deep, a deep place to store them because uh-huh. they all come, you know, what are they? Whitney 24 inches oh, typically. If, if not longer. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and if you try to store them vertically, then that's a, that's a challenge because it's almost like you're trying to store a bunch of brooms on the, yeah. on the broomstick and yeah. it's just, Oh, it's, it's horrible. Yeah. So yeah, I, I've, I, the, all my EPROMs went into those Plano, Plano organizers and the tube stuff someday, the things I've gotten tubes, I may convert over. So now, now as we continue to step up in size, we're getting to shelving. All right. So here's my cautions here. Out on the market, there are tons of what I call just basic plastic tube type shelves. And that's where you'll have a, a like a each of the shelves will be the same thing. The one of them will be the base. You'll put it on the on the floor. There'll be four uh, uh, holes in the corner. You take four tubes that come with it made of plastic, jam them in there. Take the next shelf, the next layer stick it on there. You got four more holes, four more tubes, and you build it up from the ground. Generally, they're four or five shelves, and they're really lightweight, the inexpensive <laughs> yeah. ones, yeah. okay? Yeah. 
I've never had really any luck with them, even when I'm storing lightweight things. They, they tend to tip on you and exactly. move around. It, it, they never sit square because because they're 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 lighter than anything that sits on them. It's just it it's just not a good solution. The only one of those that I have that I've had any long term success with is in the very corner of my shop. It is literally trapped between two walls my computer desk and my workbench. It cannot fall over. It, it The house will have to go before it'll fall over. And, and things that are on that are things that I need to keep in the shop and I have uh, infrequent use for, and they're very, very light. Okay. But that said, there are some of these, this is definitely a get what you pay for thing, especially if you're going into more like big box stores or specialty stores you can get them that are pretty stout, but you have to pay for them. Now, one of the, I've got several that I like. They came from a local farm supply store called uh, Rural, Rural King. There's another firepower for you. Yeah. Rural King. Rural King, yeah. Those, however, those are kind of a one and done because Rural King will turn around and they kind of do to a degree like maybe a walmart or a big lots or a big lots yeah they'll okay this is on the market this is available i can get a tractor trailer load of these from you for x okay I buy and put them in the store here today gone tomorrow uh-huh. so i've got several of them and knowing how they operate i kind of did that thing we were talking about earlier whitney i went in and bought as many as i think i would need plus two or three and these are the larger ones so each of the shelves each each of the bays are probably about four foot wide Okay. And they're pretty stout. And and I use them honestly to circle back again. I use them to organize my RC car collection. They work out very well, but I filled them up. And at this point I'm, I'm going to, what do I do? Because whatever I get's not going to match. They're, they're kind of one and done. You can, however, you can get craftsman branded. If you, that's might be just us thing. Or a few other companies that that make them that are available, you know, across vendors. And I've even seen them if you go with a a first tier manufacturer where each of those shelves, they're keyed. There's like a, a male on one side and a female on the other. So once you build two units, you can literally lock them together mm-hmm. and then build them out. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yep. So the, those are pretty cool. And, and what we're talking about here is if you're storing heavier stuff, if you're storing corn doors, if you're storing pinball legs, if you're storing maybe a, a stack of marquees, you know, you got to the, the, the moral of the story with these are, again, you get what you pay for and you got to pay attention to what you're planning to put on them. I, I've definitely had the cheaper ones. I've put like coin doors on them and then over time you, they just, they just break down. So you get what you pay for. Your mileage may vary. Make sure you get something that that you can get again. Okay. So then the step up from there in, in my experience is you're starting to get into these wire shelves. Now there's two types of wire shelves that come to mind. There's these freestanding wire shelves where you buy them in a kit, you got four rods and you've got the individual shelves are, are, are made of wire. You slide them over the rods, and then there's little wedges that go in that hold them in place. So you set your height for your shelf, and you lock them in. Those are pretty stout, and those are pretty sturdy. Um, you're kind of, to me, I put those into the same category as an upper-end heavy plastic 
shelf and you just use them wherever I would use those almost interchangeably other than depending on what you're putting on them, that all the gaps from the wires may cause you some problems where I've used wire shelves is like what you would attach to a wall. Mm -hmm. And I look at those in two different categories, kind of your standalone shelf where your shelf attaches to the wall with a plastic hanger and you have like an angle brace that comes out every so, so often to support it against the wall. And to me, you typically would see those in like a, um, a laundry room or like your shelf that's above your, uh, in the top of your closet, you know, you just need one shelf. Okay. And those might work out if you're doing something like over your workbench, um, they're really not good if you're, if you want like a wall of shelves or three or four shelves. What I really like to do is that like the system, the shelving system version of these wire shelves where you have a vertical rail that you attach to your wall and I put them in the studs. So they're really, so they're in there stout and inside in within that vertical rail, it's got a series of slots in them that the shelf brackets clip into. So you can, you can adjust your height. If you decide you need this shelf lower, this shelf higher, uh, you, you just unclip everything and move it. And then on those shelf brackets, lock in your wire shelving itself. Mm -hmm. So that's like my, my parts wall that I keep talking about. That's what that's made out of. I've got shelves in my laundry room. It's the same way. They're screwed to those vertical rail, uh, 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 that's call them brackets, rails rather. They're screwed into the studs. I can move my brackets around. I've done this when I've reorganized, move my shelves as needed. And man, they are, they're stout. Mm -hmm. They're strong. They can hold a lot of weight. Um, and, and they're, they're very flexible. They're a little bit more expensive. You're paying for that flexibility that they, they are really worth it. They're, I just, I, I, I love I love being able to change them around. It, it seems like something you might do that often and going into it. I didn't think I would, but I'm surprised at how many times I've reorganized, pulled everything down and moved stuff around. And you know, kind of the, really the beauty of these two is, is that you could split a shelf. So you, you could say, okay, well I need three foot of this shelf with this kind of gap and the remainder of it with a different gap. Mm -hmm. Well, just change your brackets, cut your shelf, click it in and away you go, you know, and these, again, there are different manufacturers for these. Frankly, I've kind of mixed and matched the manufacturers. I've kind of, you might, might have to cheese it a little bit to make things fit, but I haven't had much problem with them. So I haven't had much problem with availability and I haven't had much problem with cross compatibility. Yeah. They, they seem to be, they seem to be a bit more universal in design and, um, in manufacturer. So yeah. And, and I've even seen those types of shelves, uh, older, it, meaning like in older buildings and my dad used to have some of those. And so they've been around for a long time, yep. but well, the old school version used to be that rail, that vertical rail, the vertical rail. And yes. then instead of using the wire shelf, they'd have that you'd, you'd put your bracket in it, your hanger in it, and you'd put a piece of wood across Th that's it. That's exactly yep. right. Yeah, I was going to say they've matured a little bit, but ultimately the the idea is sound and the idea is solid. So, yep. What, what, I've, what I've done, well, actually, the only thing I can think of I've had to do for cross-compatibility is one manufacturer might have a little sharper point on their on their shelf hanger than another. 
So I've just taken like a pair of cutters, actually like a, like a chain link cutter, or you could do it with a Dremel or, or cutoff wheel. And I've had to, where that snout, the very end of the bracket protrudes through the very face of the shelf to, to catch the, the, the outermost edge of the shelf, it might not fit through. So I've just had to trim it a little bit and put it in there and, and away I go. Yeah. And away it works. Yep. So I, I really recommend those wire shelves. And the only real drawback to them is, is again, because they're wire, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta be careful what you're storing on them because they can shoot through the wire. You know, you're not going to stack tubes on them vertically because they'll go through the wire. Okay. You know, just, yeah. just as a, as a, as a bad example of what <laughs> not to do, but you know, I, I, mine are mainly filled with the storage bins, the storage organizer. So it works out for me. Great. It, yeah. You know, hopefully this, this will help somebody else out. Yeah. And the final thing I kind of wanted to talk on was talk about is we were stepping up in our different storage solutions are the larger metal racks. Now, and I'm not talking about the larger garage or maybe pallet racks or shelves like you might see in a warehouse or like at a big box store where they run around with a with a forklift and they're in some places they're actually putting pallets onto these things. I'm talking about the kind of the mid-weight metal shelves and, and generally i classify these as um and I'm, I'm sure a lot of us have seen them all the corners are made of like an angled piece of metal and up each side of the the, the angled metal are a bunch of knockouts that are keyhole shaped and then what ends up happening is is the rails that go across the shelves uh, themselves go on interface into those little keyholes. So there's two little buttons on the end of each shelf. They fit through the keyholes and you kind of push down on it. Usually you whack it a couple times with a rubber mallet, locks them in. You can set your heights and then the, the, the kit will come with uh, a piece of uh, particle board that drops down onto those rails and that becomes your shelf. Yeah. They're, they're usually like four feet wide. Yep. And usually two, what, feet. two, two feet deep. Yeah, exactly. It, it, so it, regardless of the manufacturer, they're almost always in that same size. So the brand I like is from a company called Muscle Rack, and they're available at least stateside. And we, I included a link in the show notes so people can see them and see if they can find something uh, local to them. Uh, it, like I said, the, the brand is, is muscle rack that, that you tend to find a lot in this area, or at least in the U S most all your Menards has them home Depot will have them. Lowe's will have them. I've used, I, I don't know how many of these things that, that I have. Oh, I've got a lot as well. A lot. And now you, you look at the plywood and the plywood, not the plywood, the particle board looks kind of thin. But I have stored monitors on these things for years yeah. and not had any problems. There, there is a um, there's a brand, and I think it may be the house brand through Sam's Club, which is the which is essentially the the, the direct to, the, Sam's the direct Choice or whatever for yep. Walmart. Mm -hmm. And the, instead of a particle board, they actually use a molded plastic shelf that is solid. It, okay. It's like solid 
plastic and it is extremely durable and i store all of my monitors on that exact type so, of but shell does it does it fit together the same way oh, yeah. it's got it's, the little keyhole it, it is exactly like these muscle racks mm-hmm. it's just the it's just sam's club's version of the muscle rack and and they have their own they have their own formulation for what the shelf material actually oh is. that's interesting i have yeah. to look at those yeah it's like a gray I, I need to see if i can find it and put it in so the thing about the muscle racks, and you have to tell me if the, the Sam's Club's one is like this, whatever the height is, because they have various dimensions, but generally, the instead of having four posts that make the four corners, you'll have eight, it, because they're flat packing these things. Uh-huh. And yeah. the you'll have to use shelf rails to join the two That's together exactly to at, make your full height at the at the midpoint they always right. have to, they always have to have a midpoint shelf at at that point in order to join the two together successfully right that is right so the downside is is you've got one fixed shelf that you have to work around uh-huh. and and you cannot move that one. you can't move it no. but the upside is is you can bust the the setup and make two units yes that is correct still four but exactly yeah right, right. Half, half, so they're half height half, half height yeah. so and actually that's that's what i ended up doing i mentioned in the beginning of the show i was putting these muscle rocks on up on the on the garage the larger garage storage rocks that's out in my in my building and i because I had height, and honestly, I probably could have put the full rack up. But what I what I chose to do was split it up. No, I, I couldn't have put the full. I, if I put the full rack up, I couldn't have stored monitors on them because I couldn't have got anything on the top rack or almost anything on the top rack that wouldn't have been into the roof, honestly, because it's that tall. I I, fa- I found them. So yeah. I ended up splitting it up and using um, one on one, using them side by side. Basically, one has three shelves, one has two shelves, and it it works for me because of my the height restriction where I ended up using them. So they can be flexible, they cannot be flexible. It just depends on how you end up putting them together and, and how you view that 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 force position of that center shelf. The end of the day, they're pretty sturdy for what you get. You get the larger units that are like four by two. Uh, I think they're 85 bucks here in the U S at Menards. That's a fi- that's five shelves. And I can't think of the height, Whitney. I'd have to look, I have to take a look at one of the links that might be five foot tall. Mm, okay. I, I'd have to look as well. So actually, let me look right here. I just opened up. So, uh, there's so many sizes that it's kind of hard to give you that to give you a blanket statement, but, Here's 48 by 72 high by 24 deep. Uh, so the general the general ones I'm thinking that I'm normally getting are 48 wide, 24 inches deep, 72 inches high, yeah, exactly. five shelves. Yeah, that, that's pretty much it. Yeah, so the ones at Sam's are $70. Are $70? Yeah, for that exact configuration. Yeah. So, and like I said, I've used a lot of them, even in my laundry room. And I keep talking about my laundry room this episode, Whitney. There's f- four in there. Yeah. Two on the back wall, and then I make like a like a one out and then one over, kind of like a an L shape. And uh, I've got, I've got definitely got those came from my old house. 
So I've had those since almost the beginning and they stored mainly monitors, a lot of heavy parts, and they're still rocking and rolling. Yeah. I just took them apart, moved them, and, and put them in the configuration that's out here. I have another one that's out in a shed that's full of monitors. I have an, the one that I just mentioned that I bought that I put in the garage on top of the larger racks. And for me, they've worked out very well. They stood up the, to the test of time for being inexpensive and, and for the weight that I've put on them. And I've just... Yeah, I've enjoyed them or something like them. Yeah, I would highly recommend. Exactly. Exactly. I think they're the I think they're the the Mac daddy of shelves, no doubt. So anyway, Whitney, I mean, that that's a lot. That's that's not as in detailed as the ratchet strap discussion. (laughs) But I mean, so the point being there is stuff that's worked for me and maybe that'll work for you and give you some ideas as to where to look and some lessons that I've learned. Yeah. You no, know, I, I think it's, I think it's good. I you mean, can get creative inexpensively. You, yes. you really can. And your, your money will buy you your satisfaction on these because if you, if you go the more inexpensive route, you're going to see that they were made accordingly to price yeah. and that's okay. Just based upon your needs. But uh, ultimately, if you are going to be storing monitors, you are going to be storing corn doors, you are going to be storing control panels and, and things like that, then you're, you're going to need to have your duty solutions. And I, I'm glad to see that uh, I learned a few things through this. So it, it's awesome. There's there's always a new trick to the to the system here. So it's good. Well, when you when you got to get creative. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's no doubt. Depending, especially given what we do, there's there's so much that we that we kind of need to have on hand mm-hmm. and it's it's just so many different configurations and sizes <laughs> and and and, and you've uh, got to unrelated it, parts and yeah. yeah and you've got to have it on hand and accessible otherwise you're waiting for orders you're waiting for orders and and it could take you months to do what would take you a week if you had everything at your you at know, your it just, side it just occurred to me somewhere along the line i've seen a video of of clay harrell uh-huh. And so where he works on his pinball machines and and I'm I cannot recall the name of it. He has an open house a couple times a year. I believe it used to be a VFW post. Oh man. Okay. And, and I don't even know what's become of this cuz I haven't heard of heard of it was an interview I heard with him years ago on a podcast when he'd first gotten this property and he was putting pinballs there, his collection there. And then he'd have an open house slash show a couple times a year to basically kind of fund it, as I recall. But to restore his collection and to build that out, he had a he had a shop. And from what I recall from the videos of the shop, he used those open face rail mounted storage bins because it made sense for him. Mm-hmm. He had his hands in this stuff. He he needed this coil and a shooter rod and. 87 types of rubber and it, it, all day long, multiple days a week. It didn't make sense for him to go pull drawers or open boxes or st- he needed. I, so I get it. That worked for him. Yeah, I get it. I and get it. It, it doesn't work for me, but I bring it up in case it works for you. Yeah. It, it might not even be a pinball thing yeah. or a video game thing. Anyway. anyway. Yeah. All right. So I have beat that to death, Whitney. I've learned a lot going through this stuff here recently and reorganizing. And I mean, I I will continue to use my own advice as I uh, as I dig deeper into into the 
collection. Well, one thing that, that I took from it, well, actually several things that I took from it. I need to look into Sterilite. There's no doubt about it. And I need to look into Plano. There, And those are two things that I just did not have real, like... Um, a whole lot of deep visibility into. Like I said, I mean, I've I've got a few Sterilite pieces, but I haven't been able to be consistent about acquisition, so I really need to kind of double down on that. Uh, I did put a link into the show notes about the uh, Sortimo parts. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm going to find a way to justify getting a little bit of that just to, <laughs> just to see what it's like. Uh, it, it's it, it's it's like importing the finest Belgian chocolate. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's like I, well, I want to do it because I know I'm going to. What like was it. the system you went with? Because it was very similar in that yeah, so, the, so the, 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 everything opened up kind of briefcase style. Yeah, and it had individual individual like little trays. So yeah, we so we. We discussed in episode 87 and 88 i went with uh some trays from storehouse and you can you can get those uh you can get those from uh let's see you can get those from harbor freight that's what i initially went with mm-hmm. but then what i ran into with the storehouse is that i could not get the 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 parts bins individually and then i found out that if if i went through uh zorro tools which is where i've been buying these um these these tray compartments uh here as of recently then the same product or similar product from zorro tools actually comes from uh bosch and then i can get the bins from bosch's commercial service net website and you can order the bins independently so i was getting the trays from from zorro and the bins from from service net or bosch and then putting them together to to essentially make the need that I, or to service the need that I had. You could so, almost 3D print your your trays now. Uh, actually, that would be fairly easy to do yeah. at this point. Yeah. You've got trays of samples. Get out your calipers. That's exactly yeah. right. And just and just print. And you could color code that way. So, you know, there's there's something to be said for He's that. He's got to always take it a step further. Exactly. <laughs> it, 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 I tell you what, it's, it's what I like. All right. So, Brent, why don't we get into the uh, third segment here of the show before we do some news. And let's hear from uh, the Portland Retro Gaming Expo. This, w- this seminar was recorded. Uh, when uh, myself and friend of the sh- a friend of the show Jim Hale were in Portland, uh, Oregon last year, uh, November of 2019, and this is again, I, I do want to uh, set the stage for this. This is an open air recording, so I took this recording while I was sitting in the audience. I had my trusty Zoom recorder sitting by my side. I moved it up by a speaker so that I could get as good a sound as I possibly could. But again, it is an open air recording, and we are releasing this recording with the seminar with permission from the Portland Retro Gaming Expo. So this is entitled Atari Arcade Games, The Real Atari. And this is a panel discussion with Ed Logg, who was, uh, and all four of these gentlemen uh, worked at Atari in their coin-op division, quote-unquote, I'm putting air quotes around this, back in the day. And so Ed Logg, who was responsible for Super Breakout, Asteroid, Centipede, Millipede, Gauntlet, uh, Brent, I think, how do we say this earlier? John Solwitz? I, I yeah, that's what we yeah, Who was responsible for Paperboy. Rich Adams, uh, who was responsible for Gravatar. And Ed Rotberg, uh, who did Battlezone and did a lot of groundbreaking uh, 3D work uh, inside Atari as well. Great panel discussion with all four of these gentlemen. So we hope you enjoy. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I'm Ed Rotberg. It says so right there. That's how I know. Um, 
And uh, to my right are a, a, a bunch of uh, the guys from the early Atari days. Uh, I'm going to let everybody introduce themselves. And, uh, and then I think, you know, we'll probably ask you what you want us to talk about. And, uh, you know, so uh, I uh, worked on a number of uh, games in the early Atari days. We're all coin-op arcade. So I know most of this show is consumer-oriented, but uh, we were here first. <laughs> which, which is why this is called the real Atari. Um, I have that T-shirt. <laughs> yeah, we, we had some custom T-shirts made up uh, at one point because there was quite a competition between uh, the uh, coin-up and the consumer groups. So um, a little bit about me then before I pass along to John here. Um, uh, I did some early games, the early Atari baseball game, um, and uh, uh, Battlezone, uh, Stunrunner, Blastroids, uh, uh, Steel Talons with Ed Log. Um, I'm sure there's a few in there I'm forgetting, but uh, I'm just going to pass along to John. Good morning. Uh, I am, as my sign says, John Slawitz. I'm conscious that I'm sitting between the two Eds here, so this is a lot of pressure on me. <laughs> Um, I'm actually not, I'm more like mid-Atari, uh, 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 so I started, uh, I believe, 38 years ago to the day, October uh, 19th, uh, 1981. I think it's today, uh, at Atari, so I actually played their games before I started Atari. <laughs> and they, they still owe me money. Uh, so anyway, um, I, I had the great fortune to uh, partner with a guy named Dave Ralston, and he and I at Atari did a bunch of games. Uh, we did a game that didn't get shipped called Aka R. It's a classic, you should check it out uh, if you can find it. And then uh, he and I did Paperboy, 720, Cyberball, and Rampart at Atari before we left for Electronic Arts. So I'll just stay with the Atari thing, so that's my, that's my history. I give you Ed Log. Thank you. Um, I joined Atari in uh, February of 1978, and uh, you probably know some of my titles. I did Super Breakout was my first one. I did Video Pinball, Asteroids. Yay. Thank you. <laughs> Centipede, Millipede, Gauntlet, Steel Talons, Zybots, and probably some others after I got in between. I had something to do with Roadrunner, and while I was at Atari and before I left for EA in like 91 or 92, um, I had done an Othello VCS cartridge on the side. My boss didn't know anything about it. It was just a, a test to see if I could do something in the VCS. And in 2K. Yes, in 2K, amazing. The Colonel took up about three quarters of the uh, EEPROM too. It's just, it's kind of amazing. The VCS, if you don't know it, is really crazy, and I'll tell you about it some other time. Um, I also had something to do with uh, Tengen's Tetris, because I'd seen Tetris on the ST, and I told our legal department... Yeah. The best version. <laughs> I told our legal department to go ahead and license this, because I wanted to do this. So I did this um, on the um, FC computer, by the way. It wasn't the NES yet. It wasn't even out yet, because uh, I was going to sell it in Japan. Uh, of course, the NES came there out, and then Nintendo swiped my license out from underneath my feet, so we had to destroy all uh, our Tengen Tetris games. That's a, there's some stories behind that, too, which I won't go into. But it's interesting to know if you have downstairs, there's the uh, World Championship of Tetris going on. I have to know, uh, I was the first world champion in Tetris back, 
at the Russian Tea Room in New York. I was in a tux, if you can believe that, and I never wear a jacket. So I'll pass you on to Rich now. Uh, hello, uh, I'm Rich Adam, as you can read. Um, I worked at Atari from like 78 uh, through 83, and during my tenure there, I started out actually doing pinball games um, for the pinball division, which was kind of a short-lived thing. And then um, when they stopped making pinball machines, uh, they assigned me to be sort of the junior programmer with Dave Toyer on Missile Command. And um, then after that, I did a game called Gravatar on the vector generator. So, uh, that's, uh, and I started a, a project that was, ended up being Empire Strikes Back. It was a, the first iteration was on this new sort of raster hardware. Um, but they ended up making, I left, and they ended up making a, a vector generator version uh, later, uh, after Star Wars. So there's my Atari experience. All right, so um, is there any, are there any questions? Anybody have any idea what you want us to talk about? So uh, maybe not the most exciting topic, but I'm very curious. Um, when the split between Atari games and uh, the console side happened, uh, what was your deal with uh, Namco in Japan? Because you distributed some of their arcade games. They distributed stuff like Robin in Japan, and Tengen sold a lot of uh, Namco games. There was a uh, early connection, because we did pole position. We licensed pole position um, from Namco to, to sell in the U.S. About the same time I was doing an XY driving game, so I sort of shot my game out from underneath me. Uh, later on, we had a very good connection with Namco because Time Warner basically gave the uh, Coinop game, as I understand, Coinop division, I should say, to Namco, or 51% of it, to Namco to settle any legal issues. I think we did something wrong with regard to one of their licenses. And, you know, this is the time when Atari had just lost a billion dollars in one year. And, uh, like, it was 85, I think. And so we had a good connection then. So you, you have to differentiate the early, where, you know, Atari would look at all coin-op games that came out and try to decide which one to license, particularly for the U.S. Um, and uh, we passed on, I think, Galaxia and, and I don't know, probably even Miss Pac-Man, or Pac-Man, excuse me, for that matter. Uh, well, okay. Hey, um, so when you're developing a game and you've got a great idea for like a concept, right? There's always this phase where, like, we would call finding the fun, where you know you got things kind of working, but you want to really kind of optimize around some sort of kernel of core gameplay. Can you guys tell a story about a classic game that we all know that started out as this great idea, maybe you had a visual style, maybe you had a concept, but you didn't really know what was gonna make it fun, and then talk about finding that kernel of fun and what made it the game that we know today? I think I can give you a pretty good example of that. Um, I worked, we had a, a series of labs that were strung together, and usually there were two games in each lab, and so uh, Dave Toyer and I shared a lab, and I was working on um, a two-player missile command, uh, which was a follow-on to the missile command. And he was working on a game on the vector generator, called, which was a first-person um, Space Invaders 
game idea. And Dave did, uh, you know, some really cool stuff, 3D, and it was kind of interesting, but he could never really, uh, he never really got inspired by what was going on, and it was just, you know, magic was not happening. And so I went into the lab one day, and, you know, Dave has got this totally different thing on the screen. He's got this tube, and then he's got these things coming up this tube. And I said, Dave, what the hell is that? That's not, you know, Space Invaders. He said, I had this dream last night about, you know, you know, things coming from the center of the earth and we shoot them down. And so anyway, that was how first person Space Invaders became Tempest. I would just add a little bit to that. Dave Toyer, uh, who I would you know, love to get up here, but that would probably be impossible. Uh, pretty remarkable guy. I mean, he would work incredible hours and mm -hmm. sometimes you'd leave them at night and you'd come in the next day and there'd be an entirely different, like what Rich is talking about. Yeah. This is an entirely different game. You know, yeah, he just amazing. tore it down, rewrote from scratch. He was fearless. <laughs> I think it's uh, the other thing to go to your question. It's also the, the, um, the culture and climate of Tari Koinop was amazing in that way. That, Leadership just left you that you were expected to come up with a game and they gave you an incredible amount of room to do that In my experience at least I had almost no time where top-down leadership was coming in and saying You know you got to go this direction or that right. direction that just didn't happen right. And a kid I, I spent a lot of my career working at EA and it ain't the way at EA at all You know there's uh, in fact uh, the one other thing I'll say on that is that and it's the antithesis of EA actually um, the, uh, at, at Atari coin-op, Atari games, um, if you came up with an idea and shipped it, their, their expectation would be that you will now come up with a completely different idea and game and ship it because it was all about differentiation in the arcades. And uh, unlike you know, modern game making, of course, where you want to take a brand and just and, and run with it, uh, that was the absolute opposite. It was, a, it was an IP farm. And, and, whole, and what, what Richard's True. talking about is the, 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 the way the labs were set up, we were always walking into each other's play games. I sat and hit my lab right next to him, you know, when he's doing gauntlet. I'm like, oh my God. Yeah, it, was, it was actually formalized at one point where we had walkabout Fridays where, you know, you were supposed to leave your lab and go play everybody else's game. That happened a lot after hours anyhow. It's not like we only went into the lab on walkabout, uh, other people's labs on walkabout Fridays, but uh, it was formalized to the point we would, you know, uh, have time set aside to go play other people's games, and, and then you'd get back to your lab and have a list of suggestions, and, you know, you need to make it do this, you need to make it do that, so the games, the fun kind of developed itself in many cases, just through play. I'd like to add a moment to that, too, because I'm not sure if John remembers Gene Lipkin, but... Gene <laughs> did have opinions. But anyway, occasionally the marketing VPs would come through and sort of check out your games, and Gene Lipkin had this notorious habit of, look at this, what the hell is this? Kill it. And, and so we'd have a, what we call a Gene Lipkin switch. So if he came in, you, your game would suddenly die. Sorry, can't show it to you right now. Oh, hardware, hardware problem. Hardware problem. <laughs> Yeah, go ahead. With console uh, development, you have the same hardware, and so you write a game, you figure out the hardware, you figure out how to develop for it, it's always consistent. But I'm assuming back then with uh, arcade uh, machines, each one was probably new hardware, each one had a different CPU, each one. I'm curious how that went as far as learning the machine, developing the machine, and also were you driving the requirements for hardware? Was it 
that they said, okay, here's the hardware, and now you have to go build a game uh, I, I'm going to answer that. The answer is yes. Let me, let me give you some examples. Uh, asteroids came from Red Baron hardware, where I had done the th alphanumerics on it, so I knew how, to, how the hardware worked. And when the game originally proposed to me, it was told to do it on a color raster TV, which is 320 by 240 resolution. And I had already played, you know, Space War back on XY monitors back in 1972, 71, 72. And I knew our XY hardware is 1024 by 768, so it was going to be a lot easier to do it on that. Things like the phosphor burn and stuff was, that's just an effect on the, the uh, monitor. That's not particularly why I chose the XY monitor. Uh, so in this case, it was just slight modification. Now, the audio was all done in TTL. It was based, well, not even that, it was resistors and capacitors. And so he just play, changed the values and says, yeah, that's the sound I want, thank you. So that give you an example of how the audio is. Now, we get to Gauntlet, it's a different matter uh, because they wanted me to do it on the System 1 board, which is this humongous board. It's, you know, hardly fit in a cabinet. And I told them, no way, man. Um, and so I pushed to get uh, two traces, uh, super fine traces, which two traces between leads on a TTL chip. So it's a four-layer board. So that eliminated the need for all our bypass capacitors to reduce noise. So I pushed all the, uh, the hardware to go to a four-layer board with very fine prints. We had to redo our entire CAD system to do layout. Uh, also, on, by that time, of course, we had our own audio chips. So that was more or less well known. Uh, it was also a security. The pokey was going to be our security. Uh, means to people from copying our chips since we were the only people built pokey chips. And we turned out later that people would steal uh, Atari hardware to take the pokey chips out to create gauntlet boards. Uh, as far as the hardware's going, yes, there was a, we had a Mach 16, which is 16 motion objects, 8 by 8 motion objects. Um, and I told him I couldn't do the game with that. I needed to do a lot more. So Pat McCarthy came up with an idea to do what, Mach 56. And to do, I told him every six, every eight scan lines, I wanted to change the starting area for the motion objects. So that way I could change motion objects every eight scan lines. And so that dictated the game, the hardware dictated, or I should say the software idea dictated the hardware idea. There's, there's a story about a version of Asteroids that was created as a prank with Turtle Roads. Do you talk about that, and do you know if there are any copies of 76? Uh, there's, well, it was just an EEPROM change for right. that. But uh, yes, uh, Frank Ballou, who was head of marketing at the time, um, we used to go out to brainstorming sessions, and I think we're up in Napa, Sonoma, and we came coming up with these turtle ideals, the turtle races, and turtle this, turtle that, and he finally got up and said, no more turtles. So we had one of the servers bring him up a drink with one of these wind-up turtle dolls, you know, little turtle toys in it. And we created, uh, there was a golden asteroids game in our, our common area, and we put uh, turtle roids in it just to, to spoof him. Yeah, I'll, I'll just uh, uh, build a little bit on the, the whole turtle thing. Is For years there was this concept kicking around in CoinUp to do a turtle races game where you'd have an arcade cabinet with like you know three or four or two on a depending multiplayer game microphones and you had to coax your turtle to go faster without 
scaring him enough to pull into his shell. I mean, this was the basic concept of the game. So when we kept pitching this, and Frank just hated the idea, and, and so that's kind of what... I, Frank was the target of many a prank uh, at trade shows and brainstorming sessions. Yeah. Um, he was almost afraid to go back into his room after a meeting, you know, it, was, it got to be that point. I mean, to give you some idea, we took one of the centerpieces, you know, one of these frozen centerpieces during one of the meetings, I, I think it, and put it in his bed. <laughs> and of course, when he brought a lady friend up later, I, there's this big wet spot in the bed. Yeah. Uh, oh, and uh, we short-sheeted his bed, we scotch-guarded his, his towels. towels. <laughs> uh, Mike Alba made an electronic drip sound that yeah. was stuck into his, uh, <laughs> under his sink in his, in his room. <laughs> Oh, yeah. We had a lot of fun with Frank. <laughs> In the back? Uh, did any of you guys work on the pinball division? Yeah, I worked on a pinball up until the time they killed one, too. Yeah. You worked on Hercules, didn't you? No, I did not work on Hercules. Okay, I was going to ask if any of you had any stories about the development of that monster-sized game. Oh, the Hercules, Hercules game? I think that I may have typed in a few lines of code on that game. I worked on that game with Norm Avalar, I think, for uh, a week or something when it was getting near field test or something. And um, so, you know, it was just, it was an ambitious idea, you know. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, um, so I only did a little bit of, uh, of, uh, of work on it. But, you know, the beauty of... Um, working in the arcade business, um, and Hercules I think is a, a good example of this, is that you know you would make something and then you would go put it into the market and the market would tell you almost immediately whether you were going to succeed or not. And I think in the case of Hercules, for example, you know, it, it, it was a big footprint, you know, it took up a lot of space in an arcade and I think it just did not bring in the revenue that was going to justify the equivalent of like two games. You know, they're going to do an ROI on that and go, oh, I could do, you know, put in a couple of Zaxons or whatever and make more money. So I think that was kind of what ended up happening with, with that. And like Ed said, you know, uh, they, they shut down pinball. There's a lot of electric or mechanical magic that goes on. And you, I, I think Atari trying to build pinball machines out on the West Coast, not in the Chicago, you know, thing with, you know, they had mechanical engineers been doing that forever, and they knew how to do it. I think reliability was kind of a problem with Atari also, on that score anyway. So. When I joined Atari in 1981, the first game I mentioned it a second ago, named Akar, another story there. Uh, was originally uh, a hybrid video pinball, so Atari was trying to figure out the way to, to do that. And kind of like you'd shoot a you'd flipper, you'd shoot a ball around the ring, and then there's a, a CRT in the middle of it, and that, that would have an effect on, on it. Um, but it, one of the things we were talking about that just adds incredible complexity and cost to the hardware, and it wasn't in the, in the wheelhouse of Atari. But it was also that a whole lot of us at that time were really into video, and so there's a lot of pressure to just to do that. Right. And it also, I mean, and you talked about the hardware dependency before. If you're putting a mechanical machine as a dependency, you've just really upped your dependency. And, and so if you're trying to iterate and invent and stuff like that, it was a whole. It was it was fairly restricted. So 
we ended up uh, dumping uh, the pinball aspect of AKR and put AKR out actually into the, into the arcades and, and to speak to what Rich was talking about, uh, we put it up against uh, Robotron. That didn't go well. Uh, that was quick. Can you talk about the relationship between Daddy and Goblin? Uh, yes, I can. Um, my son had been pestering me for a year to do a D&D game, and I couldn't figure out how in the hell to do a D&D game. And so when I saw Dandy on the ST, I think Robin Siegler brought it in, and we played it at Atari, and I said, oh yes, now I know how I can do a D&D game. So I took the Dandy concept of basically a world larger than the play field and scrolling around it with multiple players, um, and took all the D&D aspects. And if you look at the original game proposal, it's all the D&D style characters and enemies and all that. Uh, so it's, it's really a marriage between the D&D concept of the, of the scrolling with multiple players. Now, as far as getting four players around a cabinet, that is totally something new. And for example, the all Atari games, in fact, all video games, I think at that time, had a, a plex over the monitor, and that was to keep people from, well, the operators thought people would break the monitor's glass. And I did not want a plex because it causes a glare, and if you're on one side of the cabinet and there's a, a light up here, this position's apparently dead on certain portions of the screen. So I had to make sure that there was no plexiglass there. Uh, and so we had a metal bezel instead of a cardboard bezel. So we did a lot of things to make it so that four players could sit around the cabinet. You know, I had so much flack from marketing, you know, research basically saying, oh, you can't get four players around the cabinet, can you? I said, well, I'll find out. So to give you an example of field test, and we should really talk about the Atari coin op process later, but we took it out to field test, and, and you, when you do field test, the operator kills you the earnings of your game and other high-earning games in his arcade, and he's supposed to keep it a secret. So we put it out on Friday you know, for the weekend, and Monday I stop in, and here's Dave Rosen of Sega, along with a couple Japanese engineers taking photographs. <laughs> and a little sign on the cabinet basically saying, you know, you know be polite, take your turn. Basically, it was, um, it was the only, first time I'd ever seen a field test where we actually brought, one game brought more money into the arcade than it had been making the week before. So usually we rob from some other game, but this is the first time where we actually increased the gross of the arcade. So I had to take the game out, and we no longer did field tests in that particular arcade. And uh, so hopefully that answers your question. Yeah, the whole concept of field tests is, is kind of interesting. I mean, in the early days, it was basically what Ed said. You'd put it out, and you'd get the reports on the earnings. Uh, you'd let the, the operator would get to keep the money, you know, and they've got a game in there for free, basically. Um, and as time went on, we added uh, more telemetry and started capturing statistics on, of our own uh, to get more specific information of what parts of the game, going back to your question, were fun, what parts were less fun. One of my favorite results of the field test, um, uh, you guys may be familiar with the game Warlords, uh, originally done, it's one of my favorite games, it's a wonderful game by Greg Rivera and Norm Abelard, and when they put that baby out on field test, they forgot to strap it down to the truck, and they took off and it fell off the back of the truck, and uh, so it was brought back in pieces, put back in the lab with a sign that said, failed field test. <laughs>
in the back. Uh, I asked them on this question back at GDC, actually, you did your presentation there, but um, uh, in Gauntlet, the, the original, you could actually kind of play forever in the beginning. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, and I guess I mean, this is for the whole panel. How did you guys, did you have bugs like, that came up <laughs> after it was shipped? And how bad did management come down on you guys? And like, how well, hard did you have to work it? Like, well, first of all, Gauntlet had no end because I could not figure out how to end the game when people put in money, especially several dollars, had come to end and say, oh, game over, thank you very much. You know? So I had to continue running. But can you imagine trying to deal with marketing who basically said no game has never come to an, a non-end before and, and this can't work? And, but we basically proved them that yes, you can, but it requires a very unique game to do that. Um, as far as bugs go, I've had lots of stories of bugs. Um, um, Asteroids has the lurking strategy, for example. At Gauntlet in particular, we found out from Japan where it's not polite to join another person's game without their permission. So people would play one player version of a, one person would be on a four player game playing Gauntlet and they found out that the uh, Hulk in particular and even in the wizard, you could play forever because you got all the food. So I had to create a version where the less people you had, the less food there was out. So one or two players you got, you're okay. But one person, you got less food. Um, my favorite bug story is, this is a year after Centipede had been released and industrial design came to me one day and said, you know, why we have a, cab a cocktail version of Centipede and we know the second player always gets better scores. Can you tell me why? And I said, no. I said, show me. So I went over and watched him, and after a few minutes, I said, oh, shit. <laughs> you know how in Centipede, the, the spiders narrows down as your score gets bigger? Well, in the second player, it does this. So the bottom rows were always safe. The spider would never get to you. <laughs> so yes, I had a little subtraction problem. <laughs> We also had, um, I remember when, when I first started at Atari, Rich Moore was working on Lunar Lander. Yeah. And um, back, in, back in those days, um, we used mass groms, not, not electronically programmable, but they were physically manufactured, and you had to make a master ROM set uh, with this bizarre process. Um, and there was a switch that you, you flipped to, uh, you could burn the, the problems where all the ones came out, zeros and all the zeros came out once, called an invert switch. Yeah. And he had inadvertently um, made the master ROM set with, with all, you know, with all the, the bits Inverted. reversed. Yeah. And so the first run of 5,000 Lunar Lander ROMs had to be thrown out, uh, and they were not real thrilled with yeah. about that, I guess. So <laughs> that was a... So my, my favorite uh, bug story, for me at least, was on Paperboy, uh, and Paperboy had just been released. Um, there was hundreds of units on the manufacturing line. Manufacturing line, by the, by the way, one of the things that was distinct about building games at Atari, you actually saw your game on a line, which was incredible, um, as you can imagine. So the day that the, the game went out, ROMs, ROMs had been uh, uh, burned weeks in advance, um, uh, and it went out. And the game's on the line, and we get a report back from the field that if you take a hard right turn at the end of the of the first street, well, you just ride forever. In a, uh, in a it's just kind of this 
another world of scrolling raster. And <laughs> it, it is particularly hideous. You can go online now and still see this bug. And so this gets back to me. And, and this is my first game that I ever actually built. So you imagine the amount of terror that I was in as the lead programmer. Um, and so it turned out, the cool part about all this is, and I still have the listing from this, that the fix for this was one ROM. In fact, it was two bits. It was changing an equation from not equal to, it's like equal to greater than, and then changing a value within there. And, and we were able to do the fix for that with one EEPROM, which I probably saved my career. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to add something else too. There's, Atari's not the only one that has bugs. If you play Robotron and shoot up into the upper right hand corner <laughs> just right, it will reset the game for you. I'll give one short version of that. Um, and this uh, was in like 2002. I got some, somebody reached out to me, uh, a guy named Dan Coogan, who uh, was on a bizarre quest to set the world record for Gravatar or whatever, and he wanted to play it longer than anybody, which is a, you know makes him unique, I think. But um, <laughs> uh, so um, he reached out to me. He said, um, "Are are you that rich, Adam?" And I was like, uh, "Yeah." I, and he said, "Well, I'm trying to do this, and you know, I was last weekend. It was great. So I'm gonna do it." And then, you know, all of a sudden, the game like just totally reset, and you know, game over. And I'm and he was like, oh, you know, what's is there something wrong? And I said, well, um, maybe uh, if you get more than 127 lives, you may have zero lives when you get to 128. <laughs> and so uh, I said, you know, I think it could be. And actually, it turned out Missile Command had the same uh, bug that was found one time. Um, and uh, so he said, okay, I'll, I'll do that and I'll, I'll try that. And then a couple of, a couple of days later, uh, there was some email that was forwarded to me and you know one of his buddies had gone into the MAME and, and looked at the disassembly of the code and he's like oh there it is BPL you know and I'm like oh my god these guys are looking at my code you know 30 years later it's crazy so anyway uh, that's another example of some weird bugs there's actually several other bugs like the classic one in Tempest is you get the right score, it'll give you extra, like 24 credits or something. And Dave Toyo put that in as copy protection, so if anybody tried to copy his game, and unfortunately he got it wrong, and so you get a certain score, it gives you a bunch of stuff. But my most favorite bug score was when I was doing Rain Gretzky 3D Hockey for the N64, and I had one of the early uh, development systems, and I was working with Silicon Graphics, and I done this one case where I'd done a multiply and it gave me the wrong answer, a matrix multiply. And so I'd written this up and sent it to Silicon Graphics and weeks went by and finally I called the guy back up again and I said, what about this bug? And there was eerie silence. I can't talk about that. <laughs> so I found out later there was a bug in the N64 silicon and I think the way to get around it was you had a no-op between the, some of the multiplies in a matrix multiply. So they fixed the linker so that when it saw those multiplies, it would add extra no-ops in to fix that. But that was a classic case of, you know, you never heard about it, but it was there. Um, yeah. Um, 
Did you ever work on a game or create a game that had a feature or a level that you just absolutely hated and it was too late to change it once it shipped? Well, yes. I, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I was taking steel talons. I was taking the, uh, uh, you know, I like the battle mode, but the, the area where you were just flying through canyons, or I forget the, the mode it was, that I really didn't like that but I didn't want to take it out. It was just kind of too late. Yep, Blastroids had uh, some, some areas I did not particularly care for. Uh, it, it happens, I mean, it, one of the things you have to remember is um, we were all on pretty tight deadlines for all this stuff. Uh, especially in the early days, you're, you know, you're only writing you know, 2K, 4K code. You, the ROMs were not big. Everything was small. You had maybe, if you were lucky, 256 bytes of memory mm -hmm. of RAM. Um, so, you know, your development times were like, you know, from two months to six or seven months. And so you didn't have a lot of time. So it's not like you could iterate and iterate and iterate until you got the game you want. No, you had, when you have a production line, you have to feed that beast or a lot of people are out of work. Yeah. So we were constantly, you know, trying to get new games in, into manufacturing so that, uh, you know, we could keep the, the company solvent and people working. So th that actually happened probably, I think everybody would have stories about that. Yeah, for me, it would be not the whole um, leveler game. So I wrote a game called Cyberball on uh, mid-80s, head-to-head uh, -head competitive game, had two screens playing head-to-head. -head. Ed and I used to play a lot, um, and Ed would let me know any problem with that game whatsoever and that would usually be like in tuning or the capability of one of the football players or whatever else so for me it was less about the whole level and more like you know just the embarrassment of that there is a particular unit that was a little too fast or the ball would bounce a little the wrong way that kind of thing the ball on his head. yeah whatever we don't talk we don't have to talk about this now that's right over here yeah um, in Paperboy and 720, they both have very unique controllers. Can yeah. you talk about developing those, especially maybe 720? Yeah, I'd love to. So the guy that wrote, that created, wrote, that created both those controllers is a guy named Milt Loper. Uh, Milt T is still a dear friend of mine. Uh, and, and we talked about hardwares before, and I was going to bring this up. But it, so the, the other thing that Atari really uh, did, of course, was invent controllers. And I, I drank the Kool-Aid. I love being in original, unique uh, controller land. Actually, that, to be honest, that really wasn't my choice. I worked with a designer named Dave Ralston. Dave and Milt had actually got, worked in pinball together. They had pinball roots. And so I was going to do it. I'm in the engineer, for God's sake. Um, uh, and so the, the way I think about it uh, with controllers, uh, and Paperboy particularly, Atari was always trying to differentiate itself from other games in the arcades. And so if you think about it, when you walk up to an arcade and, and you look, go downstairs and look at it, you'll, well, the first thing you see is the controller. One of the first things you're going to see is the controllers. And so it, it differentiated from the other games in the arcade. Uh, and then, uh, of course, that was a hell of, this was one of our secret sauces to keep ahead of consumer, because they couldn't do it. <laughs> uh, so, uh, and, and so that was a great advantage there, too. We had, um, so Milt did uh, a design of controllers. Actually, the Paperboy's controller lineage goes through Battlezone. Uh, and well, yeah, if, yeah, the, the, this actually came up uh, uh, on Twitter the other day. Uh, uh, there was uh, a question, uh, can you hear me? 
Okay, yeah. there was a question about, uh, you know, where did the uh, uh, Star Wars right. controller come from? And because um, th I was actually the, the project lead of, of Star Wars before it became, before they bought the license, it, it, uh, it was a game called Warp Speed. Um, but in any event, um, that controller uh, came about because of the Army Battle Zone project, uh, where we were actually emulating an actual, uh, um, uh, yeah, the Bradley fighting vehicle. And uh, uh, as part of that, we actually got to go sit in and, you know, the, the gunner's turret on a, on a Bradley fighting vehicle. And the controller that was used for Star Wars was sort of a cut-down version of what the actual Bradley fighting vehicle controller was, but same basic operation, just had a few more switches on it than the uh, Star Wars controller. And so that's, that's where that came from. Yeah, and so continuing on the paperboy one, but just continuing that thread. So when Milt created the original prototypes for the paperboy controller, it was he went down to a kid's bike shop and bolted on these like blue or pink anodized handlebars onto the Star Wars controller. And, and that was the first prototype. Good story there is Steuben test uh, there. Oh, um, so uh, head engineering is a guy named Dave, Dave Steuben who is a, uh, is a, a large man I and mean, he's strong, he's big. And, and so one of the tests for controllers was that it had to survive Dave. And, 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 and let's just say many paperboy controllers died horrible, gruesome deaths to, to Dave as he racked this thing because it had all this torque on it. But somehow Milt was able to build a durable controller in spite of all that. And, and that's the kind of story I mean with other controllers too, the fishbowl, the salad bowl controller in 720, et cetera. We had a full mechanical engineering group. It was amazing. It's gorgeous labs. Uh, and they could fab anything you wanted. It was amazing. Full woodworking shop, full. Uh, it's hard to build just about anything yeah. if I wanted to. Were you there when Dave Stu Some coin door guy came into Atari and said, <laughs> want to sell a coin door. And Steuben looked at us and said, this doesn't look right. Said, no, it's. Nobody's going to get into this. Dave Steuben kicked the coin door and broke it in. <laughs> so that's that was the Steuben test for the coin door. He's a very he's a very sweet, kind person. And, and I I actually had a game that he broke too. It was a boxing game where, oh, and he just right. took it and just tore the controls right off the cabinet. So that game game never made it. All right, we've got five minutes left. I've just been informed. So. Um, so, you with your hand up there, you haven't asked a question. No, 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 next to you. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Speaking of the brand new fighting vehicle work, I know you didn't really want to work on that. Yeah. And I also understand that um, Missile Command also had some issues with kind of ethics or morals and stuff. Um, can you talk more about Brad, the work on that, how you got kind of talked into that, as well as the rest of the time, talk about how you engaged and worked on We had to kind of struggle with those scenarios where they just didn't feel comfortable working on something. Yeah, I mean, a lot of us, back when I started, I think there were quite a few of us who were, you know, pacifists at heart, and we looked at Atari as a great refuge uh, to work at and do creative things without having to create, you know, weapon systems or, you know, uh, more mundane things like that. And um, having come from a company prior to Atari where um, the government, because some of the computers were used by a government installation, uh, this was for Texas Instruments, um, they come in and they look over everything you do. It doesn't matter, you know, if what you're doing is for the government at that moment or not, 
they get their hands on everything. And Atari was a really unique place to work back in the day. Uh, far and away, the, the, the most wonderful experience I've, I've had uh, in the industry. Um, and I really did not want to see us getting involved with a government project where, you know, now the long arm of the government is involved in every practice you have. You know, um, plus, you know, I, I'm a pacifist at heart. Uh, so that, that was a lot of the reasons. So I agreed to do it, uh, you know, this crazy three-month, you know, lose your life totally for three months if, if I got a, a, an, a, an assurance that I would not be involved should they, in anything Atari did involving, you know, uh, military stuff should that project go forward. Um, I'll talk a little bit about Missile, uh, missile Command. You know, um, the originally, um, early in development, you know, there was going to always be a land mass at the, at the bottom of the screen. And so, you know, I, for whatever reason, you know, I put the west coast of the U.S. up there just because that's where I lived. So, um, but, you know, it never looked that good and it never felt that right. And so... Um, I was kind of struggling with it in the lab one day, and Lyle Rains, who uh, was in char head of uh, the engineering, Quinnup Engineering Department, and probably one of the most influential human beings in the video, on video game uh, in general. Lyle's done very low profile, but he, he has done so much. Uh, but he came in and said, um, you know, I was like, ah, this doesn't look good, I don't know what to do, and so, he just sketched, you know, something which was, you know, the three bases at the bottom and some mountains and, and, and stuff. And he said, you know, make it look like that. Um, and, you know, so I basically implemented that. And, you know, it just felt a lot better to make it a more, um, you know, non-realistic kind of thing. And, you know, in terms of, you know, is it... Um, are we doing, you know, simulating, you know, mass death? Um, can't really totally hide from that. But, you know, what you're, what, you know, ultimately I came down on is like, we're just trying to make something fun. And, uh, you know, you don't, you know, I didn't try to glorify it. Um, there were, you know, uh, project leader, I did all the audio and, uh, project leader kept saying, you know, uh, when, you know, the bases would get blown up or whatever, he'd be like, no, I want to hear screaming babies. <laughs> and, and I was like, no, I'm not doing that. Steve, I'm not doing that. So. I think, uh, I think that's all we really have time for. Um, our five minutes is up. Our last five minutes is up. But thank you all. Whitney, I'd like to start the new segment with an interesting bit of news that maybe you're not even aware of. Okay, yeah, lay it on me. And this actually ties back. Uh, this show has been like a callback to a callback to a callback all within itself. It's <laughs> like it's like um, it's like that episode of Star Trek where they were caught in the next gen, where they were caught in that time loop thing. And yes, they kept hitting the other ship that was actually piloted by, Ke by Kelsey, Kelsey Grammer. Kelsey Grammer, yeah, exactly. And, uh, um, yeah, yeah that, yeah, that episode. So. Uh, just as a callback, talking about computers and all the stuff that I've been doing around the house and, and old equipment and the like, for your information and for the information of all of our listeners, every episode, every episode of the Broken Token Classic Arcade or the 
the classic arcade pinball podcast and yeah. the classic gaming podcast, and yeah. whatever we want to call it, every episode has been recorded on a laptop running Windows Vista. <laughs> <laughs> that does that hurt? That is hilarious. Does that uh, give give it our profession, Whitney? Yeah. Does that hurt? <laughs> um, not really, because I actually liked Vista. Uh, I'll say this: when Vista came out, uh, I don't know why that just come to mind. It, but. Well. I mean, I actually thought I thought Vista was a good OS because it was the first 64-bit OS I could run on almost any piece of hardware that I tried it on. And I I mean, me personally, I liked Vista quite a bit. Now it didn't it didn't get the respect in the marketplace, but as a six as a pure sixty-four bit OS, it was it was really good. I was, so I I've it. had this machine since it was new and I it has lived its entire life in desktop mode like Windows, what was before Vista X7 or XP? Uh, no, uh, Windows XP. XP, yeah. 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 Then they then they then they redeemed themselves with Windows Seven. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Vista didn't. Yeah. It it wasn't Are, it wasn't well received. So was it? Wait. Was it Vista Seven? And then Windows Eight. And then, oh, and then oh. Windows, then Windows Eight one. And then Windows. 10. Oh wait a minute. Oh, I, I lied to you. It's Windows Eight. Oh, is it Windows wait, Eight? Okay. No, I, oh, gosh, I which which one defaults to like that. The, the the tablet mode the looking, tablet mode that would be Windows eight this I'm sorry yeah well yeah. that okay that, that's fine that's fine as well Windows eight Windows eight still though yeah. it, it took the punch from my joke yeah but still though it's not it, it's you get where I'm coming I, from I, here I get, I get where you're coming from <laughs> I'm Win- not cutting edge yeah Windows eight was not well received either no uh, no but I will say this from a performance standpoint I don't know how many people ran windows eight but if you do if you do like raw file copy operations across the network with windows eight or windows eight one and compare it to windows seven windows eight blows blows it away well i'll tell you it it's what's recorded every yeah. episode of the podcast yeah i i had several windows eight boxes oh, i was thinking this day. yeah no it's it's all it's good. all a blur yeah i had several windows eight boxes at home and uh if you once you got past the start menu situation, which which did slowly improve over time, uh, Windows eight as a just an OS was was really good though. But anyway, I digress. Well, so there was a little news for you. Now I had to go. I had to retract and correct the news, that's okay. which I will do. Yeah. If I'm wrong, I'll that, tell you that, when I figure it out. Yeah, that, that's okay. That's okay. But there, there, there is there, some there's some hot off the presses news for you. So we just created our own correction in errata. How about that? So we, we, we got that squared away and, and it's, it's done. So, um, just a couple pieces of news here, Bryn. And there's, there's one piece here that we cannot escape being a mixed gaming podcast that covers pinball. We have to, we have to talk about this. I want, I want your thought on it. I want your hot take, but before we get to that, I, I do want to give just a short shout out to Mr. Scott Denisi. Uh, he has over over time has continued to personally produce code updates for TNA. The most recent one dropped just this week. And the amount of improvements that have gone in that, that have come to that game is astronomical. Uh, and just one thing for mention. Uh, Scott has now included Scorebit integration into TNA, and for anybody who has not heard of Scorebit, uh, I will dig into that into the next episode. But uh, just suffice it to say that 
at a very high level, Scorbit allows any machine, uh, any pinball machine, regardless of vintage, to uh, to participate in high score competitions and to log high scores in a centralized database. So it is uh, it's quite the it's quite the technical uh, quite quite the technical. Uh, feat that Scorbit has has achieved. So looking forward to to talking a bit about that. So uh yeah, TNA has um has proven to be a great value in pinball and and Scott, thank you for for what you're doing to continue to support the game. Um and and Brendan, I mean he does that single-handedly just on his spare time. So it's it's, it's, it's Scott been, has a lot going neat. on if you uh if you've kind of follow him on Facebook, he's been oh, doing yeah. a lot of car stuff here recently. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. And uh man, I I, I just Find some time for me, Scott. Can you find some time for me? <laughs> it would be it'd be nice. Now this next one, Brent. Uh, it it took the it took the pinball world by storm, and there's oh, n- there's no way shape or that's how. high praise. It is high praise, there, and there's no way shape or how I'm, I'm going to pretend that we're going to do uh, the coverage on this justice. I, I bring it up simply because I want to talk about it. There there are other pinball podcasts who have covered Guns and Roses by Jersey Jack Pinball that have covered Guns N' Roses ad nauseum. I mean, to the 13th degree. So not going to recant that. Not going to recant any of that, really. I think by the time that, that... Okay, on the release cycle that we're on, and by the time that news breaks, and the time that, that by the time that we cover it, we get the advantage of being able to see it, absorb it, soak it in, listen to other shows, listen to other opinions, read on Pinside, uh, maybe even play the game, depending upon the release cycle and then how our show goes. But uh, Brent, Guns N' Roses, uh, it's called Not In This Lifetime. Pinball, it's based upon the the theme for, gun, for, the, for the current Guns N' Roses tour. Um, you can see that, uh, that Jersey Jack released three editions of this game, uh, special edition, which probably compares most to uh, a Stern Pro, the limited edition, which is probably comparable to a Stern you mean, Premium. You mean a, a standard edition? I, I'm sorry, did I say special edition? You said edition? special. Okay. okay yeah. yeah. I, I, so a standard. Yeah. Yeah. Standard edition. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I no, thought it's they, okay. I thought they were called special editions. Look, I don't Willy know the difference Vista and Windows 8. Yeah, I mean, fair, fair enough. Okay. So let's just, we can run. I, with I, it. I'll never live that down. And so it, let's just go on with it's, it. It's all good. Let's just forget it. it, pret- it pretend it never happened. <laughs> it never happened. Yeah. And then, Gun- and then the Guns N' Roses Collector's Edition, which is probably analogous to an Ellie in, in stern terms was released and, and Brent, this is a, I don't know if you've seen any of the gameplay video on I this. I don't know if you've, if you've kind of studied up on this, but what is your take? And, and this is, this is what I'm curious about. What is your take on guns and roses as a theme? Are you a fan? Is this it, it just on theme? Is this something that would appeal to you or, um, I don't know if you've played many Jersey Jack games. I know you don't. I, I mean, I'm so assuming is, you don't own one, I, and I don't own one either currently. I've played my share. Okay. Uh, probably the least on, well, definitely the least on Pirates. Okay. Yeah, and then right same, by, for, same for me. Right behind that would be Hobbit. Yeah. And the most I've played is, uh, there's a few dialed-ins in there. But the most I've played, which honestly it isn't even a lot in the bigger picture, because there's just not many around here. Yeah, true. Is um, Wizard of Oz. Okay. Have you played Willy Wonka yet by any chance? Uh, I did it at SFGE. I batted a few, but I don't think I got a full game on it. Just okay. because okay. It, 
it, it's, it was it was difficult in the venue yeah, to soak it, it in. It's, it's not. It wasn't a good place to play. Yeah, yeah, yeah and, and just just chatting with people, and I just I just didn't. I didn't get a full game on it. Okay, gotcha. Well, I'm curious. What do you think about Guns N' Roses as a theme? Is it is it something? Are, are you Guns N' Roses fan? I don't think you I mean, and I, I was have back ever, in the ever day. talked about Guns N' Roses. I, I was back in the day, and, and I'm trying to remember the names of the albums. But it, at the end of it, Guns N' Roses always kind of intrigued me because they had this very dedicated following. Oh yeah, they were air quotes very relevant. Uh-huh. But if you think about it, I mean, there was what three albums that were so let me look i'm sure there's well you've got like appetite Appetite for for destruction yeah and then what was the two use your illusion and they there was also um what was the one that was like there was two albums and they changed the color of the background yeah wasn't it like a a part one and a part two or something like that? so maybe four albums yeah at that yep and then the, the they kind of it, and you it, can tell I'm not I'm not yeah. a, I'm not a huge it, Guns N' Roses fan either. In my mind, they they that. decreased in in cool factor and popularity in in whatever as the as they, as they move from Appetite to Use Your Illusion to oh it was Use Your Illusion one and oh Use so Your okay two. There, so it was the three albums yeah yep and then I mean at, and then other than that they were known for Axel you know being four hours late to concerts. And so, I mean, I was a fan because Appetite for Destruction. Do you, where are you looking at? What's the release date on Appetite? Do you uh, have that in front of you? Uh, let me go because that that was that. that was a that was a contemporary album when I was in high school. So that was 1987. Yep, right there. Yeah. So that was a that was a very popular album through the hair band, the late 80s, you know, heavy metal days. Yeah. So I was a fan from that aspect. And probably wore the tape out along with White Snake and, yeah. Oh, yeah. and yep. all the others. Yep. So they've always been kind of this enigma to me as to why they are they're so beloved. I mean, Slash is great. Oh, sl- Slash know, is, Slash is great. The, yes. The uh, Appetite for Destruction. I think I like the entire album. As I said, I mean, I've worn it. I wore it. Remember, like wearing the tape out, constantly playing it, but. I just, I can't understand how they keep hanging on like a hair in a biscuit. I don't get it. <laughs> fair, fair enough. Fair enough. And it, I, I know Slash is a very, is, is a pinball person because he, he is. And he, and he worked directly. Yep. Well, he with, had input in the Jersey da- Jack on this one. He had input in the Date East game. Okay. I mean, there's stories where they would, he'd come in uh, to, to, in an evening design session with, with, with Jack Daniels and ideas. And they sat down and drink it out, you know, <laughs> and that's what gave us the Data East game, which I enjoy playing. Yeah, I, I'm, I, I'm just, I, I hate to even say this, but I'm just with, a, you know, what comes to mind? What's that? Why? <laughs> Why? <laughs> well, as okay, so as I have heard it, and it'll on, sell good for it, oh, good uh, for them. Oh, it it sold. Get this, Brent. The collector's edition, the one that goes for twelve thousand five hundred dollars, sold out in a day and a half. Mm-hmm. The the five the five hundred. Oh, I, I, oh, I know it'll. Yeah. yeah oh, that yeah. does not surprise me at yeah, all. I'm sold, surprised it took that long. Yeah, it, it sold out in roughly a day and a half. And without getting into the some of the drama and the debacle around uh, Jersey Jack selling direct versus selling through the distributors, which 
Uh, if you want to hear about all that. Oh, I wasn't even aware that that was a thing now. Yeah. yeah. And this is a standard width game too, it, right? It, it is, which correct. I, which, in my opinion, I think adds some appeal to oh, it. It adds a lot of appeal to it, yes. And, uh, I mean, if you want to hear about that that whole drama, you can listen to a few other pinball podcasts, like the Pinball Show. They covered that in, in depth. And uh, Dennis and Tony talked about it on the Eclectic Gamers podcast as well. And and you can read about it on Pinside, too. There was a lot of drama about, you know, did, if you went through a distributor, did you have your order in? If you went through a, a, a you know direct sale with Jersey Jack, uh, did you have your order in? Uh, who beat who in, in line for getting one of the 500 collector's editions? How many were destined for out-of-states versus in, here in America and things like that? So there, there was a lot of drama around that. But as, as I have as I've come to learn this, Brent, uh, apparently the way that uh, Slash and his input through the design process with Jersey Jack, uh, Eric Minier, who who's the who's the designer on this game, is they wanted this game to represent essentially the the, the heart and the soul of the band and the concert experience, and to essentially. Uh, so be the be the witness statement in pinball for for the not in your lifetime tour. So do you put five dollars in it for three games and press start and wait an hour? I, you, I, how I, does that? that that I don't know. That, that is I it don't just, know. Is it just Axel or is it just Slash up there with his guitar kind of flailing his hands in just, the air looking just around, wait, just wait, waiting about, kind of like Cab Calloway and the Blues Brothers there at the end? Uh, yeah, good, sing something, Slash. Yeah, good question. Play is something, but but. Ultimately, I mean, Brent, you should, you, you, yeah, you should, you should check out some of the some of the the videos on this. I mean, I, I would say, just based upon everything that I've seen about this game so far, I would think it's safe to say that this is probably one of the best theme integration games I have seen in pinball, if not the best theme integration game I've seen in pinball. Here's the one, here's, and not the one thing, that sounds terrible. You know, I freely admit that I haven't looked deep into this. And, yeah, no, it's and, all good. And I was even going to ask you a question about the differences. Um, gener- it's, it's, it's good to get a hot take. That, yeah. That's that's what I, and that's what I was hoping to get, is to just to get like your your first reaction opinion on it. In, in the prior Jersey Jacks, if I recall correctly, between the various editions, yeah. all the gameplay was still the same. Oh, see, it's not that way here. So, and that you've got screen caps in here, so I can't obviously scroll through the overview section because yeah. it's just a, it's a it, static it, screen you're, cap. You're right, it's just a static screen. But cap. I'm thinking that if I'm the big thing I see is that when you get into the limited, it looks like there's a mini play field and some other diverters and stuff. And yes. I, I'm assuming they're following the stern model, and that that boils up into the collectors it, it plus does. plus even more yeah plus it, the sound bar thing and different art and yes exactly now the the there is a slight playfield difference uh mech difference between the le and the collector's edition um it, it's a ball lock at, at the uh at the bottom of the playfield but ultimately uh the le and the ce are vastly different from a playfield uh from playfield mech and a playfield organization perspective uh comparing comparing that to the standard edition so the standard edition does not have the upper playfield uh uses virtual ball locks it does not have the same uh it does not have the exact same lighting system that the le and the ce have and and so there i mean there there's definite there's definite differences I, i think i've heard it where um, the the LE has over 300 RGB 
LEDs in it. And this, the collector's edition has over 600 oh, RGB LEDs in it. Yeah, from what I've seen on this, and, and, I, and I, I freely admit, I mean, I've watched quite a bit about this because it, it's not Guns N' Roses that fascinates me here, okay? It, it truly is not. What fascinates me about this game is it's the level of theme integration that they were able to achieve due to the partnership with Guns N' Roses. What I am hoping to see happen and trust me i'm not i'm not the biggest guns and roses fan okay i mean i i'm probably along the same lines as you i really liked appetite for destruction i liked a few songs that followed after that but i did not follow guns and roses after high school they they kind of fell off the map for me after high school and i was kind of done so so I, I'm not a huge Guns N' Roses fan, but that being said, what I am a fan of is what Guns N' Roses did for the theme and the design on this game. And where I'm cur- what I'm curious to see is can Jersey Jack uh, can can Jersey Jack repeat this same level of theme integration for their next game for a theme that I would hopefully be more inclined or or feel well, more impassioned They have about. to have a licensor that would work with them. I mean... To this level. Yes, yeah, Slash is level. in. He's, he's bought in, and he has been for decades. I yeah. mean, he, like I said, he worked with the Data East game. Yeah. He pushed that. The... He he's got a vested interest in the band and the, the game. name and the game. Yeah, and tying it all together. He's not just handing over assets and saying slap our face all over stuff. Exactly. Yeah. So so what what worries me is that is is Guns and Roses by Jersey Jack Pinball now a unrepeatable theme integration, and is it an unrepeatable? Um, is it an unrepeatable situation? Meaning, can Jersey Jack follow this up in the same way that they have created this game? And I and I, I hate to say it, but based upon just what you have pointed out, which has been which I've heard numerous times on the other podcasts as well on other podcasts and read on Pinside, is that it may be impossible for them to create a a follow-up that has the same level theme integration as they have with this game. And again, I might not understand it personally, but I do seem to, I, I understand and see why I know this would sell. Yes. Is it selling to me being a, you know, th- that if I, you know, uh, brought, uh, fired up a guns and roses song while I'm out for a run and can sing along with all of it, even after all these years. Yeah. D- d- does it speak to does it speak to me to that level? No, I'm not. I'm not that fan. Yeah. I'm, that's not pushing me to go out and spend even the sixty seven fifty for a standard. Right. Right. I, I. I. It's just. It's not me. Yeah. But I can see why it would be for some people. Yeah. And I could also see why it would be a really tightly integrated, good game that that portrays the band oh, yeah. as those dedicated fans yes. know and love it yes because yes. you've got the slash aspect that's exactly I, right. I see all that yeah and i think that and i think that's why this game is going to be in my personal opinion i think i think that that's why this game is going to be a runaway hit for jersey jack it all throughout its entire lifetime now they they have put a number on the le uh, as a, a cap of 5,000 and the standard edition as uncapped. Now, how fast... So the collector's editions are gone. So how fast will the LEs sell? I don't know. It's it's hard to say. 
I'm wondering, you know, I, I guess we just have to see how this pans out. You know, I'm wondering if they will do, a, you know, additional additions of the Ellie, kind of like what they did with Wizard of Oz with the Yellow Brick Road oh, yeah. and the Ruby Red edition. I can't see close like enough of, of it, but I'm not a fan of that, like, magazine cover whatever style oh it's, side uh, it, i think it's on the it, LA. oh really see that me personally that's my favorite one of the three maybe if i saw it closer it looks like it, it, they're, they're concert posters is, is that what, what they, that is that, that's okay. what that is yeah I, yeah it's concert poster. yeah I, I need to see it closer then because it looks it looks like um it just looks like magazine covers to me in this picture i i, I get it yeah and well the standard edition just has it looks uh, like it looks like Slash and Axel as as drawn by the animator for The Simpsons. Yeah, well, it, the, all of the artwork uh, on on the playfield and on the games, there it's all with them as skeletal, because that that way they didn't capture their likeness at a certain point in time. So you can kind of think of it is I'm not saying it's dirty. Maybe it's the maybe it's the just the picture. It, it to me it looked like. I can't see. Oh, I see it as skeletal now. Okay, yeah. now that I, it's kind of grainy when I zoom in. I see what you're saying now. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. So all all of the artwork, playfield inclusive, all the artwork is skeletal artwork. Which between you and me, I kind of dig that. I think it looks pretty good. I, I see it now. Yeah. Okay. And the good thing about that is it will look good ten years from now. Yeah. So because. You won't look at Axel or Slash ten years from now and compare them to what they looked like on the on this game, and, and they immediately it immediately looks dated. Um, what these are, it, it's all skeletal done in done in their done in their favor is what it is. So, so here here's the here here's another another take. Okay, and yeah. then let's this hear, this, let's this is. Them specifically in an industry thing. And then we'll get into the prize closet. Okay, yeah, sounds like a plan. All right, so at least with this offering, they, they've joined the Stern model. I don't. Did they do this with Willy Wonka? They did do it with Willy Wonka. And Willy Wonka was a standard body. Yeah, uh, Willy Wonka is a standard body, okay. standard width body, yes. So now you, you're, you're deeper into the... So not with just this model, rather. Starting with Willy Wonka and obviously with, continuing with this model, yep. then I stand corrected again. They are, they're in the good, better, best uh-huh. model. Yeah, of tier. They're, they're, it's tier. They're tearing. Yeah, they're tearing. Yeah. Yes. I'm done with that. I'm absolutely over it. And, and okay. And <laughs> I look hot, hot take. And, and I'm, I'm, I, I'm gonna, this is gonna sound stolen because uh, Scott over at Retro Gaming Roundup has made the same point time and time again. And I, I just agree with him. So if you okay. listen to both shows, I, I have the same mindset. I'm not necessarily stealing his opinion. We both happen to have the same opinion. I'm looking at games like Family Guy. Okay. I'm looking at games like CSI. S- Simpsons. Yeah. I'm looking at um, The Simpsons. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Those were full featured games at a competitive price that sold in the market of that day. And they had one model. And it had everything. Yeah. And they made it. They were successful with it. And it kept the doors open at the company. Yeah. Now, am I begrudging them for selling what they're selling because they can? No, absolutely not. Yep. At the end of the day, if they can get the money, that's their business in terms of their business, their business structure financially and their business is in, I, 
I'm minding my business and they're minding their own business. Yeah, yeah. I don't hold them against, hold that against them. Yeah. For me personally, as a buyer, in just looking at the Jersey Jack stuff, just what I can see here from the static screen caps and what's what's a little bit here in the in the in the general overview box that I can't move through. They're putting some significant things in there for for these price jumps, but you're still looking at sixty seven fifty to twelve five. Yeah. Okay. So you, you're it's, just it's a shade be... under doubling. Uh huh. Low to high. Yeah. Okay. So there there's a lot in there, but I'd be hard pressed to believe there's twice the machine in one than there is in the other for, for the double up on the, on right. the dollars. Yeah. yeah. Cause you're literally, it's, it's, it's for, for between, between you and me and our friends and around here, it's twice the money. Yeah. Yeah. I cannot for the life of me understand why you, I would love to see Stern or even Jersey Jack at this point shift to a full featured quality game at what I would call a competitive price. And to do that, I would say, let's go back and see what a brand new inbox Simpsons cost. And then adjust, can, then adjust it, adjust for, it for inflation yeah. to 2020. Yep. Why can you not do that today and sell it and sell it like hotcakes? I, I can't, I have my own answer for that, but I can't naturally, I will not and cannot answer for either Stern or yeah. Jersey Jack. I think that it's my personal opinion that the, that the way that they have read the market is that they are creating versions of the game for the homeowner, the route operator, and then the collector, quote unquote collector who may probably or may not play at the same level that the home collector or the home player plays, or certainly the route player plays. I, I, I mean, I totally get where you're coming from and I would love to see just the game. Okay. To, you, to, you just buy the game, just yeah. buy the game. You got the, the game. The thing that kick, I would love to see that. The thing that kicks me is, is the play field differences. Okay. That's what really kicks me. It, especially when they're vast. Like if you look at uh, black Knight. Okay. You know, the, the pro doesn't even have the upper play field. Yep. To me, that is the defining factor of Black Knight in that series of games that Black Knight is the pinnacle of. Yeah. Was those that, that run a games from Stern with that upper play field. Yep. Yep. The, and I, I'm not Stern, uh, from Williams from with William, that upper Williams. play field. Yeah. You yeah. took the thing that defined the jump, the jump right out of the cabinet thing that is the the marquee piece on that game that defined that genre and you took it right off you you costed it out and, and I to me it's like if you could do this when in the leanest of times make really full featured games and sell them and keep your doors open that should be your pro yeah and then if you want to do an uptick to a super collector's edition uh okay. I'm I'm good with that, but th that's one of the things that's really soured me on it is is you feel like you're coming up short for a lot of money on the pro, at least to me, and you're not getting your money's worth compared to the pro on on a premium in the stern lines. Yeah, yeah. and it looks like Jersey Jack has tried more to level that playing field with with the things they're adding. Yeah, but um, 
man, that's still a big jump. It, it's a big jump. It, it's a real, it's you're, a real you're three jump. grand between the standard and the, the limited, the, yeah. the first two tiers. Yeah. In a, yeah. I, I mean, there is, there is a lot of significant play three grand. Yep. There is. Yep. There, there, there is that. And there's a lot of difference in the, in the play field and I'm not taking up for it. I'm just, just after looking over the three, I, and, and looking over them in detail, I mean the the jump from the standard to the limited, it, money notwithstanding, the jump gets you a lot. Okay, if you were to just set the two side by side and mm-hmm. say, don't look at don't look at don't look at how much they cost, don't even pay attention to how much they cost. Look at the differences between the two. It's it's substantial. It's but really is it substantial. Three thousand dollars worth of stuff. I, that I, you know, that's something that everybody who buys has to has to weigh has that to weigh out. out. And, they have to weigh and, that and, out for themselves. And I'm sure baked into that is is the time to to integrate the changes if uh-huh. you've got game changes because yeah. you have different white woods to yep. test the shots. Yeah, different. different you, know, you gotta, might have to build a new Mac and design a new yeah. Mac. Upper, there's an upper play but, field, but you're making yeah. your own problem. There. Yeah. Well, that, well, there is that. You're, that, you're, that you're is, generating. You're you're producing your own problem. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that there's, I think that there's probably a lot that can be said for the the resurgence of of pinball's popularity, especially through through COVID times, because just based upon what I hear. Uh, Jersey Jack and Stern, they can't make games fast. I know. And and that's, and this is me sitting here, pragmatic me thinking what I would like to have. And also thinking down the road of being, being prepared. If I was on the board of these companies, realizing that times change because I've lived through the ups and the downs and maybe I should start really considering this. Yeah. And, uh, well, you know what, if I get ahead of this, maybe for two or three games, I'm going to make an extra buck versus my competitor because everyone's going to flock to me for my next few titles. Yeah. Um, I, but th- then compounded in all this and I, th- I don't know how Jersey Jack is doing. Um, I knew they had problems with wizard of Oz early on in their, in their play fields, but I've seen pictures that buy on Facebook of the new Avengers from Stern people holding chips of the hold, holding. I, I know the play field chips. I, I, I know I've seen, I've seen those as I well. Mean, S- S- Stern. I hate to say it. And Mike V, if you're listening, I am sorry. The only way I would have a new Stern now is if you gave it to me. Hmm. I mean, I, that's I could, a hot take. I wouldn't. That's a hot for take. the frustration. I wouldn't pay half for the thing because that's still money that I could put into something else. I could put into something that's substantial that I could use every day. Something for the house and upgrade. That's it. Would irritate me to no end if I poured some any amount of money into something brand new out of the box, only to have have it literally start chipping apart in front of me. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, it should not do that. And it's not like this is a new thing because the 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 feeling that I'm getting from people out there is it's almost like Stern is like they're like they're like Slash on stage with throwing his hands up in the air looking for Axel. I don't know. (laughs) I mean, this started happening back at Ghostbusters, and you and I got lucky. Yeah, we did because ours have been fine. Ours have been fine. But I tell you what, me right now, I'll every once in a while I'll play or I'll look at it because it always would start. The the hot spot for whatever reason always seemed to be the insert for Tobin's spirit guide. Uh-huh. I'll look at that. Yeah, like as an indicator. Okay, yeah. I'm still good. I'm still good. Yeah. yeah. So this isn't a new thing. Yeah. And as far as the play field, like like the pooling and the chipping, I, I don't. 
I personally don't understand why that hasn't been addressed, why that hasn't been acknowledged. Uh, I'm sorry, why that hasn't been acknowledged and why it hasn't been addressed. Why can't figure it out? It, well, yeah, I, I think it would be figured out if it were acknowledged and addressed. Oh, yeah, there's <laughs> yeah. A, I see your point. Yeah, 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 I see your point. Yeah, so I, I don't understand why why that hasn't come to light. You know so who could straighten this out? Who's that? Dr. Pulaski. <laughs> that she could that she, she could. Hey, there would be like look this is how it's going to be yeah well you know what we we were ending the show on the note we opened the show with dr pulaski how about that so brent um no appreciate appreciate the insight there i think that uh the, and, and appreciate the passion because I mean, I, I read through a lot of Pinside and I listen to other podcasts and, and don't get me wrong. I mean, I, I love a lot of these themes. I get, you know, I, I get caught up in like, oh, that would, that looks like that would be so fun to play. It looks like that'd be so fun to play. And then you read about the people who have playfield pooling and then you read about the people who have chip playfields, and it's like, ah, I, but I can't. Yeah. That, that, Why would that, I do that's that? such a buzzkill because it, it's like. I mean, we all work hard for our money, and if you divert, uh, let's say, $88,000... That's a lot of money. It's a lot of money just to get it, and then within within some... I mean, I've even seen on Pinside where within 20 games, the playfield chips, and it's like, that can't be right. That's just not right, you know? It's, but anyway... Uh, that, that's that's something that so will... So, according to the Google box... ...still have to be written, written out. And, of course, this will vary in... The average across the U.S., uh-huh. the average annual income across the U.S. is sixty three thousand one seventy nine. Yeah, and I'm sure what weighs that is uh, weights that is like say New York. Yeah, you know New York uh, is it Manhattan? Their population density in Manhattan for a square mile is like seven. You can Google this. It's like seventy six thousand people. In a square mile. That's nuts. And what you pay for, you know, what what the cost of living there is crazy. So the wages have are higher. Yeah. I mean, otherwise yeah, you yeah. literally couldn't live there. Yeah. And it's hard enough to live there as it is. People are living in a. Po- I don't. I don't get it. It's yeah. not. And maybe that's because I'm a Kentucky boy. Yeah. So you've got you've got the New Yorks, and um, you've got the the L.A. counties uh-huh. that are very dense, not as dense as New York that and and then the cost of living there that because of the density is probably pulling that up compared to some like the average for the state of, I don't know what, let's see, what's the average Nebraska or I was just even thinking Kentucky, uh, Kentucky average income. See if I can get that real quick. Forty eight thousand three hundred and twenty nine. So the U.S. average is sixty three thousand. You're forty eight thousand in in Kentucky. So yeah. that, that you know, it's cost of living, and it's so going by the average across the country, knowing yeah. that that is twenty thousand off of like our home state, sixty three thousand one seventy nine a year. Uh-huh. Pre-tax, yeah. Consider that when you, if you're buying a seven thousand dollar retail pinball machine. Yeah, I mean that's that's literally that's really somewhere between one eighth and one tenth of your yearly income. Yeah, and, and then they're selling the machines. Right, and uh, they're it, selling. I, I get that. Yeah, but think of that as this is my hobby. This is my passion. I'm going to spend that percentage of my income 
maybe I buy a machine every two years if I'm lucky or three years. Yeah. That makes it even worse. You buy it every three years and oh my gosh, I, I grew up with the Avengers. I love, I just, this is, this speaks to me. I love the designer and you, you play 20 games and there's, there's chips rolling down the play field into the out hole. Yeah. Yeah. I know. It's, and it's like, oh, I don't know. Yeah. It, <laughs> it, I will agree. It does. It needs to be addressed. This is, this there's has been no, a bummer. I need, no I need Pulaski. <laughs> I need, I need a stern talking to by Pulaski to put in my place. <laughs> a stern talking to. There you go. Wait, you get in the pl- prize closet. Yeah. Bring right. us up. All right. So we have got right here at the, at the, I guess we're, we consider this here at the end of the show. We're going to raid the prize closet. And for whatever reason, I cannot get the door open. Maybe I, did well, I, I locked it because I just don't want anybody rolling around oh, in the prize closet. Fair enough. So, so we'll open. So we'll knock on the door of the prize closet. We'll open it up, and we have got a um, kind of like a, a little hodgepodge here of of prizes. We got some stickers. We've got some circuit board coasters. Got those are old, really cool. Th- those they are cool. They are very cool. It's four coasters in uh, in printed circuit board coasters in a printed circuit and board case. Actual circuit boards. Yes, they are. Actual so circuit boards. The, the, yes. They're 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 unused circuit boards and yep. it's got through hole and like Every, service everything. Mount. And there's a, a rubber foot p- placed on the bottom of them and they're like coated and they're coasters yeah. in, a, in a holder made of uh, other circuit boards and we've got uh an sfge southern fried game room expo shot glass we've got a marco uh coffee cup and we've got some pac-man adhesive bandages and some space invader stickers so this is going to be our first did you uh, get the soap uh you, you oh i'm sorry in the pac-man soap i did i did Pac-Man forget that soap. thank you so what we're going to do is we're going to post a picture of this uh of this esteemed prize catalog on facebook and on twitter and on our website and what we'll do is we'll run this and and announce the winner on the next show so you've got roughly 30 days uh, to enter all we're asking is just comment on the photo with your favorite show story or your favorite show trope and let us know why and you are entered and then we will pick an entrance uh, i'm sorry we'll pick an entry from random We'll, we'll we'll sign each one a number go to random.org let it pick the winner, and then we will ship out your prize package to you. So the fun is simple as that. The, the most fun thing for us is going to be exploring, you know, like the the ratchet strap thing. That was that was a thing for the longest time with us, but I completely forgot it. That was great. Yes. And oh I, yes, I'm glad that our listeners didn't. So the the best part of this for me is going to be, a, like you said, a trope that. Maybe we take for granted or yeah. forgotten about or, or completely forgotten about. Yeah, it's like, oh, that was back in episode 37. And it's like, really? We're okay. going to episode 150 and we're still going to be talking uh, talking about my obsession with storage. Yeah. And in the various forms thereof. Yeah, it's it's all good. It's all good. So with that, Brent, uh, I, I think we have uh, I think we have reached the end of this episode. So why don't you tell everybody uh, where we can be found? Uh, Kentucky. Okay, thank you. Good enough. <laughs> so, All right. Good night, everybody. We'll see you soon. Bye. <laughs> we can be found on iTunes, and we ask you know, please leave us a review, uh, rate the podcast. It helps. Kentucky, <laughs> Kentucky boy. <laughs> I told you. Um, it, it helps to get us noticed. You know, we do this for the love of it. We do this for just to. Uh, Honestly, for the love of it, yeah. to, to in the heat of it, I was talking, stay, talking about Stern I was going to stay in Jersey Jack Playfield issues too. I, I was going to say to stay in touch with our listeners, and but then again, if we didn't do it, we wouldn't have listeners. It's a circular discussion. That is. Ignore me. It's been a long day. 
So yeah, I, you'll find us on iTunes. Please rate and review us. That is the main way that we we float to the top of the searches. So yeah, please do that. We're on Stitcher Radio Podcast, and of course, we're on the Google Play Store. Yep, social media, uh, facebook.com slash broken token. Uh, I know I sound a little weird right now. It's because my water went down the wrong pipe. Uh, Twitter, <laughs> I'm coughing. You're, yeah, I'm going to choke. You're choking. Yeah, Twitter at Broken Token and our website, brokentoken.com. So with that, episode 94 is in the books. We thank you all for listening. I know it's been a bit of a longer episode. It's been a, an episode of old school, uh, uh, old school hot takes episode. Brent, we need a sound effect for hot takes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because uh, we, we had a few of them flip, flip out and around for this show. But you know what? I love that because it's a uh, hot take is a passionate take, <laughs> you know, so it's all good. So with that, everybody, we thank you for listening. Thank you for hanging with us. We love you all dearly. Uh, until next time. Keep your quarters clean and game on. Congratulations. You made it to the end of another episode of the Broken Token Podcast. I promise they'll do better next time. Maybe next episode, they'll actually listen to me for a change. Just go easy on the guys. They don't have a lot to work with, but I know their moms would be so proud. We want to hear your feedback, comments, rants, raves, and otherwise, both good and bad. Drop us a line via email at podcast at brokentoken.com. You can also call us at 470-2-CALL-BT. That's 470-222-5528. And leave us a voicemail. We'd love to hear from you, and we might play your message on air in the next episode. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Broken Token and like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Broken Token. Britt and Whitney are always posting content between the official episodes, and it's a great way to stay involved with the show between the shows. You can find our podcast on the iTunes store and on Stitcher Radio. Just search for Broken Token and subscribe to the show. Like what you hear? Please consider leaving us a review on the iTunes store and on our Stitcher Radio page as the reviews help out the show. Please visit our website at brokentoken.com for articles, reviews, restoration logs, direct show downloads, and expanded show notes for this and every episode. Once again, thanks for listening. The Broken Token Podcast would like to thank the only person on staff who has actual vocal talent, Miss Christy Letzi. And that's me. Music for the Broken Token Podcast is graciously provided by Mr. Scott Denisi. For more information about his music and the projects that he works on, visit his website at www.scottdenisi.com. Go Team Fiero! Let her rip, tater chips! <laughs> <laughs> Whitney's over there rummaging around in the prize closet, oh, yes. organizing, oh, yeah. taking photos. I think he's trying to decide what he's going to sneak in his laptop bag. Yeah. I had a plethora of Pac-Man band-aids, <laughs> as one does. Whitney's in his native element. He's using technology, specifically the camera on his phone, and he's taking 87 shots of a static item. Of a static object, exactly. <laughs> because, because that's what nerds do. Costco drops coconut milk brand over forced monkey labor allegations. <laughs> How did you spell Tamia and Claude Buster to get that? Hot takes.